Game of Microphones is happy to announce our collaboration with CMG Podcasts. Check them out at clovercrestmedia.com. Do you know what she did to me? She strapped me down on the bed. She stripped me naked. Sounds all right so far. And put leeches on me. Was she naked too? She needed your blood. Yes, thank you, I know that. Could have been worse. She wanted to kill me. But they would have killed me if it wasn't but for Davos. But they didn't, did they? So what's your whinging about? I'm not whinging. Your lips are moving and you're complaining about something. That's whinging. This one's been killed six times. You don't hear him bitching about it. We are the sword in the darkness. We are the shield that guards the realms of men. We are Game of Microphones. Seven blessings, fallen dragons and red priests, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, second place Winter Olympics Ice Javelin Champion. I only killed an Oryx, though. Oh my god. And I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, the Impatient. Joining us today is Sir Patrick of Hindsight. Welcome back to Game of Microphones, Sir Patrick. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yay! I hear hear you've accrued some titles since you've last been with us. Uh, That's right. I am also known as uh, the gazer of the Mirish rear view, wiper (laughs) of raven poop, nibbler of McCumber's eye crust, wearer of the tinfoil bucket and son of the harpist (laughs) nice that's pretty cool who's the harpist your mom your dad it's a it's a play on the meaning of my last name oh cool cool son of a harp player nice yeah it's good to have you back it's been too long (laughs) (laughs) it is good it has been way too long definitely so this is episode 108 On this episode of our series rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones, Season 7, Episode 6, Beyond the Wall. And in case you're not already aware, this series rewatch is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through Season 7. If not, there's still time to be thrashed to bloody ribbons by the gnashing fangs of an undead bear, so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Warning. <laughs> oh, this Dude. episode, right? Oh man, this episode sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Sir Patrick, that you have very strong feelings about this episode. It wasn't the first time you heard our podcast. After this episode came out, you wanted to get find somebody that thought about it the way you did, and you listened to a ton of different podcasts until you found Game of Microphones. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, this is the first podcast I found that wasn't bitching about the episode. Wasn't whinging? Like, yeah, it wasn't whinging. <laughs> your lips, your, your mouth were moving, but you weren't complaining. So, <laughs> so we weren't yeah. whinging. Yeah. Um, it, it was kind of like this like aggravating experience where I'm like, all right, yeah, let's see what other people are saying about it. I'm like, what? Wait, people don't like it? Well, because, and then, I don't know, I... 
I came to a much deeper appreciation of the episode simply via like all of the complaints and me like, you know, that just gave me something to think about. Like, right. where did the Night King get those chains? And that leads to just further revelations that we can, you know, I'm sure we can get to down the line. Nice. Yeah, looking talking. forward to that. Yes. Yeah. Our listener, Princess Sarah of House Von Daltron is running a half marathon today. So good luck. Princess Sarah, hope you have a great run today. So let's jump into our top three. Since you are, since this is a big episode for you, Patrick, why don't we start with you? Okay, uh, my number one is the I don't even have a, a name for it the the painted table monolith. I guess. Oh, the, uh, nice. The hearth. Okay, so I, I know Duncan that we've talked about this series of uh, Stanley Kubrick documentaries. Um, that are pretty intense um and there there's the one where uh they're talking about how you know the monolith is every time you see the monolith appear there's that music playing right like, when, oh, when, oh, when, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh it, it, when the the movie opens up, it's just a black screen, and you hear that music, and the questions posed like, "Well, where is the monolith?" And then the revelation that, "Oh shit, the screen is the monolith." Like, oh and that, yeah. So, and I feel that the directors, uh, the, or the the cinematographers, that they were going for that sort of feeling where. Um, when, when the episode, you know, it always starts with the, the you know, the map showing you all the different locations, but there's never any location shown that's beyond the wall. You never see, it never shows, you know, Fist of the First Man or Craster's Keep, and mm-hmm. I guess those kingdoms, so maybe that's why. But, uh, you know, most of the episode, I mean, it's called Beyond the Wall, and most of the episode takes place there, but it doesn't show you anything in the opening map. But then as soon as it cuts to the episode, it's showing you the the camera just panning from on the painted table at Dragonstone, like just kind of panning from Dragonstone going to towards uh, the area where the heroes are. The same uh, path on. that Danny will be flying her dragons on. Yeah. And, uh, but there's sort of like, you know, you never really see the, the table from this perspective anytime yeah. in the show until now. And there's like, so like the fireplace is right in the shot, like just behind everything. Mm. And I feel like that's sort of like, you know, cause in, in 2001 space, Odyssey, the monolith is sort of like the God presence or, or whatever. And I feel like, this fireplace, like I've noticed there's a lot of symbolism in this season with that fireplace. And I feel like it's sort of like, it's like representing the Lord of light. And, nice. uh, Oh man. And the way that the fireplace is, is beyond the painted table with this opening shot, looking up the painted table at this angle perfectly mirrors how we get those shots in 2001, a space odyssey of the monolith looking up the monolith at this same angle with the sun placed right beyond the end of the monolith like the sun is rising over the top of the monolith mirrors perfectly this shot with the painted table here at dragonstone and the fireplace in the background i'll make a uh, i'll make a like a 
a side-by-side comparison of the two shots and posted on our Facebook. Amazing. That's what, what a good connection. That's crazy, Patrick. Uh, go ahead. Continue. So, I mean, um, cut to the chase, you know, the, the, I'm really convinced that this episode, the beyond the wall, quote unquote, lake battle takes place at hard home. And if you look at the lore of hard home, it was the, the town, it was the closest thing to being an actual town north of the wall. And 800 years before Egon's landing, it was destroyed by mysterious forces, just flames that shot up so high and bright that the watchers on the wall thought the sun was rising to the north. Mm, sounds oh, kind of like Mance Raider's fire. Yeah, well, and I think that I felt, felt like that was like ironic because he's like, we're going to show him the biggest fire the North has ever seen. And right, like, not dude, quite. <laughs> yeah, dude, you know your history, bro. So like, do you think this was taking place at an area of Hard Home that we just didn't see during the heart, the episode Hard Home? Yes, and there's that's sort of like the double entendre of the title itself is because when we see Hard Home in that episode, we're seeing a very small section of it. And there's actually a, a wall of, of wooden stakes that the whites break through mm-hmm. and you don't really see the rest of it. So if we go in well, past there, like through the mountain pass there, you think that's sort of where we are at this point? I, I think that there's like there's like an ocean inlet that, you know, there the, the banks of of hard home. I mean, it was it was like a fishing and, and a seal, a seal catching. However, that it's called town. Um <laughs> Seal hunting? Yeah, seal hunting town. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a port town. And there, there, if you look at, like, I, I paid so much attention. I did so many, like, like freeze frames and, and like, you know, rewatches and looking back at the other episode. And yeah, there's, you can really see there's, there's all of these like mountains and, and crags where the, the, the water you know where the land kind of comes in and then goes back out and like on the coastline yeah yeah gotcha gotcha well i think this little ice lake or you know ice inlet is kind of like a home base because when bran flies his ravens north of the wall the night king is standing right where this battle takes place on that on that rocky outcropping on that exact so maybe like he's been hold hold up sort of like right at hard home this whole time or something yeah, I think, you know, he's got green sight and he's sort of able to like look into the future. Yeah, and he's, he's just, just been waiting for this moment, probably yeah. set up there preparing for it for this whole time. For uh-huh. Who knows how long getting these chains built or stolen, uh-huh. you know, every time he had like, who knows, who knows? He clearly had those ice javelins ready. Oh, yeah, definitely. He had exactly three javelins. So um, speaking of, of Brand's Ravens, like when you see that scene in the last episode there, they fly to Eastwatch and then they cut and they go directly North. And if you look at the map of Westeros directly North of Eastwatch is hard home. Right. And, and there's just been so much, I mean, like foreshadowing and, and like this whole season, John's like sending the, the wildlings to Eastwatch cause hard homes, the last place they saw them. And right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. It makes sense that they're right. You know, right there for sure. Uh-huh. I love the uh, the 2001 Space Odyssey connection too. For anybody who's curious, we're talking about a documentary series by Jay Widener called Kubrick's Odyssey, right? 
Is that the one we're talking about? I don't about? remember the name of it. The one where they talk about the moon landing and stuff? <laughs> yeah. That, and that's that's some like real world tinfoil that uh, oh, yeah. you could have another podcast on. <laughs> we probably should. <laughs> we, we definitely can. Uh, definitely. Anything else you want to add about the painted table monolith? Well... I've got, I've always got so much to say, especially about this episode. I don't want to filibuster too much, but I, <laughs> I, I found it, it's interesting because the painted table, you don't really see that it's painted very much in the entire series until like this season, you can see the areas that are painted blue around the edges that are underwater. Oh, uh, interesting. I, yeah. The whole landscape the, looked kind of dark to me. Do we get the painted table when Tyrion and Danny are talking to each other? I'm trying to remember this. Yep, we do. Okay, okay, that's right. Got it. And when we get to that, I've got I've got some stuff to say about that too. Cool. But yeah. Nice. All right. So, what's your number three, Rachel? My number three is being kissed by fire. Oh. And the two. The two kissed by fire creatures north of the wall, which is um, Tormund and the Hound. Sick. I fucking yeah. love these two guys. This combo. Yeah, this is in my top five to, or top three. I too, I think. Ah, <laughs> oh, Dick. I like it. It's <laughs> 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 so funny. Classic. Uh, yes. So they're, they're sledging through the snow and the hound, or not the hound, but Tormund sees the hound and he goes, they're the one, you're the one that they call the dog. Yeah. In great hound fashion. Fuck, fuck off. off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Classic hound. And Tormund doesn't even like bat an eye at this because he's so used to like gruff human beings. They told me you were mean. Mm-hmm. And I loved his, um his kind of thought process here, you know, were you born mean or do you just hate the wildlings? And <laughs> the hounds like, I don't give two shits. I don't give two shits about wildlings. <laughs> gingers. It's I the hate gingers. I hate <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> soulless daywalkers. This disease is called gingivitis and it occurs because ginger kids have no souls. What? Some people have red hair, but not light skin and freckles. These people are called daywalkers. Who? Daywalkers! <laughs> Gingers are beautiful. We're kissed by fire. Just like you. And he points his finger right in his face. I was like, dude, Damn. that's so rude. And it's true, though. They've yeah, both been like, kissed by fire in one way or another. Uh-huh. Different ways. Sandor's whole reaction is hilarious. You don't point your fucking finger at me. <laughs> I don't like when people put their finger in my face either, though. You uh, know what I mean? It's like, for sure. I don't like if somebody's pointing their finger at me from across the room, like, let alone ha- like their finger right in my face. Like, yeah, yeah right, right, I found right. that kind of like interesting that Tormund decided to like do that instead of just say like, just like you, because the hound would probably likely get that reference. Uh-huh. Being that he literally kissed fire uh, uh, when he was a little boy. Yeah. And so Tormund's trying to figure it out. Like, did you trip when you were a baby? Oh, before and, that, though, before that, though, when when he says, don't point your fucking finger at me and starts walking away, <laughs> Tormund starts smiling. And I'm like, oh, he's, he definitely he likes Sandor, man. 
He's like, yeah, I need to get in with totally, this guy. He's totally. cool. <laughs> They're going to be buds, I think. Yeah, future the end best of this. buds. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Sandor, like, Tor- Tormund and Sandor, like, that is just, I, I don't know, that, that, like, you know, Sandor, like, pushes everybody away, but Tormund's totally the guy that's not going to be pushed away, that's going to like it more because he's being all, like, gruff with it. Right, yeah, that's, like, exactly what Tormund likes, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> they're going to just end up being best buds, and they, they sort of connect over Brienne, as we'll get to. <laughs> Oh my god! I, I have, seriously, I've watched this episode so more times than any other episode, and I've watched it like, like twice in the same day. And like, this scene always gets me every single time. It never fails. Kind of amazing that way. It's so good. It's been quite a long time that we've had kind of a comical dialogue. Um, yeah. The past several episodes have been super intense and very story driven, and there's been a couple like comical moments but this is like a great dialogue like oh, legitimate so dialogue between two awesome characters that really interesting stuff yeah and I, and Tormund you know or the hound says you know I wasn't I didn't fall I was pushed and yeah. Tormund figures it out and he's like and ever since you've been mean will you fuck <laughs> off <laughs> I don't think you're truly mean because you have sad eyes. Oh, I was like, oh, damn. Man, like, it's so true. Tormund, like, you actually kind of. He's so smart. Like, nailed it, really. Yeah. Like, yeah. dude, he, like, that's, that, that's the way to describe Sandor. He's got a hard exterior, but it's only because he's got a soft interior and he's, like, just pained and tormented his whole life. Like, Tormund just you know picked what? it up. Oh, man, Tormund, Tormund. And then we get the the great line. You want my you want to suck my dick? Is that it? <laughs> and and when I heard him say that, even before the, like the whole like dick cock part, I I heard him say, "You want to suck my dick? Is that it?" And in my mind, it went or cock because I've been watching <laughs> Tourette's guy lately, and that's something that he says. He's like he's like suck my dick or cock. <laughs> not familiar but okay (laughs) oh you'd love it patrick it's great okay (laughs) i'll send you links later you know what i just want to i just want to say that i've like always from the beginning noticed the that the hound has sad eyes so that means that i i am as smart as (laughs) there you go nice yeah so where were we rachel um so the hound was like cock Oh, Dick, I like it. <laughs> bet you do. <laughs> just right. every time the hound says, bet you do, I always just laugh because it's so funny. He set himself up for that. Yeah, he, did. he totally did. It was so perfect. It's hilarious that Tormund's never heard the phrase dick before. I know, because it's it's kind of like it justifies all these like laughs we've had over Dick on in the last few episodes. <laughs> oh, then you have to like, establish that that's a word in Westeros. Maybe it's not. That's hilarious. Common, that's so yeah. funny, dude. You're so right about that. Cause we've never heard yeah. anybody say Dick before on this show. I don't think uh-huh. have we? it's always been then, cock this I, cock that. Yeah. And then bronze lapping it, Dick on like, yeah. like Oh, so then that has to like justify it to the viewer. Like, Oh yeah. Some people know that word here. Too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <It's>, at least <laughs> some great. people find it funny. Yeah. So, nope, it's pussy for me. <laughs> I have a beauty waiting for me back in Winterfell. Thanks for the sound bite, Rachel. That's going at the end. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my god! <laughs> Why do you always get me to say those lines and then you like torment me with them in the outtakes? You picked it. You picked it for your top three, not me. Oh man. <laughs> I'm not picking any of these scenes anymore <laughs> I, from now I, on. I won't put it in there if you don't want to do it. No, it's totally fine. It makes me laugh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I have a beauty for me waiting for me back at Winterfell. <laughs> she has yellow hair and blue eyes. The tallest woman you've ever seen. Almost as tall as you. And the hound stops dead in his tracks and like wrenches his head, turning towards towards uh, Tormund and knows exactly who he's talking about. Brienne of Tarth. <laughs> you know her? No, <laughs> like Brienne his eyes get all big Tarth. and wide, like all excited <laughs> that the hound knows his woman. Yeah, he's like infatuated <laughs> with Brienne. He, she's a living goddess to Tormund, right, Patrick? Yeah, I, I think she's like the, the perfect. I mean, we've already seen her like put it together with a bear. Yeah, and, and Tormund's obsessed with bears. Yeah, and you know, uh, you know, Tinfoil Corner. I think he might be uh, Leanna's father. Oh yeah, that's yeah. I mean, the story about a bear. He could easily be talking about a Mormont woman, a she bear, yeah, a she bear, right? Yeah. And those those some, those are some feisty women, and Definitely. they're right at the spot where wildlings cross over the most. Yep, right by the border, by the wall. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, I'm on board. Have you seen those those clips of of the Tormund actor like playing with action figures on the set? I think so. Yeah, yeah, he's like doing little like like role playing with like the action figure of him and the <laughs> like, figure yeah. and like always oh, like got him like making out and figure. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. Uh, apparently, he was like method acting the the whole time. Like he, the actor himself came up with. Like he just knew that that would be in character for for his character to like be smitten over Brienne, right? And so he was actually he was like treating Gwendolyn Christie like that the whole time and actually like creeping her out on set. That's so funny. So was like, it his yeah. idea to create that dynamic? Yeah, he, he was oh, just like great. that familiar with his character. He was like, well, this makes sense. They would totally, <laughs> he would totally be smitten with Brienne. That's great, Christopher Hibbjew. So good on you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought this was really cool because, you know, and Tormund's like, you know her. And, and Sandor's like, you're with Brienne of fucking Tarth. And Tormund's like, well, not with her yet, but I see the way she looks at me. And like she wants to carve you up and eat your liver. <laughs> He's like, you do know her. <laughs> that's the part that every single time gets me with just the way he says you, you do, do know her, know her. <laughs> yeah, he's like he's like whoa like that's so cool and sandor says we've met and i thought this was great like amazing because this is a way that tormund and sandor can relate to each other you know like tormund's trying to like crack sandor's shell and this is the way that he does it he they both recognize and respect the power of brienne of tarth you know what i mean like if anybody knows to respect Brienne of Tarth, it's Sandor. He's not going to fucking cross her again. You know what I mean? Hell no, she freaking beat him. She maybe killed him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. As we'll see later, like, remember Barrick's like, he, he brought you and me back to John, just the two of us, you know, and right at that moment, Sandor steps up behind him on screen, hinting that either he will be revived in the future, or maybe or that he already been. has been. Yeah, yeah. I noted that yeah. too. Yeah. That's awesome. So I thought 
I just love how this is like the thing that connects the two of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I like the next line that he says, yeah. I want to make babies with her. <laughs> Think of them. Big, great monsters. It conquer, conquer the world. The world. <laughs> yeah. This mentality is great. You got to look at the genetics of your potential mate, you know, and aim to create a badass little <laughs> child. And sort of a callback to the whole, like, the what the was it Rask talking to Hodor saying if I was if I was your size I would have conquered the world right. by right yeah totally oh yeah I forgot about that so Sandor's like how did a mad fucker like you live this long <laughs> I'm good, I'm good at, at killing people, killing people. <laughs> like, oh wow that, I feel it's like true. that earned him a little respect too from, yeah. from Sandor oh, yeah, yeah for sure and he says it like all proud yeah, mm-hmm. and it's true, man. He's a badass. Remember how vicious he was at the Battle of Castle Black? I'll show you how a man ends it. <laughs> yeah. So badass. <laughs> There's a fucking spider. Oh, sorry. Thanks. Another good sound bite. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Hold on. Oh, fuck. Where'd it go? Oh, there it is. <laughs> Oh my god, sorry. That scared the shit out of me. It came down right in front of my face. No way. Uh, (laughs) That's epic. Anything else you want to add about your number three, Lady Rachel? No. I love (laughs) I just love this (laughs) so much. Yeah, it's so cool, man. I love the the whole um hound and torment combination too. And we'll get more into this later. We'll we'll see the ramifications of this conversation as the the hound obviously comes to favor Tormund as, as we see, he saves his ass later, you know, we'll get to it. Yeah. So he broke the shell and is in with, with the hound here. (laughs) So that brings us to my number three, right? Yes. Yeah. All right. My number three is it's still long claw. Ooh, yes. Love nice. this scene, right? With John walking along with Jorah. So good. So good. And there's so many good things about it, too. Like, one, Jorah is going to get a little bit of closure and hear a little bit more about his father's death and about how justice was served. You know what I mean? Um, oh, yeah. You know, I just thought of this. This this kind of, like, earns, like, brownie points with, with uh, Jorah to, like, earn his blessing for... Um, you know, forgetting with, with Danny since yeah. You know, oh, I didn't even take it that way. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. This is like you know he. Well, we'll get to it. He mentions like the yeah, children. Yeah, children. exactly. He yeah. he wants his family sword to be to to end up in Danny's child's hand. Yeah, you know. I think that's where he's yeah, angling with that. I, and he doesn't have any children of his own. So right. the sword would just get kind of absorbed back into, you know, Bear Island and the Mormons. And he wants to keep it around Danny. Yeah. He'd want, he want Danny's child to wield it. I think so. I thought that was really cool, but we'll get that to that in a minute. Cool. Sure. So, uh, John tells Jor that the first time he went North of the wall, he was with Gior Mormont, his father. And we, we learn how Jorah feels about himself and everything because he says that his father, who was a good man, deserved a better son. And he asks if John was with him when he died. And John tells him that he he wasn't there. He was with the wildlings, their prisoner at the time. But he wants him to know that his father was avenged and that every mutineer found justice. 
And I thought that that was a really nice thing for John to say and something that's good for Jorah to know. And uh, it also it's sort of possibly softening the blow um, that that he has long claw, which he's about to divulge to Jorah. (laughs) Right. Because who knows how Jorah would react to that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Jorah's lamenting about how it was horrible that that was how his father had to go out because the night's watch was his everything and he would have died to protect every one of the people in his squad. And yet they butchered him. And, uh, John relates to him that Ned was the same way that like he was an honorable man, good all the way through. And he died a horrible death on the executioner's block. And, uh, it just goes to show you how sometimes shit things happen to good people. Right. And that's oh, something, yeah, yeah totally. we do, it happens pretty common in Westeros. <laughs> they both lost their heads too. Yeah. Yeah. Him. Drinking wine out of the skull of Joe fucking Mormon. Carl fucking Tanner. (laughs) Carl fucking Tanner. Legend of of Jen Alley. It's Fukin. Fukin. It's Fukin. 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 That's the best. (laughs) Oh, man. I love Carl Tanner. And oh, so Jorah's like, your father, Ned, wanted to execute me. And uh, but Awkward. of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like Davos <laughs> with uh, with um, Tyrion last episode. Tyrion, yeah. <laughs> last time I was yeah. here, you killed my son. <laughs> and so it's so, all these interactions with the different these different characters are so interesting. These people that are like meeting each other for the first time, and we're getting these like these wild interactions. You know, Tormund and and Sandor. Who would have ever imagined that in season one? You know, <laughs> or. Uh, yeah, or John and Jorah even like, oh, it's so crazy. And some people, some people found the nerve to complain about this because it's quote unquote fan service. Like, bro, I'm a fan. Serve me, right? yeah, like, serve I, us. You know, and this is something like, that would actually happen. Yeah, you know, like and they're gonna be. But, but but wait, you know that this is a really stupid plan was literally a complaint about this episode. And I've heard several from several sources. I'm right. like, bro, do you watch the show? Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's a bad plan. What's right, yours? Yeah, yeah. What's yours? Come on. That's hilarious. Yeah. Every time they go North of the wall, it's a bad plan. It's like, that's, yeah. yeah, it goes without saying. It's born of desperation for sure. And like, these are these are desperate men, and no one wants to go north of the wall. Like, yeah, yeah, I definitely. Mean, so kind of enjoy so Jora re- reflecting on how Ned wanted to execute him was like, well, you know, he was in the right, of course, being the honorable man that he was, you know, but didn't make me hate him any less for p- forcing me into exile. <laughs> and uh, yeah. John, I thought this was a really cool interaction. John's like, I'm glad he didn't capture you. <laughs> right? <laughs> Jorah's like, me too. <laughs> and uh, this is when John sort of, corrals Jorah off to the side and stops and uh, I'm like oh my god this is such a huge moment here he starts to loosen his sword belt and, and like always taking off that sword belt oh my god yeah yeah <laughs> battle of the bastards throwing it because on the ground he looks super good doing it yeah. <laughs> all the ladies want John to take his belt off and uh, yeah. so I thought it was cool I noticed that it there's a dagger on the belt as well which I hadn't yeah, I noticed, noticed before 
pretty that cool. That dagger right? has been there. That was that was there at Battle of the Bastards too. Nice, nice. So he takes off Longclaw, and as he's taking it off, he's like, "Your father gave me this sword. He changed the pommel from a bear to a wolf, but it's still Longclaw." And he hands it over to Jorah, holds it out to him. And Jorah, like, looks down at it in astonishment. I love how he opens it up a little bit, yes. too, to, like, look at the Valyrian steel. Slides it out. He's like, I recognize this sword, you know? Oh, my God. And John's like, John is just so honorable. He's just like his father, like, not, not like his father, Rhaegar. I mean, I guess they're both honorable, <laughs> legendary for their honor. But um, he's just like Ned here, like honorable to a fault. Like here he is with this weapon, this ancestral sword of House Mormont. And he's like, you know, Lord Lord Commander Mormont thought you would never come back to Westeros. And, and Jorah looks up at him and he's like, but here you are, you're back. And this sword has been in your family for centuries. It's not right for me to have it. And I was like, dude, that's just like <laughs> such a powerful gesture and moment. And and Jorah kind of like is like astonished by this and nods and looks down at the blade and, and tells John, he says, you know, he gave it to you. And John's like, well, I'm not his son. And Jorah pulls the sword out more from this, from the sheath and, looks at the blade again, taking it in for the last time, essentially turning it around in his hands and looking at it. And, and he tells John, you know, that he brought shame to house Mormont and broke his father's heart and forfeited the right to claim that sword years ago. Another really powerful moment and of like realizing the truth and of self-actualization. And, uh, I think he knows that, this sword is destined to be with John, right? Like just (laughs) after everything that's happened, he's like, he's like, may it serve you well and your children after you. And I was like, Oh my God, it's so powerful. And, and he, he gives John this sort of knowing look, like nods at him. Like you do right by the sword and by Danny and sort of walks away. (laughs) And John is like stunned into silence by this, like the significance of, of Jorah giving him back the sword, you know, like it's like talking to him about like the possibility of children, like, you know, legacy and like, you know, actually like having kids. He's like, I've never thought about having kids. Right. Yeah. It's like a huge moment. Like not only is like, is he thinking, wow, like potentially if we survive this chaos, like have, I could have kids, but now he has an ancestral Valyrian blade for his family. You yeah. know, that's his own. As a he snow earned too. As a snow. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool, man. So it's just such a powerful moment where they're both just so honorable. And I think Jorah, I think Jorah also realizes too, that like he's an old man. I mean, right. it, for the, for the course of the show, I mean, the actor himself isn't, terribly old. <laughs> like you know, who's he like, going to pass it on to? For like West, like Westeros years, he's old. I think the grayscale yeah. really did kind of a number on his ability to be like a, the great warrior that he once was, because we see that again, this episode, like he starts getting strangled by the white Walker Ooh. and he can't really defend himself as well as he maybe once used to. Who knows if he's so even think, still fertile. Yeah. I mean, I just think that Jorah, like the whole kid thing aside, looks at John as this incredible warrior. He's young, he's able, he's fit, and he could do a lot more damage with that Valyrian steel sword than Jorah could right. at this point yeah. in his in his life. So it's kind of it's kind of like 
two sided. Like you're young, you can have kids. I want to keep. I I see the connection with you and Danny. Yes, like, I want it for for your children. But you're better suited to swing that sword regardless also. if you have children or not. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 so true. It's like the swords, you're better suited for it. But also it's a way for him to contribute to, to Danny's legacy, too. And, you know, yeah. give, he thinks he's oh, he knows like he saw the way that they looked at each other. <laughs> he knows that they're an item. You just feel it. You feel yeah. it. I mean, we we feel it on like watching it through a TV screen. Imagine like feeling it. Yeah, in person, right? Yeah. Even without seeing them together, though, they're both these two sort of transcendent figures, right? Both who have survived yeah. these amazing occurrences. One, Danny survives fire, and John survives the ice, even in this episode when he's plunged into the depths of the freezing water, right? Oh, yeah. So it's it's crazy. So I don't know. It's just like they're destined to, to combine forces, it seems. I... I really see uh, Jorah as this, like the epitome, uh, maybe at least show Jorah as the epitome of like chivalry and heraldry, where he has his like, um, you know, the the woman that he loves, the his his muse, who he never actually actually you know consummates with or or, or gets with. Sort of the she, male equivalent of Brienne of Tarth. Yeah, sort of. You know, he he, but he that um, like in in heraldry, there there was this idea of like you know carrying a woman's favor and, and going off on quests for her, and you know with her in mind, and you it's like you would take her with you in the back of your mind and carry her right. in your heart, your inspiration. And most of the time, the, those men never would you know see the woman again or, or end up with her. But it was more that like she would inspire you and, and give you purpose and to fight with valor. Yeah. So I, I really see that as, as Jorah, you know, like the, the whole, like, you know, it, it, aside, you know, it's not just this, you know, perpetual friend zone pun, but like, there's really something like, you know, there's something like deep that like connects it to like medieval heraldry, you know, with, with Jorah. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. I like that. Yeah. Me too. So that wraps up my number three. Nice. Should we move on to your number two, Sir Patrick? Yeah, uh, that actually feeds perfectly into to my number two. Uh, my, my number two is just uh, what I call the, the three wise men because <laughs> they're, they're, I, I see this whole thing, you know, there's like 12 apostles and there's like the, the resurrected savior and... Uh, I see, like you know, Tormund, Beric, and Jorah each say something to John that sort of contributes to to him becoming who he's destined to be, to like take up the mantle of of destiny. And like you know, Jorah says this to him that gets him thinking about you know actually like you know Children. the future. Yeah, and you know, in, in the end, when he you know, he bends the knee to, or he doesn't literally bend the knee, but he swears fealty to Danny. And, you know, he, you know, the, um, with, uh, with Tormund saying, you know, you know, saying the, the whole, that line again about, um, Mance Raider was a great man, the king beyond the wall who never bent the knee, 
how many had to die for Mensa's pride. Right. And Just like Danny said to John an episode or two ago, how many, you know, what's more important, your pride or their lives, right? Which he yeah, had initially exactly. said to Mance. And it's just like, this is the uh -huh. third time. First, it was uttered by him. And now there's all these different people reminding him of this concept. And it's just like solidifying in his brain that he's got a, he's got a kneel. He's you know, oh, like, yeah. like, just like Ned did. He admitted falsely to conspiring against Joffrey, forgetting about his own pride for the sake of the lives of his daughters. So, John's going to do the same thing. It's like the one time Ned lied, he lost his head for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And oh, basically yeah. John's going to do the same thing. He's going to forget about his, his own pride and kneel essentially later in this episode. And it's sort of like, you know, again, going back with like the whole power and Stark, the King who knelt. Um, because he, you know, well, that was for different reasons, but yeah. Yeah. That too. Um, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so you, you know, you've got, uh, Jorah and uh, Tormund and then you've got Beric and just those three conversations. And, like, oh, that's Beric, so good. Yeah. Reaffirming the, the whole, like, you know, even though he's stepped away from the night's watch, he still is the shield who guards the realms of men. Right. And that we may not know what the Lord of light wants for us, but fuck that. It doesn't even matter. All that we need to understand is that we're fighting for, for life and for justice and for Liberty, you know, and aside yeah. from that, nothing else matters. Right. Who cares why? Maybe that's all we need. I went back and, and watched because I was I was thinking that this was almost like another like word for word quote, but I, I don't know. I guess I just got the idea because I was watching I was rewatching this this show so much when we were way back early in the rewatch in season two, and I would be like going back from season two and then like watching season, season seven. seven. <laughs> but so I noticed back then that uh, uh, Corin Halfhand gives. John, a very similar speech, mm, but it, interesting. it's sort of, it's sort of like, you know, well, you know, we'll probably die and no one will ever know your name, but you'll have, you know, you'll save the, their lives and people will never know you existed or something. And yeah. Like it, fame and pride isn't important. It's about like the, the task at hand and doing yeah. what's right. And, you know, it's sort of it's, that one sort of ends with Corin being like, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you know nothing, Jon Snow. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I just I just thought I just thought it was just like extremely like relevant and sort of like um, like poetic in a way, just the way you have these three older men, these sort of like avuncular figures that each give John a piece of advice that contributes to like this, this sort of like fulfills uh, an arc that started when he was resurrected and didn't know what, what the hell he was fighting for and didn't like, know like he, all he wanted to do was just go down South and be warm. And like, now right. here he is like beyond the, like up North wall, freezing his ass off, like putting the pieces together. Yeah, it's like he sort of and like it's like by the episode, he sort of like realizes who he is. That's and, so cool, man. Yeah, I like it. So John's Jesus. Then we got the three wise men, Jorah, Beric and Tormund. And who are the 12 apostles? Well, there's 12 of them that go out. Oh, from, 12 that go north, that range north. Yeah. So I, I would call Benjamin the, 
the, yeah, the, the 12. 12. Gotcha. He beat John the Baptist, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, we already have John the Bastard, so yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That was cool. I like that. Yeah, because we used to make all these uh, connections with, with religious symbolism from the show. Um, like back in season two, I think we were doing a lot of that. Oh, yeah. So this you is, also that have cool. the Night King with his like four lieutenants, and they always remind oh, me of the, the four horse- horsemen of the yes. apocalypse. That's great. Mm. So it's like the four horsemen of the apocalypse facing off against Jesus and the 12 disciples here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sort of puts Danny in the awkward position of being the whore of Babylon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Or is she Lucifer who falls from heaven on the dragon? Ooh. Bringer of light, right? That's what Lucifer means, the light bringer. And she shows up wielding the most blazing torch of all. It's true. So maybe, uh, so John is Jesus. Danny is Lucifer. (laughs) This is cool. And that's the whole, that's wow. That, that, that's deep. Because John is also, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to open this can of worms. I don't know, but he's also Hitler. I I kind of think of him as like Jesus Hitler or like, you know, he's sort of like, or, uh, you know, uh, 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 bizarro hitler that's good why is he hitler like okay so he is the the dark-haired dark-eyed leader of the the targ aryans of the you know the, oh the aryans the targ aryans yeah with their you know their blonde hair and not blue eyes but well blue in the show anyway um <laughs> you know but the the the, the, the valerians are definitely i think you know they're patterned on you know um aryans or, yeah, sort of like Atlantis, but also like with the Nazis. Like, we, we, like you, you've been talking to, uh, lately about how, you know, what if Valyrian Steel was them trying to replicate uh, the the Dragon Steel of the, the last hero? Right, of Lightbringer. The, yeah, so, and, you know, going like mining deep and, and getting all these slaves to to mine all this metal and, you know, doing blood sacrifices and how many like people got, you know, were, had to like be like die horrible, live. Horrible so it's like the Nazis with their quest for advanced technology and stuff or Atlantis. Yeah. And then, you know, there's all sorts of, you know, like George, he likes, he sort of like amalgamates a lot of things into one. And so there's yeah. sort of like, yeah, that and like combined with like the, the dwarves in, in the Hobbit that mined too deep and and, un, and unearthed the, the the Balrog or whatever. But yeah, there there's I definitely uh, so. But like yeah, um, Jon Snow he, he also you know Hitler had a, a white German Shepherd. So you know, it's, it's, oh my God. that's hilarious. I see. I see. Sort of like he, like George does these split amalgams with characters where right. you know Hitler failed and, though when he tried to fight in Russia in the the muddy winter, right? So John yeah, succeeded so, in the winter <laughs> thus far. Okay, well that's where we're, we're okay. So like you know, Thoros is very much like Thor, you know, especially you know in relation to Beric because the one-eyed lightning lord who sits in a tree right, in, right. in the books. But uh, but he's not. But he's also he he has a magic weapon, but it's not a hammer. But he's also best buddies with Robert, who wields the hammer, and is also a lot like Thor. So there's a sort of like I guess I call it like a split amalgam. Right. So yeah. in that way, when you when you put put um, 
when you put John and Stannis together, there you sort of get a complete picture of Hitler because <laughs> it's, oh my God. yeah, he's all like getting into like weird occultism thanks to right, right, thanks Mel, to Melisandre. Like, yeah, she's like Mel- dark shit, Lassie, and like yeah, then he dies due to like attrition <laughs> and uh, brutal, yeah. Yeah. brutal. Okay, so anyway, you so, know, you know me my tinfoil but uh yeah. <laughs> that wraps up your number two yeah that, that 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 that's a nice satisfying number two all right sounds good how about your uh number two lady rachel my number two is when danny is sitting over john in the boat oh when he wakes up there at the when end he wakes up oh yeah. what a scene man oh my god Oh my god. And we get the the Danny John theme again in that scene which I played it's something I added to our last episode after we recorded cuz Lord Nick of House Wiccans sent me a bunch of links to this music that comes up in Danny and John scenes and they have their own like melody this theme that keeps playing do, uh, do, do, do. Dun, dun. It's so pretty. Um, So Ramin Jawadi actually did a video and he wrote the score of the bed scene first. Oh, and then because that's then based like, on that's, all of the other um, like and melodies then went kind of, of that. backwards. Yeah. So wow. we get it every time we hear it, it gets a little bit thicker and a little bit bigger and more right. instruments play in it. Yes. And when they finally like have sex on the boat, it's like <laughs> the full orchestra playing. it. Oh, yeah. Sometimes we, when you come up with a song idea, you know, you'll come up with the main melody first and then you have to go back to the beginning and figure out how to get there. Yeah, he talked about that he wanted to introduce this new score. And that way, when the boat scene happened, it's like the the music sounds familiar. Right. But we've only heard it in, you know, the scenes with John and Danny. So it's mm-hmm. it was really cool. I think I actually posted it to the Game of Microphones page. Nice. Yeah, the first we hear of that melody is right when she says, I'll fight for you. After you bend the knee, basically. (laughs) Um, In the cave, yeah. And it's like, it's it's like the full orchestra when they're like on the boat doing it. And it's a much higher octave and it's much bigger sounding, but it grows. So like we get it very faintly when she says, when you bend the knee. And then the next time we hear it, it's um, a little bit thicker, a little bit more orchestra going on. And then we hear it again here. And it's yep. a little bit bigger and it's a little bit longer. Yeah, the second and then time was when Drogon, when I think when John touches John's Drogon. John's touching Drogon. Yep. Yeah. And then we're going to get it next episode, like full and full bore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> bore. And so um, I, John opens his eyes and Danny's staring at him. She's sitting there like kind of watching over him, like, you know, a mother would to her child or a wife would to her husband, you know, yeah, like she's making sure that he's okay. Yeah. It's romantic, man. She's been sitting there and you know, waiting for him. I know. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is I'm sorry. Oh. I'm so sorry. With everything that's happening. He, all he cares about is her feelings. Yeah. I think when John sees that of. dragon falling from the sky, he feels like he killed that dragon. 
Yeah. Because he, he loses. sent the raven. Right. Danny came to rescue him and he failed her. And I think that's why when he sees the Night King go to pull the second spear out, he's just like, go. he kind of sacrifices himself. He's like, yeah. I can't even like bear to look at this woman. I just, I, I am responsible for killing one of the three most unique creatures on the planet and someone's child. Yeah. It's horrible. You know? Not wrong. You know, although she left before she never got the Raven, you know what I mean? Like that, that Raven would have been taken days to get there. And, uh, she left beforehand, you know? Oh, you think so? <laughs> oh, absolutely. That That's one point of view. I, 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 I... <laughs> oh, like when, cause when she like meets with Tyrion and she's all conflicted, that's, I guarantee you, we don't see things in order all the time on this show, you know? Like no. this, this stuff is happening probably like a day after they left to go north, probably. And Danny's like, oh my God, like, you know, like in 24 hours, 48 hours has left since they've gone north. She's freaking out about like, they're all going to their deaths. She's talking about how heroes, like she doesn't want Tyrion to be a hero because all these people that she has deep connections with are heroes, Drogo, Jorah, Dario, this Jon Snow, <laughs> and she's freaking out about it the whole time that she, that they're gone. And she leaves before that Raven even flies for sure. Damn. That's, you know, that, that is there. That's a valid that's a valid point of view. I mean, and there, you know, the case could be made for the idea that like, yeah, she doesn't have to wait for a Raven, but it, you know, and she's got agency. Um, but you know, it's sort of also like waiting for Danny gives them actually something to just not give up over. So they're like actually waiting on that rock for a reason and not just like offing themselves or, or right. Well, it's a hail Mary. They had to try something. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they could figure out some way to fend off, <laughs> fend off all the, the undead legions for <laughs> the week or so that it would take to get Danny the message and to have her fly up at dragon speed. But That's no, true. this, this she left beforehand, you know. It's the only way that this makes any sense. I'm gonna say that that they made it they made it deliberately vague so that the the viewer can make up their own mind because it doesn't really matter what what the what the ultimately like what the timeline is. And I think that people that complain so much about the timeline really missed the point that, you know, you know, maybe it's, she left on her own or Maybe they were on that like a lot longer than it makes it seem like. Yeah. No, I, they were worried about the ice freezing up again and it morning comes and Sandor throws the rock and the ice is frozen. So all the undead come at them realizing the ice is frozen again enough for them to walk on. It was only one night that passed that they were on that Island. By the time night falls, Gendry's back at, at uh, East watch. Yeah. That's one night that we saw. Yeah, I mean that's that's the only night there was that we we know that because that's how long it would take basically for the ice to freeze again. One freezing well, night but, up north. <laughs> but the Night King isn't waiting for the ice to freeze; he's waiting for the dragons to come. So right, once- but the undead legions are waiting for the ice to freeze before they storm the rocky outcropping in the middle of the lake. That's the only thing that's I holding think- them back. The, no, well, the Night King completely controls the undead legions because I believe that he's warging them or he's skin changing them. That's how he controls them. He's and at least so, keeping them like necro like alive through necromancy, animated. 
Yeah. But uh, I mean, the the they attack before the dragons get there. They're they're fighting and attacking when they realize that the ice is frozen because the rock bounces across it, basically. Yeah, well, I mean, because the the Night King, he's got to he's got to sell this to them. Like he can't let them know that he's deliberately waiting for a dragon. So once the jig is up and the the lake is shown to be frozen, then he's got to start. It doesn't even necessarily go. have to go that far, though, because it from my from you know from my perspective, it all like it all lines up right when the dan when the dragons arrive. Like that's just how long it took for the ice to freeze. It's the next morning. They begin attacking and Danny shows up. The timeline just lines up perfectly. It's like it's sort of like um, the usual suspects, how all the way through the movie we're thinking one thing. And then at the end, we learn something and it changes the way we look at everything from the past, like from the from the prior part of the movie. Same thing here. Like we see Danny (laughs) take off and arrive, but. We're, I think we're supposed to figure out that this all happened beforehand because it's it's so far away. It's like a thousand miles from Dragonstone, right? There, it's impossible. Well, also, for, I mean, you make a good this. point, Duncan, because they don't have any fire and they're not going to like survive very long without food and water right. up, up on that rock and like below freezing temperatures. It's only been one night. Thoros died overnight. They wake up, Thoros is dead, and. And this is, yeah. you know, what's happening. And, and you don't see all the nights after that where they had to survive by eating Thoros. <laughs> that was oh my God. That I, I never realized this until this, like yesterday when I rewatched it again and was just thinking like, oh shit, they ate Thoros. Like, I don't just like just uh-huh. randomly just subliminally in my mind, just the term Lake Bacon just popped into my head. <laughs> that's the oh way that, God. yeah, there you go. Like if it did take multiple days, that's the way, that's the only way they could have survived it is, is by eating Thoros. That's what the Night Watch, it's canon that the Night's Watch will do that. They will resort to cannibalism. So yeah. when, when you're talking about how, how, how JR wasn't gonna, li- like, would never like leave one of his men behind, I, I have this 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 crazy theory that he was so adamant about making doesn't sure. Doesn't Alistair thought of? Doesn't he talk about eating people? Yeah, at, like early on in the series. Uh huh. Like first we ate the horses, and then we ate the dogs, and then you don't know cold. Neither of you do. The horses died first. Didn't have enough to feed them to keep them warm. Eating the horses was easy. But later when we started to fall, that wasn't easy. Alistair, yeah, he got stuck beyond the wall for some period of time. and It was supposed to be like six days and it was like six months. I spent six months out there beyond the wall during the last winter. Supposed to be a two-week mission. He had to resort to some horrible shit. It's common practice. And, and why did, jo- why did JR want to bring Sam? Why was Sam so vital? <laughs> In case they had to eat that nice marble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. We should have had a couple of boys like you along, shouldn't we? Soft, fat boys like you. We'd have lasted a fortnight on you. And still had bones left over for soup. 
Because yeah, they they call him Piggy. Yeah. Uh, that that's a hint right there. Because Piggy in Lord of the Flies, what happens to him? Uh, Ew! Oh my God, Lord of the Flies. That was the most disturbing book. Hilarious. Yeah. Piggy. Spoilers for Lord of the Flies. Piggy gets eaten. So <laughs> I, I feel like they they he wanted to make sure that Rast kept Piggy alive because. They were gonna need. They're that. gonna need that the nutrition. Yeah, <laughs> if they got stuck, like that's why. Like he's all just like try to keep the men from mutineering when they're all starving because he's like, you guys don't realize we've got. Yeah, he's a like, man we don't cow. need Craster's larder. We have Sam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's exactly. That's exactly it. Speaking of eating human flesh, Danny and John, they're so romantic together. I just love <laughs> I love oh my god. It. Yeah, <clears throat> he basically kind of continues like i wish i could take it back i but wish before he never... says that he reaches up and grabs her hand right no, when doesn't he apologizes. She, grab, she grabs his hand later, later on he says i'm sorry i'm so sorry and reaches up and grabs her hand and i'm like oh shit first skin to skin contact because <laughs> he touched her jacket with his glove in the cave but here it's like full-on skin on skin contact Oh my god. <laughs> She's tingling. He, he reaches his hand out, but she ta- I remember she like takes his hand. L- later then- she does. She grabs his hand when he bends the knee. He touches it here and she doesn't really hold it back, but then she holds his hand towards the end of the scene. Like she's starting to grip her hand like a little bit too tight and you see her getting a little uncomfortable and then she sort of like with- withdraws her hand and says you need to get to some. You need to get some sleep. Yeah, that's the like, second time when she grabs his hand. Okay. Yeah. Those abs. <laughs> sitting there looking at his abs and his wound. Yeah, yeah, they're so rugged. That's when she like gets a close view of his wounds. She probably sees them though when Davos is stripping off his frozen. She uh, does. She's stuff. standing right there, and she sees that. All the scarring and his hot, sexy washboard abs. <laughs> yeah, that's just like that's. Just like, I don't even know how to, how to how to frame this up, but it's just like I don't. Yeah, she just she just sees him like she's just his. Well, his, she's been pondering about what Davos said about being taking a knife in the heart, and then yeah. she sits there and looks at this wound that's like clearly a deep was a deep wound right over his heart and then she sees like the Multiple. five other stab wounds yeah. that uh, like sh- and she kind of like op- her mouth kind of drops open and right. she realizes that what davos said is true and that there's something very magical about him yeah exactly she sees like a parallel of herself in him that he's like yeah survived the like a miraculous situation type thing and i think that she really starts to see him as an equal in that moment but she's also seeing him as like oh wow not only has he survived like miraculously and come back from death but he's got this incredible body like (laughs) he's like an axe body spray model or something yeah he may be little for a hero but he's got abs she sees how fat he is. There, there you go. Totally. Has two meaning. Uh, cut. Yeah. Because he's so cut. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, 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 Literally way. cut up by yeah. knives. Yeah. He's like, he, yo, that guy is cut. <laughs> <laughs> 
Carry on. <laughs> don't mind me. I don't even know where we are anymore. <laughs> um, she's, um, he's saying, I wish I could take it back. I wish we'd never gone. Oh, yeah. She goes, I don't. If we hadn't gone, I wouldn't have seen. You have to see it to know. Now, now I, I know. know. And I think she's talking about both the undead legions and John's chest wounds. Because if she hadn't had come up north, she wouldn't have seen the undead and she wouldn't have seen John in this vulnerable position and seen the truth of what Davos had said before. So I think this is like a multifaceted implication or statement here that she's making with dual meaning, which is kind of cool. I totally agree. Absolutely yeah. agree. And this, um, since John had just grabbed her hand right before this part where she talks about, you know, he's sorry that they came here ever. And she is glad they came because now she knows they're holding hands at this point. And that connection between the two of them like causes Danny's next statement. She says, the dragons are my children. They're the only children I'll ever have. Do you understand? And in that moment, I think since they're holding hands and they're like looking at each other and realizing that they have this connection, she's basically say, telling him like, if we're going to be together, you need to know, I like I won't kids. be able to have your children. Yeah. And he like accepts that, you know, and it, like, like nods, like it's, it doesn't even matter basically. And it's just like a really powerful moment because he's vulnerable. He's been stabbed. He's near death. And this is like a really vulnerable place for her too. like this admission that like you're a king, I'm a queen. We, we can like, obviously we're drawn together, but if we're together, you need to understand that I won't be able to give you progeny, you know? And that's like a big deal lineage, especially for royalty. Giving heirs. Yeah. They're like basically a torpedo couple at this point. Like what, like, like, Tyrion is saying, like, if you're gone, what what is there? Like, what's keeping us together? Who will sit the Iron Throne? Like, when when Danny and John are done, if they don't have kids, that's it. Like, you know, it'll be another line. They will. Yeah, that's the they're gonna have kids. We get talk about you know with Jorah mentioning like the sword the sword serving John's children, and we also have Tyrion talking about Danny and what's going to come after her the, the idea of succession and here she's talking about how she can't have children, all these mentions of John and children and Danny and children it's foreshadowing that she's going to get pregnant for sure for when, sure when yeah. she least expects it because she thinks it's impossible and that that's kind of. I don't know. Like, cause er, I don't know. Er, earlier when, when you said, you know, you raised the question of whether we don't even know if Jer- Jorah can even have kids. I, I didn't want to like, you know, interrupt, but I'm like, do we, do we even know? Like his stones t- turned to stone maybe. <laughs> I mean, obviously he, he I don't know I, that John, I, I'm not sure. It's like, is his heart beating? I, I thought there was something that, that George said about how like his, but I, I guess he was talking about somebody else. Wait, are you like, talking about John or Jorah? John, like, because I'm saying, like, okay, yeah, yeah, all right. So, so if, if Jorah, yeah, Jorah probably can't can't have kids. But do we know, like, if John, like, he's a white, he's a fire white, I think. No, wait, I'm sorry, I'm getting him confused with because um, George has said that Barrick is a fire white, right? So that and, means that John potentially is a fire white as well, since he's been revived by the Relore, the Lord of Light. Yeah. apparently you know from what we, what it seems so in that case like does does a fire white have a heartbeat are they animated by necromancy are they actually alive it's a good He's question just, yeah i mean is he, he you know, capable of, of of 
you know, is he potent <laughs> or is he? I mean, apparently he can get it up. So indicate blood flow. Blood, so, you know, and he, yeah, his hands haven't turned black. So I guess there right. you go. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how different it is in the books. If wins the winner ever. Yeah. And so, uh, back to this moment with the two of them, she divulges, you know, like we can't have kids and he's okay with it. And he's like, Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> and so they're still like, yeah, yeah. So they're still holding hands and, and this is like a super powerful moment from Danny because he hasn't even bent the knee yet. Right. And so they're still basically just an alliance of two Royal parties at this time. And she tells him, we are going to destroy the night King and his army and we'll do it together. You have my word. And I thought that was so huge that she's committing to this and yeah. committing to a like a, a mutual cause because she sees the significance it, and he didn't even need to bend the knee to earn her, her allegiance and her, you know, her backing basically. Um, yeah. So just really powerful moment that she's dedicating herself to this cause it's it's such a well how could you not dedicate yourself to this cause after you just saw what you just saw right like how could you say oh you still need to bend the knee like there are a hundred thousand dead people like trying to kill us (laughs) yeah it's kind of a moot point at this point i think in danny's mind it's like whatever we we i have three dragons i just pummeled them yes i lost one because we didn't realize that you know the night king was an olympic (laughs) <laughs> ice javelin throw. <laughs> ice javelin um but you know that that battle it was destruction for the night king if he didn't do anything like she could have wiped them all out if he didn't have any weapons to kill her dragons right and if he, she had just attacked him first before he grabbed the ice spear the freaking javelin like could well, i don't think she really knew like right where she just he seen was. her man in danger and she needed to you know she didn't know the dynamics he, she of- didn't know that he was necessarily there okay so I, I have a different take on whether or not the dragons could actually uh defeat the night Kill king. the night king what do you think well i i've like i said i've i have like watched and studied every like frame of that is it because that they when they step on the fire it kind of goes out yeah but there's like as he's stepping forward to pull out the javelin he's ste- stepping through a line of fire there there is a line of fire in in the ice or on the rocks right in front of them where the dragons obviously like torched them just right, it's dragon just, fire yeah straight up like it's just it's still like the rock is still on fire but the you know they obviously like that that line of fire is that like there's this fire that got formed from from the dragon targeting those white walkers that were standing in a row and it didn't kill them right unless they just stepped back calmly because we don't actually see it happen but the the battlefield has these telltale scars of where the dragons attacked and one of them was definitely where the white walkers were standing with the night king and yeah so i i don't know if a direct blast from the the dragons could actually kill them but if the dragons if they play it if they play their cards right uh, i'll say that like the the real advantage the white walkers have now that you know everybody's all armed with like dragon glass and valyrian steel is that they have this army of the dead to stand between them so all you have to do is really get 
like somebody up close who is you know really good at fighting we don't even know how 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 good of a fighter the night king actually is Mm -hmm. but yeah so i i mean yeah if if the dragons can can do the the wave clear then the uh, dps can get in and you know get their their carry fuck yeah we got to get those heavy hitters in there and they're finally teaming up here now in this uh, chamber on the boat here. They're finally joining forces. It's amazing. She is like, we're going to do it together. You have my word. Do it together. Yeah. Yeah. That's what she says. She literally says, we're going to do it together. <laughs> we're going to do it together. Yes, you are a girlfriend. <laughs> He's like, thank you, Danny. And she goes, oh, Danny, who was the last person who called me that? I'm not sure. Was it my brother? I know who was. It was George R.R. Martin, 1,138 times in the first five books of A Song of Ice and Fire. (laughs) (laughs) Precisely. You can go to asearchoficeandfire.com and you can search for any word or combination of words and it'll pop out matches from uh, from the from whatever books you select, whether it's the Duncan Egg novellas, Game of Thrones, Clash of Kings, etc. So I just went in and typed Danny, searched for it for the five for the five books that have been released, the main five, and it's one thousand one hundred thirty eight times that he says Danny. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, so she's she continues, it's not the best company that you want to keep. And he goes, Okay, all right, not Danny. <laughs> How about my queen? She's like, what, 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 <laughs> I'd bend the knee and she's like, what about those who swore allegiance to you? He says, they'll come to see you for what you are. And I loved that line. Yes. And this is when <laughs> she grabs his hand. Foreshadowing. Oh, Sorry. damn. Like, you know, you have to like look at everything after, after season eight comes out, then you have to go back and look at everything in that context and be like, Oh right. man, it was right there. Where, They'll come to see you for what you are. Are we going to have to do another series rewatch, Duncan? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we might. We might. I've been saying that this whole time. Like, dude, you guys are going to see this thing once Once Varys reveals who he really is, you're going to have to see this whole series from a completely different, different perspective. perspective and start it all over again. Yeah. So I, you're I, saying I, that maybe they'll 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 all come to see you for what you are and it could be like the evil like <laughs> mad queen 2.0 yeah the mad queen <laughs> you, definitely, you see hints of it right and she's so touched by what he's saying then that he's bending the knee and swearing allegiance to her and fealty and she's so like happy with him that that he's decided to do this and happy with herself it's like a major accomplishment combining the north with the, you know, the parts of the kingdoms that she already uh, like rules, essentially it's like a huge, it's huge. The North is half of the the seven kingdoms. So the fact that the North is now bending the knee to her is massive, but it's also like more of like a broad statement between like about the way that John sees her and recognizes like the qualities in her. And she's, she's so impacted by this moment. She, this is when she like grabs his hand (laughs) And the John and Danny theme music rises behind them. And she rubs her thumb. She, oh, she, she rubs does? his skin with her thumb. Yeah. That's awesome. That's it's always like, cool. oh, she's she's feeling it. Yeah, like she's turned on. Like you know, like uh, the way that he sees her now, she likes it. And uh yeah, she grabs his hand and she hopes that she deserves it. And he's like, You do. <laughs> 
And that's when she she's like, it's all hitting her so fast. And she's like letting her emotions out by like grabbing his hand and rubbing his hand with her with her thumb. Like you're saying, I think she realizes that like she's she's like letting it all out too quickly. <laughs> she like pulls well, back. I think, and- what's, I think what's happening is she's a queen and he's a king and they're supposed to be very strong and unyielding and and they're not supposed to feel vulnerable or weak. And they do towards each other they're because really they're attracted up. to each other. Yeah. I mean, John, you know, this is an uncomfortable feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're like, he, she's seeing his body, you know, like the symbolic of how like the, he's, he's, his armor has been removed at this point. He's softened to her. Um, she's divulging her most vulnerable secrets as well that she, she is infertile as far as she knows. Like, yeah, they're both like in very vulnerable positions in the scene for sure. Very open Which with is each other. uncomfortable for a king and a queen to feel that way, yeah. but they just can't deny it. Yeah. So she kind of like, oh, like freaks out a little bit and like kind of pulls her hand back away. And she's like, you should, you should get some rest. <laughs> and he just kind of like closes his eyes. <laughs> I, I like how he does that too. Cause that's like such a, you know, I, was he like 16 in the books? Uh, oh, something like that. There's certain times when John no acts very much like, you know, the little boy or, you know, the, the, the adolescent boy. And that, that's one of those, just the way he, you know, that's quickly so like back and like shuts his eyes, like, okay, I'm going to sleep now. <laughs> and then he kind of like peeks though. Oh, does he? Yeah. Yes. I missed that. That's funny. He, like he closes his eyes and then she's leaving the room and he kind of like looks over at her and then closes his eyes again. Nice. Oh man. It's so cool. Like finally seeing them like really come together and like admit like they're kind of their feelings for each other. And like that moment when she talks about the, like how she can't have children, that's like really like a moment where they're thinking about a future together, you know, which is fucking wild, man. After seven seasons here at, it's just such a powerful moment. I mean, after all the anticipation of all the years where they've been in different continents and we're just imagining them finally meeting up, like seeing it happen is so crazy. It's like, it's like um, seeing the tower of joy scene, the same type of feeling for me, just like, yeah. wow, wow. Like, this is nuts. You know, uh, I just thought I just occurred to be like the, the, the punnery of the term anticipation. <laughs> with his oh. aunt there's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be that reveal too <laughs> uh, that's gonna be wild <laughs> oh um, man so do you guys have anything else you want to add to my number two um i mean that, that's i think that's pretty much it i just such a cool scene is that the same bed that they get in yeah uh no no because oh it's her chamber it's different, different ship he maybe. goes to her chamber so yeah. When they do it, but they lay him in this like bed. It looks like the same room. It does look like the same room. Maybe this yeah. is the room she ends up in later. Yeah, maybe they just like laid him in there fast. Who knows that this is even if this is even the same boat though? You know what I mean? Like that's true. Maybe yeah. it's like Danny's royal ship that they're on next time or something. Yeah, you know, I don't know. It looks like the same place though. Where are we? My number two at this point. Yes, your number two. All right, my number two is. Arya's bullseye. Ooh. Which is just such a cool moment. Um, it's really Man. small, but it's just that little scene between that, just that little story that Arya tells about remembering growing up in Winterfell and 
she's standing up on the the second floor um, balcony type of thing with Sansa, and she's talking about how about how father used to watch them from up there, right where they were at this, right where they're standing at this moment. And he wouldn't say much, but uh, you probably, she, she sort of throws some shade at Sansa here. You probably don't remember. You were inside knitting all the time. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I remember. But she's like, one time, you know, she goes to the story about how they were all shooting arrows with Sir Roderick and Bran had left his bow out. And she comes out and finds it and she's like, oh, he would have been in trouble. Roderick would have cuffed him for that because it's against the rules to leave your bow and arrow out. <laughs> so she's like, oh, this is my moment. There's nobody around to stop her. <laughs> and she goes and gets that bow, gets that arrow and starts shooting at the target. And she wasn't very good. And she, every there was only the one arrow that was sticking to the target. So she'd have to go up and grab it and go back to her spot base or to her place and shoot again and she was terrible but every shot that sh she would get a little better and finally she hit the bullseye it might have been the 20th shot might have been the 50th shot she doesn't remember doesn't remember but what she does remember is the sound that she heard a clap from the balcony as Ned is watching her achieve this this awesome victory over the the target and the bow and it's just such a powerful moment because she's talking about how she knows that she was breaking the rules, but she saw her father smiling. So she also knows that what she's doing wasn't wrong. And she realizes that it was, it's the rules that are wrong and that she's doing what she was meant to be doing. And he knew it. And I love this. It's like Ned is watching over her as she's finding her own path and achieving her accomplishments. And he's smiling, watching her like find what she's meant to be doing and doing it. And I thought that it was just sort of like a symbolic of like, maybe like a bigger thing that that's what she's still doing. She's striking her own path. She's going out, figuring out what she's meant to be doing and she's doing it. And she's getting revenge for the red wedding on the phrase, you know, and she's doing all this yeah. stuff. And I feel like just like Ned was smiling down at her from the second floor there when she hit that bullseye, that just like he's watching over her still, you know what I mean? Totally. Uh, I I kept thinking of, of this scene or that line specifically when we were going through the whole uh, faceless men story arc with her where like she's like, you know, going against the rules, but it's like, I just kept thinking like, yeah, <laughs> wrong. Right. You know, right. Like she, you know, this is what the faceless men's official rules are saying, but you they know, suck. ultimately it's up to the gods to decide what's right or wrong. And, you know, the, I think it's like she was came through that because she was doing what was right in the eyes of the, the many faced gods that he approved. And, uh, Right. You know, also, since Dokken is secretly Rhaegar and she's just like Lyanna, he's also like forsaking his duty because, you know, that, that whole thing happens. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I think that. The rules. Oh, yeah. The rules are wrong. I, I like that, man. Like, you know, sometimes, you know, law, law does not equate to morality. You know what I mean? So just because there's a law or just because there's a rule doesn't mean that it's just because it's the law, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's good to be able to um, recognize the difference and think for yourself and question authority and determine your own morality and your own path. 
and have your own agency. And that's something that, uh, that Aria has always exhibited, you know, and, and Ned is just smiling down from the balcony when she hits the bullseye. And then probably again, smiling down on both her and Sansa when they team up and, and foil Baelish's plot and execute him, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, Next episode, yes. I'm thinking that Ned is smiling down on both of them as they're achieving victory over an maybe enemy of the Starks. Him. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah that, 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 that's a whole like mind bender. Totally. That like boggles my mind. Like, I, I just thought I'd, you know, just when I think I'd like come, like, thought over like every possible like pinfoil thing and come, come to a conclusion about it, like Rachel. <laughs> Tinfoil monkey wrench into things. I'm like, wow, I don't what I think <laughs> Did about this. I guy. find tinfoil. <laughs> yes, you told me you would you were gonna give me a piece of tinfoil and you you have. You, uh, you have it. <laughs> Classic. Yes. Yeah. So that pretty much wraps up my number two. Um how about your number one, Sir Patrick? Or unless there's oh, anything yeah. you guys want to add about that scene. No, I don't think so. I yeah, loved I it too. So. Nice. Yeah, right. I mean, I I could go I could go off on a huge tangent about like <laughs> we're wrong and Liana with Rhaegar and him breaking the rules and acting on his agency and is that because love is the death of duty or because he was trying to make the prince that was promised because he works on a higher level than everything else? But you know, we could just we could just move on. Yeah. Oh, there is an interesting <laughs> moment. I've. I think, did I mention it when, um, in the pre- previous episode I meant to love being the death of duty when, when Arya finds out that Jon Snow is at Winterfell and she, um, she changes path going from King's Landing to kill Cersei oh, and, oh, and goes man. up to the North. That's, oh, damn. that's Frost love. Roads. Yeah. It's all, yeah. Cause Lyanna probably met Rhaegar at the end of the crossroads and it's all, it's all there. It's uh, all connected. But yeah, like, um, she, that's love being the death of duty. Her duty was to go down there and to take out Cersei, you know, and love her love for John st- made her stray from that path and head North. And that, that decision that she made mean, meant that Cersei ended up surviving as long as she did. If Arya hadn't found out that John was up North from hot pie, she could have gone down South, killed Cersei, saved Danny and John a whole lot of trouble. <laughs> Or, you know, prevented the ultimate way of just defeating the army of the dead because, you know, the whole Cersei wildfire thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That too, potentially. Yeah. I think that's how it's going to end is that Cersei's going to have. Yeah, they're going to. Well, maybe not Cersei, but somebody's going to like wildfire ignite that wildfire. Nice. Maybe they don't need before. Who knows? So uh, let's uh, move on to your number one, Sir Patrick. What you got? Okay, um, I'm just calling it the most epic metal concert of all time. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, just the what they call the the frozen lake battle, which uh, you know, of course, it's an ocean inlet. But uh, um, this is my number one too. The battle, nice. Okay, um, the uh, I don't know so much to say about it. Like, first of all, they call it the frozen lake battle in the you know the the behind the scenes stuff after the show called the frozen lake battle but you know i i I don't know if this got through in my in my ravens calls because the episode hasn't come out yet but um 
when Gendry meets John for the first time, when they're talking about it in the after the show thing, they say, you know, John and Gendry, of course, they immediately have so much in common. They're both bastards. And we right. know that's, you know, not true. So they, they'll, they'll, they're saying it from the, the character's point of view at the time. So just, just to establish that, even though they call it the frozen lake battle, I say that with air quotes. But uh, yeah, so I, I just feel like this is sort of like this is black metal versus power metal. And it's just like I just <laughs> see this like set up. There's like stage diving and like pyrotechnics and like, you know, dragons flying in and just. Uh, it, it just so who's feels black like metal and who's power metal? Well, power metal is obviously the heroes. They're just like, you know, singing in their like falsetto voices and saying death to false metal. And then obviously the Night King and his crew are black. Metal. Nothing's more power metal than dragons. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, that is totally power metal. And then nothing's more black metal than having an army of corpses and like, right. you know, like demonic, like Norwegian folklore inspired, like dudes yeah you could say black metal or you could say death metal <laughs> death metal i uh, see death metal i think that's more like uh gregor that's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 i can see that i can see that just uh but um you know like uh george i just found this out in college he took a class on like uh, uh norwegian or scandinavian history and mythology and all that and that's apparently like was a huge uh, source of uh, inspiration. And I, I know you guys uh, talked about that. You did a, um, uh, you read an article that went into like all of the different um, uh, folklore mythological influences on the white walkers. And a lot of it was just Scandinavian folklore. Mm. Yeah. I feel like uh, black metal would just be very, yeah, black appropriate. black metal dudes very much, but it's it's also completely ironic because the others, the the White Walkers and all that, they're so based on the Grateful Dead that it's kind of like this hilarious sort of tongue tongue in cheek. Like, yeah, they're totally black metal. But wait, how are the, the White Grateful Walkers based on the Grateful Dead? How are they not? <laughs> I mean, okay, like you know, they come from the Wear Trees, named after Bob Weir the you know from the grateful dead yeah but we- the weirwood trees are named after bob weir that doesn't mean that the night king like or the white walkers are representative of the uh of the grateful dead i mean that could mean bran is representative of the grateful dead it could mean okay. children of the forest <laughs> funny you mentioned that because i think bran is the night king but, right <laughs> um, uh, also uh, yeah, i noticed like first how was the the night king created they they crucified him to a weirwood tree and, and something i actually only recently really noticed is the texture of the white walkers that's not like rotting skin texture that's actually weirwood tree like they have the skin of a weirwood tree oh that's interesting yeah, that white yeah. i noticed that too skin. that they're really like it's not skin i thought maybe it was ice yeah his horn- but it could be like weirwood I always thought it was skin, but like old looking skin. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I always thought that too. But I, I I don't know. For some reason, like since I've been like looking at more like close up pictures of him, I've really noticed the texture is like it's tree texture and it's just white and, and tree. <laughs> and 
also um yeah he i mean he was created by being crucified to a weirwood tree and i mean when you when you think of a grateful dead shirt you're thinking of skeletons dancing around that tree with the face and oh shit and and as we've seen it skeletons now i'm, I'm i know the bears but now yeah I'm, are there like skeleton bears yeah now we even have a bear oh yeah <laughs> we've to this episode we've actually we've got a bear uh, yeah you know, skeleton bear yeah it's all it's all connected and i feel like he's always been like you know he's always implanting these little like nods towards his favorite pop pop culture type stuff yeah so i i don't know so where where are we with your number one um i'm just talking about how how metal it is oh Uh, right, right right by the way the uh the island that they're standing on uh is you can see the there's these like um, stone formations all around the area, and you also see them in the Hard Home episode. All around Hard Home, there's sort of like these pillars of stone that are just kind of like jutting up, and then like just have a flat top to them. Hmm. Uh, those are actually found all around Iceland. I was going to say com- that's Icelandic geology. Yeah, that they're they're formed from uh, like lava underground lava tubes, just. The heat, like forcing up. These, did like, they did they shoot this in Iceland? Yeah. Oh, nice. Pretty much everything. I've always you, wanted to go to Iceland, man. Man, I, I me I, too. I wanted to go with Jerome Flynn when he was leading his little expedition out there. Oh shit! But anyway, those things—they're called. Uh, the name of them is Dimu Borgir, which is. Oh, that's the. I know the <laughs> band Dimu Borgir. Yeah, one of the world's uh, like most popular black metal bands. Yeah, Puritania. <laughs> Love that song. Uh, actually, I, I think I only know like one of their songs, but I just thought you know that that's interesting too. There's just like all this like uh, like there's it's just so much like it's so. What's the Demon Borgir connection though? Like those 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 stone formations that are formed from the underground lava. Tubes. They're called Demu Borgir. Yeah. And oh, I didn't actually, know that. Yeah, the folklore is actually that they are the the remains of trolls that were tricked to staying out uh, after the sun came up, so they turned to stone. Damn. But uh, yeah, that, I mean that that's pretty fucking metal too. So, Super metal. I, I, it's really like yeah, and then you've got the one dude like stage diving. That, oh, that, that jumps out, that falls off the cliff there. Okay. And gets I, like, I mean, the whole thing is just like, I, I, they're I like can't. on center stage with all the fans are those like the whites that are like crowding all around the, the stage there. <laughs> like the, the other stage is sort of like a battle of the yeah, bands. Yeah, battle of the bands. That's what I was thinking. Hilarious. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't help but think that there, that sort of, uh, that imagery w- didn't go unnoticed by the, the directors. I right. mean, because, yeah, so you could say that, that the, the Eastwatch Seven and Danny together are Dragon Force, and we could yeah. say that. Oh my um, god, I love Dragon Force. <laughs> and we could say that the Night King and his group are Metalocalypse. <laughs> there you yeah. go. Fuck yeah. Or Death Clock. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Death Clock. Like, there you go. Yeah, Death Clock. There's sort of a power Nathan explosion, death, black metal kind of. Uh, uh, yeah. all right anything else you want to mention about the metalness of the scene um it's just fucking metal (laughs) yes uh, i've I've got a whole lot to say about it but yeah that that, that's my number 
one. All yes. right. So moving on to Rachel, your number one is the big battle as well, right? Yeah. All right. Take it away. You know, oh God. Um, I just loved how it kind of starts. They, Sandor's getting antsy. <laughs> he's yep. getting, he's fucking with them. He's waking up in the morning. He's like, ah, <laughs> he just can't sit I still. <laughs> he can't sit still. He goes over and kicks the, the captured one. And they yep. all scream. That was so funny. He, yeah, he, yeah, he's beaten up on that one first. Because it woke them all up. Oh, all right. Yeah, gotcha. That's that, that's what I gathered. There's a funny shot of him them up. all waking up to like all encrusted with ice and everything. Ooh, <laughs> my God. Sandor was like leaning on Jon Snow and he like sort of like sits up straight and you can see how giant he is compared to Jon. Yeah, Jon like, is whoa. not. He's little tall. for a hero, like Danny said. <laughs> He's little for a hero. <laughs> Maybe Tyrion said that. Uh. Uh, so <laughs> he chucks the rock and goes, damn cunt. Damn cunt. Nails that guy right in the head and knocks his jaw off. <laughs> and then the, the white walker just kind of like kind of leans back and then like sits back straight up. Yeah, and then no reaction. Hilarious. I noticed right away that the water had fro- like froze back over, mm-hmm. but they were all standing, you know, where they had stopped. So they could have just like started walking and it was the rock that Sandor threw that, you know, showed them that it was solid again. Yep. And the guy kind of like the white Walker kind of looks at it and then takes a step. Yeah. Dragging his sword oh. like Michael oh, Myers. Fuck. <laughs> Yeah, that 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 always gives me the chills. Like just yes. when the music starts up and the the sword is just dragging on the ice. That is so freaking cool. I I, I can't. It's beyond beyond words. Just how freaking awesome that scene is. Right. It's so like metal. you just know. You just <laughs> super metal. <laughs> um, you just know that like this is not good. So they all start kind of standing up and. You just know, like, they start drawing their swords, and then other White Walkers start kind of trailing behind the first one. Get that overhead shot where they're all just enclosing in on that little island. I'm surprised they didn't, like, rush them. Well, if they had, then there's a possibility that all that weight would have created another break in the ice. So does this Mm. indicate that they have some type of consciousness? Well, Patrick was suggesting that they're essentially like a hive mind controlled by the, the night 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 King. King. Yeah. Yeah. The way, the way that Bran was, uh, skin changing into a whole flock of Ravens in the last episode. I think that, uh, well, okay. So there, there's, there's a story. Apparently George wrote a a sci-fi story a, a while ago where, there's a character who pilots a ship or maybe it's a giant mech or something, but it's, it needs a whole crew of people to operate it. But this one guy, he has like basically the skin changing ability. It's called something else, I think, but he uses a whole bunch of corpses to, to pilot all the different stations to operate mech. And so there's like this theory based on that, that the night King is, basically using skin changing to it's to like warging operate. but with dead things basically you're, yeah. you're saying yeah necro warging <laughs> there you necro go warging. Oh, that, that's a black metal song right there yeah it is. <laughs> <laughs> totally 
Yeah. So we, we just get this incredible, another great battle. I mean, we just, we're just coming off loot train, yep. which was a very fiery battle. And now we're back up in the North. Yeah. So it's that one white that, that Sandor knocks his jaw off with a rock. He keeps coming at him. He comes at him and yeah, it's the first one, pissed. right? He comes out first and Sandor nails him with the hammer, knocks him off to the left. And then he comes back at him again. <laughs> and Sandor yeah, eventually crushes him. Yeah. He's like, God damn the it. Same fucking white. Ugh. Yeah. I, I, I look at that, that white whose name is uh, officially dumb cunt. <laughs> yeah. Fun. Yeah. Yeah the script um he he's sort of like like this symbolic like revenant that like represents sandor's like fuck ups that keeps coming back oh, to, to like, haunt him fuck with him like yeah because it's like he's when when sandor like makes that hole with the hammer like that hole in the ice yep that like he almost loses torment almost gets dragged into it it's by the same exact guy like dumb cunt is almost drags uh torment into that hole right and um it's it's all like this all starts because sandor threw that rock and kind of like makes them all realize that it's safe to attack too Uh Mm uh-huh and then then he also like creates this the hole that uh that torment almost gets dragged into and and he gets thoros killed he like freaks out and doesn't react to the bear and thoros gets killed because of it yeah Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit um all right where are we rachel i just we're just kind of like in the battle it's just starting and they're they're starting to kind of encroach and um beric dondarian like lights his sword on fire and he's stabbing the shit out of him and so sick it's so badass and you know they're they're losing some of the the what i want to call like not main characters like one guy gets the red shirts yeah, drug off and eaten and, um, e- you know, it's just, it's kind of a class. It's again, it's really claustrophobic, um, kind of like Battle of the Bastards because they're, in, they're surrounded by yeah, the enemy. They totally. don't really have a way out. And yeah, very similar. Um, you know, Jorah has the, the, um, dragon glass daggers and he's going at it and, you just see kind of all their different fighting styles. I love that the hound has the hammer. Oh yeah. He's wailing yeah. on dudes with it. I think he ends up putting it down and grabs some like, like yeah. a sword or some daggers or something, but uh He trades crowd control for DPS. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So um they the the White Walkers are trying to get their buddy. That's that's stuck up on the hill. And one of them, I think, yeah, it's Beric that lights him on fire and he crawls onto the one that they're trying to bring down at King's Landing. And John like rips him off and, oh, yeah. and pounces on him and tries to put the fire out because they don't want that one burning because they're he's already caught. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it's just kind of chaos all around. And Torment gets like knocked out and his starts face is all bloody. Awful. 
Yeah, he kind of gets a little disoriented help and he me. falls to the ground. <laughs> I love that he's calling for help and the hound fucking comes to help yeah. him. I was Dude, like, yay! He's, he's like getting dragged into that hole and they're like coming up out of the out of the water and like grabbing on his legs and pulling him and he's like, ah, 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 as he's getting like dragged into the hole. I and know, it, it reminded so me in the, <laughs> It reminded me of this scene in The Brave Little Toaster where, <laughs> where Blanky is getting eaten by mice and like dragged into like their little underground lair and he's like, no! <laughs> They're like pulling him down. Help me! Help! They're killing me! Hey, you leave him alone! Uh, do you remember Brave Little Toaster? <laughs> you know what I'm talking boring. about? I, I know, I've seen that. It's been so long, I don't remember the scene, but I remember being very moved by that film when I saw it. It's such thing. a good movie, man. Oh my God, Tor- is Tormund. So he's blanky. He's blanky, yeah. He's blanky. <laughs> <laughs> I remember yeah. really feeling. Was in as a child. Uh, <laughs> um, he, so, um, he, I forget if it was the director of the of the episode or if it was um, like uh, D or or other D or somebody, but they're they're like they said that like they're watching the scene like of Tormund getting dragged to to his watery his potential death and just being like, Oh no, Tormund's a goner. Yeah. But even like, though they like wrote it <laughs> I, like that. It was so, so convincing. Effectively. And like, seriously, like I, I've, it, 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 it would get me on the edge of my seat. Like having rewatched it so many times each time would yeah. be just like, like, Oh shit. Uh, Tormund. <laughs> like even knowing that, you know, like, yeah, super intense. The, the way they did that was so, so well done. And like, People complained about it. They, they like fucked with us. It was like, oh, he, they didn't even like kill off the Tormund because he's popular or whatever. Like, come on, like you know, like yeah, I, I don't know. L- we still losing. have season eight, you know. Yeah, the you, you just wait till season eight. <laughs> yeah, Got to have some of your heroes around for the for the final, yeah. you know, hurrah. Yeah, and also like you know, all it's like they've they've earned that moment by unflinchingly killing main characters this whole time. True. Like, you really have no idea who's going to survive or not. So the fact that he's that he happens to survive that like doesn't cheapen it at all. Right. Russian roulette. You survive most of the time. You have no idea that you don't. There's no like plot armor to it where you you know that he's going to survive. I mean, yeah. And then like right as things are looking really bad and like the music is all insane and and he's like, oh, oh, and they're like biting on him. All of a sudden there's yeah. like a draw, like a power cord, death metal power cord comes through and Sandor just whack, knocks all the whites off of him and grabs him. And I'm like, yes, admit it, Sandor, you like Tormund. You like him. Of you course guys- they do. They're like the same people. <laughs> yeah, the future best buds. They're, they're sort of like bonded by that moment. Cause like at the end of the episode, they like give each other this like knowing like nod. Oh, like really? That. I missed that too. I must have oh, taken yeah. notes. Oh yeah, they like nod to each other like, got you, dude. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, he's sort of, he's sort of won, won the hound over just by being like tenacious and totally lynching. Like, because right, like, before, un- right before the hound saves Tormund, that one guy falls and no one even bats an eye. They're just like, yep just keep going yeah they don't try to save him and i also think that it's how they connected over brienne you know that they both um like find respect like they respect this big monster beast woman and um 
yeah, I think that that sort of was like, oh, like, you know, Tormund, Tormund sees it too. Like, I, I respect him. But also, like, if Tormund had died in this moment, it would have been sort of Sandor's fault for making that hole. And, you know, for, for you know, alerting dumb cunt to the whole, like, you know, the whole thing would have been his fault, but yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, we already lost Thoros because of, I mean, kind of because of Sandor, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. And then like, as like Sandor had a chance to save Thoros too, and he's sat there stunned, like unable to attack as he had the yeah. opportunity, um, sadly. Uh-huh. So yeah, definitely a lot of, a uh, lot of ha- blame to go around for the hound here in this whole episode, you could say. <laughs> yeah. It's a wild well, card, you know, yeah, the hound was just like not gonna have that on his conscience too. With everything else that he's got to right. live with, he's like totally. Just like, I feel like that sort of kind of cemented their bond even further, just because he Agreed. was like not his mistakes. Like, yeah, he's like, guy he's like, I already lost Thoros. I'm not not gonna lose Tormund as well because of me. Yeah, definitely. Oh man, and uh, so it's right about this time john's like pull back you know fall back pull everybody back. yeah and yeah. and everything sort of like cuts into slow motion and you can see how everything is like fucked up like john and tormund in a in like a frantic battle moment turn towards each, towards each other with their swords and almost stab each other luckily realizing that they're friendlies before they, do they attack that same move in the battle, battle of the, of the bastards. bastards yeah and then the yeah. hound is in distress here like with surrounded by whites and Beric is swinging his fire sword just constantly and jorah is frantic and you can see like the panic on his face and oh. as he's grimacing well they know it's over i mean yeah. there's no way that they're going to survive this right. they can go out swinging their swords in bravery, but they're not going to survive. It's like, it's like sort of like the same emotion of like the slow motion hits right before in the battle of bastards, when John looks up and sees the wall of horses riding towards him. And he's Mm -hmm. like, this is it. Um, right after the stage diving scene is when the slow motion kicks in, when John is like reaches to like grab the guy's hand, but like just misses. And then he's just looking down. back. Swallowed into the, into the swallowed into the sarlacc pit of of whites. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then that's when it all gets like yeah. There's like the lull in that the, ethereal slow mo feel where everybody's just realizing that they're all fucked and preparing yeah. to die. And John like grabs his sword and just like is watching as the whites are climbing up that cliff where the guy had just fallen off on the on the side of the outcropping and, and they're scrambling up and it's like world war Z as they're just like piling up on top of each other until they get to the height of that little, that little outcropping and they're going to climb on and shit is just going down. And it's right at that moment where you, I love that you see John duck before you hear or see anything yourself. Yeah, I think you you see like a little bit of a glow or something. Like a glow. Yeah, and yeah, then John just, just a ducks. just faint and, glow. Boom, and there's just and like... And this girl comes oh down to God. save him. Yeah, and they're just like... The, the dragon fire is just exploding. The ice and the whites are just like... So badass. Just fucking, yeah, yeah, super metal. It's so metal. Yeah, super metal. Just big <laughs> explosions, and Danny flies over John with Drogon. And, and all three of the, I, when I was a first time viewer, I was like, oh my God, she has all three dragons. Yeah, 
Yeah. This is the first time we've seen all three of them, like, just annihilate the enemy. Well, second time, because we saw them all destroy that one ship in Marine. But that's just one ship. Yeah, yeah. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. But it's just one ship. Yeah, yeah. So like, they're all just like fucking going crazy here. And uh, Danny flies over John and Drogon, and she's looking down, and he's looking up at her, and they make eye contact. And it's just like I love a, you. a moment. Yeah, like I'm here for you, my love. You know, I'm here to save you. And uh, it's just so crazy. And there's this one shot after one of the dragons just rips over the ice. It cuts to an underwater shot. And you just see all these whites just sinking down. Floating. Yeah. Or sinking, I guess. Yeah. And then Drogon lands on the island and sort of like protectively like spans his wings all the way around our, our heroes. And, and John just runs right over towards Drogon and Danny looks down at him and she just like reaches down like, crap, like, take my hand. I'm here for you, you know, and he reaches up. But then he, he realizes that he's still responsible for the rest of these men, you know, and he's not going to jump on the dragon before they do. And he turns to start fighting off whites to clear the area with his with his Valyrian steel so that the others can load the white and themselves onto the onto the onto Drogon. And he's, he's handling wave clear so the rest of his team can handle the objective. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's, I just think of this episode in a lot of video game terms. Yeah, totally. So he's fighting them off and they're, all the other guys are climbing on. And and we're seeing in the background, you know, it cuts to the Night King and he's getting out his javelin as another White Walker pulls it out and calmly hands it to him. And John cuts back to John, and he's fighting off all these whites. And Sandor drags the 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 white captive up onto Drogon and impales him on one of Drogon's spikes to keep him in place. <laughs> so yeah. cool! And think about this: this is Sandor's first time seeing a dragon, and yeah. even though they breathe fire, he doesn't freak out. Good for you, Sandor. He keeps it together and climbs on top of this fire beast. Um, which I thought literally you know, fire made flesh. Yeah. I had to give him credit for that. Um, staying on well, staying focused here and overcoming his fear. I mean, he's lived in castles that have, are lit by torches. So it's not like he like can't like, he's just, he's not like he's reek about it. He know? is though. He freaked out at the battle of the bastards and quit. I mean, at the battle of the Blackwater Bay and quit. And then here at this yeah. scene, he saw the fire or like earlier, he saw the fire bear and frozen his tracks and almost got killed. Yeah, but it's like, <laughs> like like he's never been able to like be a, in a place that's like lit by a torch or something. Like, uh, I mean, well, it's not. I mean, it's one thing to have a torch around. It's another to have like a threatening beast, you know. And that's the thing is that the dragon wasn't threatening Sandor. Maybe you know that he was on is, on his team, wasn't uh, breathing fire at him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, so Sandor is climbing up there and does that, and Danny. Danny's doing her thing and all of a sudden we cuts back to the Night King and he's got the javelin in his hand and he it's sort of it's like a third person shooter view over his shoulder as we see Viserion soaring in the in the distance and the Night King pulls back his arm and and gets ready to launch that javelin and just whips yeah. it and that thing just wow like really really launches <laughs> yeah. and it's like uh, it, it launches into his neck as he's breathing fire so it yeah. sort of ex- 
explodes because of the fire that's coming out. Yeah, all the fire like shoots out of the hole in his neck and it like, oh, it's like, like, you know, those famous pictures of like a plane with its like its engine on fire, like falling into the ocean yeah. in World War II or something like that. It's oh, like, man. yeah, it's like with a dragon version of that as his fire is like seeping through the, the bullet hole, essentially the javelin hole in his neck. And he's like crying in pain and falling towards the uh, the ice. And Danny looks up and sees him and Drogon screams in reaction and John oh, is watching in horror, and Viserion just goes crashing down into the ice, and and creates like this huge pathway where it just the ice gets ripped up under his weight, and he's it finally stops him, and he he stops for a second on the ice, and then his weight starts to drag him in, and, and like he, that for that brief moment that he's paused there on the ice. You can see his like the last life sort of yeah. leave his eyes and his eyes close and he starts sinking into the water and fuck it never gets any easier to watch this. <laughs> no, I hate it. And Danny's face, yeah. she like watches her beautiful creature fall from the sky is just like it's hard yeah. for me to even look at her. And it it cuts to this shot where it's panning along each of their reactions and Sandor is in shock, Tormund just the look of shock and horror on Tormund's face is just and insane. And looks over at Danny. Yeah, and yeah, as it pans to Danny, Jorah looks over at her, more concerned about her reaction. And and I'm thinking, fucking go quick before he grabs another ice javelin, you know? And then it cuts over to John, and John freaks the fuck he's out. He's devastated, he and he's going to take it out on a bunch of White Walkers. Yeah, it's like... Without like he has like this connection to the dragons. It's like that he's yeah. it's like deep and he doesn't seem to like know why, but he probably thinks it's just because they're Danny's dragons and he loves Danny, but he's a Targaryen, okay. you know. This is in his blood. Okay, check this out. So re- remember how like when they were back at Dragonstone and Danny was asking John, she's like, So, you know, they're named after my brothers. So you've lost two brothers too. Right. Like this scene basically this is Rickon and Ramsey all over again. Oh this is, man! This oh, is Rickon not, or this is Viserion not knowing how to zigzag, zigzag. and and this is the Night King oh, just fuck. just takes him out, and then John looks right at him and charges and completely, again. Completely loses his composure. Yep. you know he pokes a dragon, and he's like ready to freaking like go ballistic on the Night King yeah. until like. He realizes, oh, that he's shit, got another I just, spear. I just completely just played right into his hands by like losing my shit. And right. like, no, like oh. while well, I could have been getting out of there and hopping on the dragon and leaving, I've been attacking, giving him time to reload. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. sees him grabbing that spear and he just turns. Like, oh, no, leave. Yeah, get out of here. Heroes do stupid things and, and get killed. Yes. And he starts running back towards Danny and gets tackled right through the ice. And as if losing Viserion and seeing him sink into the water wasn't bad enough. Danny's watching her love now. John mm-hmm. t- being tackled and disappearing into the frozen, murky water. And she yeah, hesitates and- for a second before telling Drogon to leave and she's just watching as the bubbles are coming up as John screams as he's sinking and yeah oh man and the fact that you see the bubbles coming out of his mouth as he's going down like 
I mean, I, uh, anybody who's who's heard my crappy Rider in the Night episode yeah. knows what I about um, what happens next. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, you know, it's like if the bubbles are coming out of his mouth, he's and he's still crawling out of that hole. Like minutes later, like it's pretty safe to say that he freaking died again. Uh, I mean, nobody was uh, around him when he got resurrected the first time. Nobody was around now. He could have died and, <laughs> you know, come back to life this time as well. Who knows? I know. Nobody saw it either time. <laughs> oh, man. So, so Drogon sort of freaks out now and starts scrambling off of the, the little rocky outcropping and he like steps on the ice and realizes that he's it's not going to hold. And he's like scrambling for a second as he's trying to flap his wings hard enough to take off and fuck it's so intense he's he's flying off and the night king is launching his second javelin and it just barely misses and this is where Braun actually saved drogon's life if you think about it because drogon knows like through the experience of of that first projectile Wow, yeah. great point. He got hit with that. That's that, a great point. Yeah, he got hit with a giant bolt from the uh, from the scorpion, and now he's like, "Oh shit!" Like he know he's dodge, familiar with ju- the threat. Yeah, dodge, <laughs> yeah dodge. he knows yeah. how to zigzag now. Uh huh. Oh man, fuck. Love yeah, it. good call. Good thing they have the hound there too, to who, who's like strong enough to to grab Jora. Um, Jora, who like falls off, falls off the fucking dragon's back. Holy. Fuck yeah, man, man, are we lucky that the hound is there? Yeah, he fucked up and got Thoros killed and started the onslaught that almost got everybody killed. But at least but he, he saves Jorah. <laughs> yeah, he saved Tormund <laughs> and, and Jorah. Jora. Yeah, that was a big moment. And then Danny, as they're flying off, she's just looking back in in absolute horror, what looking down and just. I think she's trying to see him, but yeah, the, the earth is so John. scarred, and there's like ice and dirt and water everywhere, and it's hard to even. Like it took me a minute. I actually paused it to see where was the rock that right. they were standing yeah, like, on in yeah. the, in her image, like what she was looking at, and you know it's just impossible Real hard to, to see. I I was able to find it, but like sure. in regular like regular time, it's really hard to find in it in the heat of the moment, yeah. you know, and all the chaos and yeah, and so if if as if losing Viserion wasn't bad enough, like. Danny is fucking devastated at the thought of yeah. losing John also. Like this is what she was worried about earlier in the episode when she's talking to Tyrion. She's saying heroes make stupid decisions and get killed. And she's talking about Drogo and and everything like that. And she brings up this Jon Snow and it's clear that she's worried about John and worried about him getting killed. And this is exactly what she thinks is happening right now. She's, she went up and she managed to save Jorah and to complete the mission. But what she feared the most has seemingly just unfolded right in front of her eyes. And like only she could survive the Dosh Colleen being set ablaze or stepping into Drogo's pyre. Could anybody else have possibly survived being dunked into the ice water, sub-zero temperatures north Mm, of the wall, and then coming out still soaked in all of his his, his furs and being thrust onto a horse and dealing with the wind chill on the journey back to, to East Watch? Like, is anybody else capable of surviving that? I mean... No. It, no, it's a miracle no. that John survives here, and so I think that I yeah, just realized he like because she was like reborn in fire both times, twice, 
And like when he was stabbed by the Night's Watch, he lay dead, like bleeding out in the snow. Yeah. And now he's like beneath like the frozen ice. Yeah. And and the other, like at Castle Black, he's basically attached to the wall, which is a giant hunk of ice, you know, where he was revived. So like she's reborn in fire. He's reborn in ice. Yeah, exactly. Twice. Both of them. So crazy. Yeah. So crazy. So crazy. So she's like, just torn up as they're flying off. And it, it, it it made me think of the monologue about heroes and how it seems to have been sadly prophetic in regards to John in this situation. And then it cuts to, you know, then the night King and all the whites, they're all starting to walk away. And we get this shot of long claw sitting next to the hole in the ice where John fell through and all of a sudden, there's a glint in Longclaw's eye, and John bursts out through the water, gasping, <laughs> which... Completely I mean, unintentional, according to the showrunner. Yeah, yeah, it must have been like like studio lighting or something that glinted off of Longclaw's eye. Yeah, well, they, the, the way I look at it is that it, the, it got covered in like a light coating of frost or snow or something, like maybe from reshooting it, you know, like, and it getting wet and then like refreezing or something. And then when the water comes up and splashes on it, it melts the the coating of frost off of it. Mm, gotcha, that gotcha. I really think that somebody picked that shot out intentionally, at least. But the, like, I, I, I've seen this mashup on on YouTube where it's like showing all of these like parallel scenes for, throughout John's life, like you know that show that he's the prince that was promised. And when you play like this scene mash it up right next to the scene where he's waking up on the table the the pair the the way he's lying flat on his back and in this one long claw is lying flat taking on place of taking the place of ghost yeah ghost eye opens ghost eyes open up and in this one the white wolf pommels eye opens up flickers yeah and in both scenes john lets out this big <gasps> But it's kind of like, you know, well, there was no water is. in his lungs this time, though. He like breathed right away. So we know that his like he must have had a little bit of air left in his lungs or something because he didn't his lungs didn't fill with water. Cough up water. Yeah. Good point. But I mean, I think it's also sort of an artistic liberty because. Sure. I mean, how know, can you have, the you know, yeah. When Bran comes back from his coma, the first thing he does is, <gasps> and then like John is re resurrected by Mel and he does the same right. thing. It's just like, you may not catch it here because it's natural for him also to be gasping coming out of the water. So you may not, you may. Same as, uh, same as right after the, the loot train battle and then the very next episode, Jamie comes up out of the water and does the yep. same thing. <gasps> totally. Yeah. So John crawls out and he's like using the hilt of the, of long claw to get a grip on the ice, kind of stabbing it into the ice. And like, uh, like the way that he was climbing the wall back way back in the day with like the ice pick sort of <laughs> made me think of that. He's using the sword as like an ice pick to get some. Oh yeah. That's to true too. Climb out. So he, he climbs out and as the whites are all like lumbering away, some of them start turning around and seeing John as he's stumbling off of the edge of the ice lake and he's like and fuck he's so fucked yeah like, he's so fucked he's gonna fight a whole army of these fuckers and he grabs his sword like, freezing like he yeah. can barely like hold 
sword up. Yeah, he's like, like trying to hold it up. And right at that moment, we see all of a sudden, whack, uh, that flaming torch chain thing that Benjen had when he saved Bran and Mira. Whipping through the air. Whipping through the air as he's riding on his horse, just spinning it around. And he's just clocking all these whites with it. (laughs) So cool. He's swinging that thing around and the whites are tumbling and he comes riding up to John and dismounts and approaches John simultaneously, pulls off his face mask thing that's covering up his face. And John's like, what <laughs> the fuck? Uncle Benjamin, like after all this time. I love like that's one of my favorite pieces of acting in the whole series is just when he's just like, Uncle Benjamin. Like, <laughs> like Stumbling backwards, like, and he's just like, he's like a little kid again. Yeah. Like, uh, how he, he becomes a child in certain scenes. It's like, it's right. so endearing. Just the way he goes from endearing. being this, like, warrior, like, leader man to being a child. To this like, innocence. You know, yeah. Uh, that's so, like, true to the character. Definitely. Uh, have, definitely. Love there's, it. There's some people who say that Kit Harrington and Amelia Clark can't act. Like, and I'm like, fuck you. Cause, like, Look at scene, like look at that scene. Yeah, like, dude, there's some of the. Yeah, they're awesome on this show. Like, I love both of their yeah. performances, big time. Very nuanced. It's just that they're uh-huh. so nuanced that some people maybe can't like pick up on the nuances. They think that they're just like doing nothing, but they're, they're just slight, yeah. slight things that make such a huge difference. You know, totally, totally. Yeah. And there's also this idea of the neutral mask, where the main characters sort of shows less emotion because you want him to appeal. You want to be able to sort of insert yourself. Right. You into want, the yeah, exactly. You want to project onto him and feel relatable. Yeah. And there's also like, you know, the idea that sometimes the, the character's acting in between aneurysms and nobody knows about it until dude. It holy shit. You hear about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You post it. Yeah. For any listeners out there that were unaware, apparently immediately after wrapping season one, and at some other point, which I, I didn't get that far in the article, Amelia Clark suffered an aneurysm in her brain and was hospitalized and nearly died. And it's like a miracle that um, that she returned to full brain function and was like not completely like had her life ruined by by these two successive aneurysms that she suffered. Um, I mean, we're lucky to even have you know, to have retained the mother of dragons for this entire series. It's like, Oh, that article was so crazy. It was horrifying. I've seen people like posting online, like scenes that are just like, you know, in retrospect, she gave this speech like in between, like in the midst of like brain surgery or whatever. Yeah. She had brain surgery, man. Like, Oh my God. You gotta like give her credit for just like how tough she is. Like th- yeah. it's a rigorous shooting this show. Like they shoot like 200 something days a year. It's like, man, you got to give her a lot of credit for pulling it together and f- powering yeah. through like her, the strength of her character Daenerys is like reflected by Amelia Clark's strength. Her as a own person. strength. Yeah. yeah like that My cousin's definitely. had brain surgery. She had to shave her head. Wow. Oh, well, luckily, luckily, Daenerys has to wear that silver wig. So. Right. That's what I was thinking too. I was like, "Good thing that they had a wig already." Man, that's so ma- so. It's crazy, so crazy. Really so glad, glad that, that she's she- all right. Um, yeah. Well, she still has one. It's still in there. 
really like something that hasn't they haven't surgically addressed yet yeah yeah she still has like like a clot or something in there that they just aren't able to get out jesus i I didn't get that far in the article that's fucking horrible man maybe that's why they didn't want to carry it on for 13 seasons just they wanted to make sure that they were able to wrap it up oh Oh my god that's so crazy that's that's a that's a pretty morbid thing to say Uh, yeah just we I mean, I, I, Amelia Clark's probably not listening to this, but, you know, obviously as a podcast, we're sending love and strength to Amelia and, you know, sending mm-hmm. our thoughts to her and wishing her the best as, as everything Truly. moves forward. She's uh, my Khaleesi. Yeah. She, her ability to project feelings of, of loss over a tennis ball that she's looking at. Yeah. Just really profound. Totally. So where were we? We were talking about the acting ability of Amelia and Kit and how some people act. But I was just talking about how when John reacts to Uncle Benjamin, just how like amazing that like reaction is when he's just like, Uncle Benjamin, like what the fuck? And like, like that, like sense of shock and surprise and relief and like confusion. I just had to get up on my soapbox when I had the opportunity to just talk about that because I've heard totally, totally so many complaints and so many podcasts. Yeah. So that's my number one. Nice. Oh man. What do you guys have anything else you want to add? Crazy scene. Um, so much. <laughs> uh, not really. I mean, after that moment, I think it's important to say like, I mean, yeah. So we get, we get to Benjin and Benjin sacrifices his life to save John here. Like why the fuck didn't he just jump on the horse with him? (laughs) I think because he can't go past the wall. He still could have gotten close (laughs) far enough away so he wouldn't die. What? Also he he was running like distraction. Like that that whirling flame thing was a big like, hey over here, come get me. You know, it's sort of like the the road flare for the T Rex. Um and and, like he's just like uh, you know like John's just like, you know, come with me. And he's just like, there's no time. It's like, there's no time to explain that I'm actually this, I'm an undead fire or I guess he's not a fire white, but yeah. Yeah. Like I I don't want, like I I had two things to do. Save Bren, save you. I'm not interested in living the rest of my life with, as this corpse with these like black hands that can't go past the wall. Right. Well, uh, at the end of this episode though, or end of next episode, they destroy the wall at East watch. Maybe he could have passed at that point. They pass. Yeah. He probably didn't know that. (laughs) What was he going to do? Like he was going to run away from the whites for like, they were going to like, where was he going to go? Like, yeah, I don't know. This way, John was able to to get away while he was running distraction. It gave his life meaning, you know, that he was able to at least yeah. do this. It gave um, his death meaning. Yeah, his death meaning, yeah. Yeah, I like the distraction That's how I kind theory. of feel, too. Like, he, they, the whites kind of, like, crowd around him, and it gives John enough time to get away. Because they're distracted, kind of. he served his purpose. I mean, he saved Bran, he saved John. He can't go past the wall to his knowledge. He's a soldier. He knows how to die. Right. Yeah. I think just Benjamin, he doesn't want to live the rest of his life beyond the wall by himself, like half dead, half alive. There's, there's really no point anymore. He's saved both of his nephews 
And I think that's why he doesn't get on the horse. His mission's done from his point yeah. of view. Like he's, yeah. he's on borrowed time anyway at well, this he, point. Exactly. He was supposed to die already. So. Right. And I feel like, like John's sort of like in the same position. He's kind of like on borrowed time himself. I could see him dying next season, but leaving his progeny behind with Danny. Or something like that. And then like she that, dies you know? in childbirth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But so so j- you guys are watch Walking Dead, right? I do not watch Walking Dead because it's just too gruesome oh, okay. for me. Right, right, right. They're the latest season uh, for some reason. I don't know. You haven't watched it? Well, we, you don't need latest season knowledge for this, but John sort of unintentionally like Otis's, <laughs> Otis's Benjamin here. <laughs> like, you remember that scene with Shane back in like season two when... Yeah. And he gets Otis and they're like running away from the zombies. And Otis is one of the people who was at the farm with uh, Herschel and whatnot. And Shane shoots him in the knee so that the walkers attack him and, and give uh, Shane time to escape. <laughs> Basically, that's what happens with, with um, Benjamin here. He sort of is sacrificed like Otis and distracts the zombies for long enough so John can get away. <laughs> he's also, he's, he's got this big glow stick on a chain that like, that like gets all their attention. Right. Like, hey, guys, party's over here. Yeah. You know? Just like the T-Rex, like you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So squirrel. Yeah. Squirrel. <laughs> so it cuts back over to the wall as John rides off and he's watching as, as, as Benjamin is taken down and just consumed by all these white Walker or whites. So John rides off and then it cuts back over to East watch and we get a shot of the castle and and the camera sort of pans upwards and we see these, the big um, stairway structure and all these little buildings built Watch. on. Yeah. It's, it's so, so cool, cool. right? All these different little buildings on the layers of the ice and everything. And we see the dragon hovering over, like soaring over the top of the wall. Screeching. Yeah. And I think that this shot of these dragons near the wall here sort of foreshadows the undead dragon in this same place next episode. <laughs> Oh, you for know, sure. Which is cool. But Danny's up at the top of the wall in a, in a lookout post and she, Jorah's with her, I think. And he's like, it's, it's time to go, your grace. And she just can't. She's like a bit, a bit longer. She just can't bear the idea, the thought of leaving without John. It's too much. You know, <laughs> Viserion's yeah. dead. She can't leave without John and she's like she's like just a just a little bit longer. longer and she's desperately hoping that he's going to show up and finally she's like ah oh, in like defeated she sort of turns and starts to walk away and it's right at that moment we get one horn blast which means rangers returning right yeah yeah and uh, and Danny turns mm-hmm. and we see a lone rider as emerging from the trees as a horse rides out into the clearing. And I like how there's that whole clearing north of the wall. Uh, it's you get like, you sort of get information about why the, there's a gap between the trees and the wall and the books. The night's watch is tasked with keeping the trees like a quarter mile away from the wall or something like a few hundred yards away. So that the, the wildlings don't have cover to approach the wall. Like, you know, hiding yeah. underneath the trees, they like clear it to make sure that there's a nice clear area so they can see enemies approaching theoretically. So they see this one horse and Danny's looking down from the outpost and she knows it's John, you know, <laughs> like it's gotta be John. Right. 
Well, and he's like hunched over that horse. Yeah, he's he's just not like even like standing. Just like the way he returns to Castle Black after Igrit shoots him three times yeah. with arrows, right? Slumped over the horse. Yeah, that's just, so true. He just can't make it back to get to the wall and fully intact. <laughs> and yeah. uh, he's like, yeah, so it cuts to the boat now. We see a shot of the boat and then it cuts to the cabin. And Davos is like trying to take off John's frozen clothing, which is just like... It's like armor in itself at this point. Yeah, they're like ripping it off of him and it's super stiff. Yeah, and this can, is it's where, like cracking and bending. And This is where we get Danny um, is watching. Yeah, and she's just like like so obsessed with making sure that John is okay. And she's like just so worried that she's just, I don't think she leaves his side until he wakes up. <laughs> I don't think so either. Yeah. I think she's, I think she feels a sense of, like her, her dragon dying aside, I think she feels a sense of guilt in a way for not believing him in the first place and wasting yeah. time. Right. Like, yeah, definitely. That's a good point. I think she's, she's just seen the army of the dead. She's just seen the night King kill one of her children or her dragons. Mm-hmm. She, she sees Jon Snow fall into a frozen lake or inlet, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And somehow finds a fucking horse. Yeah. Okay? Somehow. Let's, let's Miracle throw that in there. Two. <laughs> okay. Like they don't know who cold hands is and he comes riding in on a horse. Neither do D and D. He's <laughs> like stripped butt naked in front of her and, and has sees. a stab wound in his heart and like five other stab wounds in his gut. And she's just like, what on earth? She's like, this is impossible. This is impossible. She is feeling now the way that everybody else felt felt. when they like watch her come out yes, of the flames. Yes. But she's yeah. in that position now, just in awe of somebody else who's survived a miracle. Like, yeah, that's so cool. She's in the footsteps, in the shoes of like the way Dario was or the way Jora was when she stepped out of the fire. That's so fucking cool. Wow. Yeah. Her turn now. It's her turn to feel what it feels like to watch to something that's not supposed to happen. Yeah. Happen. Yeah. Simultaneously admiring somebody's making. Oh my god! I just <laughs> fell out of my chair. <laughs> Why? I was leaning back in it, and it just kind of slipped out from my yeah. face. Oh man! <laughs> Sorry. That's funny. <laughs> oh oh damn. man! So yeah, there's another blip for you, Duncan. Uh, yes. <laughs> perfect so she's just like realizing in this moment that he's special like her that he's surviving against impossible odds just like she survived the fire he survived the ice both of them twice you know like this is fucking huge what i find kind of interesting though is danny never dies she like comes out of the flames like unburnt but she's never died john is actually died and come back and i feel like there's that like juxtaposition there again like they're very similar but they're very different it's kind of like yin and yang yeah definitely one's alive one's dead (laughs) one's blonde one's got black hair one survives fire one survives ice yeah total opposites yeah so fucking cool opposites attract yeah that's for sure so anybody else have anything to add about the uh big battle and Danny seeing John survive or should we move on to uh, notes or wait, is it my number one? It's your number one. I do have something to say. All right. What do you got? 
uh, I just want to just you know just throw out there that uh, the dragons showing up, Benjin showing up. These are not examples of Deus ex machina because they were there's precedent for them within. Oh, they didn't just show up out of nowhere. Yeah, they did. It's not like oh, and then God showed up and rescued them. Like there's already like like Benjamin's been out there since season one. Yeah, and he's like said that like no, I you know, Bran, I can't come with you because I can't go past the wall. But doesn't he say something about like I've got shit to do or something? He said he'll keep doing what he can. Okay. And he's like, I'll do what I can, you know, for as long as I can. <laughs> so uh, you know. Since we're in agreement on that, you know, we can we can move on. <laughs> All right. So my number one was actually um, Sandor and Tormund meeting and connecting over Brienne. <laughs> oh damn! Okay. Um, yeah. So let's move on to notes. We talked about the first scene with the uh, the map table. We didn't talk about uh, some of these interactions with um, people in the first scene here. Oh, first of all, we have um, John and Gendry talking and um, talking about, about the, being the stripped north. naked and tied to a bed. Before that, though, we get another joke about like the relative nature of north and south. <laughs> you know, John's like to Gendry, you haven't been north before. <laughs> He's like, I've never seen snow before. And <laughs> like, damn, that's funny. And of course, Tormund's like, yeah, smells like pig shit down south. And John's like, you've never been down south. And he's like, I've been to Winterfell. And there's that whole joke coming back again about like how the northerners are southerners to the people from beyond the wall, <laughs> you know, hearkening exactly. back to season one. It's the real north. Yeah. The real north. It, and then it's Tormund's turn to to make Gendry like exceedingly uncomfortable. <laughs> There's and, not a living woman within a hundred miles from here. Yeah, he's like uh, Gendry's like, how do you keep your balls from freezing off up here? And he's like, well, you got to keep moving. Fighting's good, walking's good, but fucking is the best. <laughs> yeah, that's when John says, "There's not another woman, a living woman, around for a hundred miles." And Tormund's like, "We have to make do with what we've got." <laughs> and like, like looks at Gendry. Gendry's like, oh my like, god! Like you, fresh fish, you, you little, you, you soft boy. <laughs> and Gendry's like, um, I'm gonna like uh, go somewhere else. And he kind of like breaks away from the group <laughs> and meets up with some other people. Like that's the perfect device to get Gendry to actually like go and talk to the Brotherhood without banners, right? Because like that's more um, comfortable than being raped by. <laughs> 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 confronting like, the people who sold him oh my getting gosh. sexually abused by gingers yeah. I love what Tormund says too he's like um, he's like this one is maybe not so smart <laughs> he's yeah. like we're just fucking with him and uh, we learned that Davos says he's a strong fighter though and that's more important than being smart but how does Davos know he's a strong fighter he's seen uh, him like take out two guys that weren't even fighting back Sneak I attack. We're, we're watching, but like to Davos, that's like, you know, strong fighting. <laughs> True, because he's kind of sucks at fighting himself, right? Yeah, also, he's not a fighter. Yeah, yeah. And it's also sort of like, it's so like poignant because he's like Robert Baratheon's kid, and, you know, Robert doesn't even know that he didn't kill Rhaegar at the Trident. And, you know, I like to inject my tinfoil into everything. Wait, but, what? Um, 
you know, Rob, Robert kind of like, you know, he doesn't know that he's being cuckolded and he doesn't know that he never killed Rhaegar at the Trident. Oh, because Rhaegar like had a, a glamour on a double or something? Yeah, yeah, maybe, or else he did kill him, but he died on purpose. <laughs> I love or... all the Greek um, mythology or Greek history parallels there with like, uh, we we talked about it on a different episode, um, but, you know, with like um, all the Trojan War stuff. yeah. I can't and remember like the names right now. Patroclus. Like yeah, Patroclus and uh, yeah, Patroclus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The he guy who wore um, wore Achilles armor um, yeah. and fought. Uh, yeah, there's all the kinds of parallels, which are really cool. We'll get into that another time. We don't have time for that right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but just basically, you know, Robert, uh, Robert's not that smart. And uh, Leo, uh, you know, I think uh, Leanna kind of got tired of, you know, this big Ovish dumbass. And Probably. I mean, they didn't really spend that much time together. I don't think they were just kind of betrothed, but never really, like, really around each other. They had met, but Robert was in the eerie yeah. with Ned, you know, forever. So they, like, they weren't like around Liana or anything. Um, I just think, you know, well, it ship Gendry with Arya, like, you know, by the time they meet up again, she's going to be like, yeah, this guy's not that smart. Like now that she's older. And, <laughs> yeah. That's funny. We're like, yeah, I thought yeah. he was so cool when we first met, but he's kind of a dumbass. Um, this yeah. guy is maybe not so smart, <laughs> like uh, uh, Tormund just said. So um, <laughs> that's when we get that conversation about Mance Raider and uh, how John has spent too much time around the free folk now. And he doesn't like the idea of kneeling. Um, and I thought this was interesting because... Tormund is advocating kneeling here, basically. How many of Mance's people died because Tor- because Mance didn't kneel? He's telling telling John to kneel, which is very knee, dude. Yeah, but it's like it. You know, he's really got to. If like even the wildlings who never kneel are telling you like you got to kneel, man. Like you know, you got to kneel. Right? <laughs> there's like there's subtext to that because it's sort of like he's saying, oh, you've spent so much time around the free folk that you don't like kneeling now, but it's like. Well, now you've been to Winterfell and you've seen all yeah. this other shit. Now you're now like, you want to kneel because you've been around Southerners. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, you've been in the the Southern realm long enough that you see saw the perks of kneeling. <laughs> yeah, was Tormund in the King of the North scene for John? Uh, I don't know, but I really hope I can't so. Remember. I believe he was. Yeah. I think he was too. Okay. Yeah, he must have been because it was after the Battle of Wind at uh, Battle of the Bastards, and he was there for that whole thing. So yeah, he was there definitely. Yeah. So that I was think... before he sent them. He said, "We'll go to. We'll become the Night's Watch now." You know. That's right. Okay. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't this. That's right. Yep. He was there. Hundred percent. He was there. Now that I'm remembering it. Totally. Probably inspired by Leanna Mormont, like with her, like her fierce loyalty and like, you know, definitely. I don't care if he's a bastard. He's totally. my king. Until my last day. <laughs> Until my last like, day. It's like he, he fought for us and, and he should, and like, yeah, seeing all the merits to like, Oh yeah. This whole like loyalty and like, you know, fealty thing that yeah. Northern fealty is a lot better than that. The whole like, um, you know, the King's landing version of it, but it, right. Right. Sort of like, the blood of the Northmen runs through, or the blood of the First Men, I mean, rather, runs through, like, all of their veins. So, I think, you know, it really, you know, it, it's just a matter of which side of the wall you ended up on. And 
I mean, they right. have their yeah, own they're group. all like related. Basically, they all have the same type of mentality. It just plays out in different ways. Yeah, because I mean, Winterfell started as a ring fort back in the in, in a long time ago. So, I mean, it was basically just started off as just like tribal, like you know, with chieftains, and that's basically what they have north of the wall. Anyway, anyway. yeah. yeah. So we get Gendry then who <laughs> gets to confront Thoros and the, the brotherhood <laughs> and uh, Thoros is like, you still mad at us, boy. He's like, you sold me to a witch. Yeah, I'm still fucking mad at you. And Even I'm- though she stripped me naked and <laughs> sat so on funny. me and then put a leech on my dick. Uh, I like Thoros though. He's like, he's like, she's a priestess, but. Yeah, I'll admit there's a subtle it's a subtle distinction between witch yeah. and priestess when it comes to the Lord of Light. <laughs> Hilarious. Like, I mean, what is the difference? Yeah, exactly. So uh so he's all pissed off and like you're saying, he's talking about how the red woman stripped him down and like did all this stuff to him and Sandor's Sounds like, Sounds all right to me. Was she naked too? <laughs> So funny. He's like, oh, did she get you naked? Yeah. You know, did oh, she poor shove boy. your face into a fire? Like, are you going to cry? She tied you to a bed and sat on your dick. It sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, sounds pretty good. And, uh, he's like, she put leeches on me. And Thoris is like, uh, she needed your blood. And he's like, yes, thank you. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> and, he's, like, uh, he's like, put leeches on me. Was she naked too? Like, he sounds like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like that makes, you know, okay. The leeches, you know, I can, I can get into that. You know, it's like, is she, was she naked too though? Like, right. right, right. If, if leeches is leeches, her thing. Ooh, leeches. Like, like they're not going to kill you. And she's like, he's like, she wanted to kill me. They would have killed me if it wasn't for Davos. And he's like, but they didn't kill you. Did they? So what are you whinging about? <laughs> I'm not whinging. Your lips are moving. You're complaining about something. That's whinging. And, I tell uh, Justin to stop whinging all the time. Uh, nice. And this is this is a classic moment, too. He looks over at Beric, and he's like, this one's been killed six times. You don't hear him bitching about it. <laughs> well, yeah, that, 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 that is kind of true, but like... Yeah. I mean, he gets brought back, so he doesn't really have to worry about it. Oh, yeah, I mean... I don't know. There's, there's sort of like two different kind of conversations that could be had about this. It's like, yeah. Like, do you have the right to complain when other people have had it worse or like, I mean, yeah. Or on the other hand, I mean, this is sort of like the, the, some people could see this as toxic masculinity and other people could just see this as masculinity. Like, you know, like, uh, you know, you, you're, you're still alive. Just, you know, right. Just shut up. About you live, it. You, you know, lived another yeah. day, you know? Yeah. It's so got funny. A job to do. So Gendry's kind of like, oh, like, what do I say to that? You know, like, he's right. Beric's died six times and he's not whining. And uh, he kind of like hangs back with Thoros for a second and Thoros hands him his his flask of wine, his wineskin, and he takes a giant yeah. gulp out of it. <laughs> and I love Thoros. Good lad. Kind of taps him on the back. Like, we're going to make a man out of you yet, yeah, boy. Yeah, I remember when when Gendry first was with the the Brotherhood. That was like the one thing like he wanted to drink, and like it was like really strong shit. But, oh, that's funny. He like uh, like I forget. Didn't he like uh, spit it out, or, or he like choked on it, or something? He was like <laughs> like that was like really strong. I know John did. I'm not sure about Gendry. Um, I don't remember. Yeah, I really thought 
Thoros like patted him on the ass like after he gave it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not I'm still not certain that he didn't because you don't really see below the waist. But yeah. Yeah, he slaps him on the back and then kind of like brushes aside at him like like tickled tickled his butt hairs. Oh oh I remember what I was gonna say. So I remember last episode I talked about how like um there was like the meta commentary where Gendry's like, I'm ready to go. And it's like the actor being like, he, like he's ready to go. Like finally, after all these years, he's back on the show, right? When things are getting good. And so they made him run this episode, like all the way back to East watch. And I feel like making the actor run was like a bit of hazing, like, like, yeah, we're bringing you back into the fold, but you got to earn it boy, you know, and like making him do all this <laughs> stuff. And uh, in this part, when they're all like talking shit to him and like telling, make saying he's whining and whinging and everything, this is more of that like hazing to the new actor and the crew who like they're not going to just let him come back onto the show without (laughs) without making him earn his spot, you know. So I felt like this was more kind of like that meta attitude of like hazing the new guy type thing. (laughs) You You made me show my bush, and then you just got rid of my character for all these seasons, and then you just had me row the whole time like, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and exactly. also um you know if i'm right about that whole thing being at hard home that means that all gendry has done was leave from one port to another this for this entire time like, <laughs> yeah pretty he- much <laughs> all right let's move on where are we next we're at winterfell um, we, Arya goes over the bullseye story, like I talked about. And, and then she turns her tune. Yes. And she starts like saying that now Ned is dead. You know, now father's dead, killed by the Lannisters with your help to Sansa. And Sansa's like, what, what? What, what, what? <laughs> and notice again, remember out my kind of theory? They're out in the open arguing. Right, arguing, right. But, oh, but, but later in the that. episode, they're arguing behind closed doors in Sansa's chamber. I noted that as well, and it kind of threw me for a loop. I know, because... and Sansa seems like so like like shocked learning that Arya was there when Ned got beheaded okay. and stuff. Like, well, I, I have a lot to say about that. Um, all right, we'll, whole we'll, scene. we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. so we'll let's, <laughs> all right, let's move. Save Let's save it a little bit. Sounds good. So she's talking about, she brings out the Raven scroll and starts reading it. And Sansa's like, you don't have to read it. I remember. And she, uh, she continues reading it anyway. And Sansa's like, they forced me to do it. And Arya's like, yeah, like I was a kid too. I would have let them kill me before I betrayed my family. You know, and it's like Sansa didn't really betray anybody. First of all, I think Sansa was so fucking stupid. She has no, she had no clue what she was doing back then. Yeah. But also like she didn't have, like she didn't have a choice. There's what, what could she do? Not do it. Like she's sitting down in front of Varys, Littlefinger and Cersei. Cersei, Yeah. Like she didn't have a choice. And then there, yeah, there's this whole, the kind of like the, the conversation again, where it's like, Oh, Liana, you know, what do you think? Little Liana, she's younger than you were then. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think she would have think if she found out about the truth? I was like, Oh damn. Right. Are you going to tell her that you were just a child? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Sansa's like, they told me it was the only way to save father. And Arya's like, you were, and you were stupid enough to believe them. I remember seeing you standing on that platform with Joffrey and Cersei, the pretty dress you were wearing, the fancy way you did your hair as they dragged father to the block. And, and Sansa like, it recoils. She like shrinks backwards and she's like, you were there. 
and uh, I'm I'm wondering at this point what percentage of this is staged. Are they really fighting? Is Sansa really just finding out that Arya was there? Like she seems shocked, but then again, they like Bran could have seen them in the scene that they were going to be fighting, and been like, listen. Like you guys need to sort this out. Like Littlefinger's the enemy. This could all be staged. You know, it's hard, really hard to tell what is staged, what's not. If they're really arguing at this point and they just haven't gotten like teamed up yet or what? Like, I'm to not me, sure. So to me in hearkening forward to, I know we'll get there shortly, like the behind the closed doors, I think some of it's real and they placate to it right they like play it up because they know it's believable possibly because they they had tension years before they met so right. there are lots of feelings right. that like are these are come up these are all legitimate arguments that they would be having the question and is they're legitimate feelings but i think that they are moving past it doing it and becoming closer oh right where it, they're like working through it the question yeah, is have they already it. worked it they're out they're never in gonna private? not like be siblings yo they've both like they were both simultaneously learning how to play the lying game by mixing the truth into their lies by, by yeah. like using the truth as their motivation and just like putting like, put, you know, using that to, to really sell the lie by basing it on the truth. Right. Like, be each in their own way. Definitely. That's kind of how I feel. It's like the emotions are real because they're real emotions and these are real arguments and there's real tension between these sisters. There's always been tension between the two of them, mm-hmm. but they're doing it out in public. So right. little fingers, little birds or little finger himself can see it. Right. So my question would be, have they already sorted out these issues behind closed doors and now they're doing it publicly pretending to, to lure in I little finger? I would say yes. Or are they like, are they still kind of enemies at this point? And then it's only later that they can combine forces once, once they talk with Bran who helps sort everything out. This I'd say that this is actually just really happening. Um, and it's not till later that they team up. I have not seen the actual like deleted scene where they talk to Bran, but from, from like what I understand that happens after this episode. Right. So um, it may not be until that potentially that deleted scene um, where that scene that wasn't included, where they talk to Bran and really find out like the truth of everything and all team up together. I don't know. It's it's all up in the air, you know? Yeah. And, you know, either way it works. I think it's kind of yeah. like the viewer is the final collaborator. So it's like you can decide which. Makes yeah, we have sense. to sort of like make up our own minds about it, I guess. Yeah. So. Arya's like, I was standing there in the crowd near Baylor's statue when, when it happened. And Sansa's like, well, yeah. And what did you do? Did you come running to the rescue? Did you fight off the Lannisters and save father? And Arya's like, I wanted to. And she's like, but you didn't just like just me. Just like me. Yeah. And I thought that was a really important line. Um, like where if, if this was like, uh, like a real fight, like Arya would listen, you know, at least like that would be an important line to listen to. But, but she's like, uh, you know, she continues ranting and everything and they're arguing. And like you said, this is all just out in the open. Well, I just think that there's so much emotion, so much pent up emotion there. And like just Arya remembering seeing Sansa there looking all pretty with her hair done up just like Cersei's next to her beloved Joffrey and the way she perceived it. And like 
it's sort of like you know there's a there's it, it was a traumatic experience that's just replaying in her head the way she perceived it she can't really like listen like she can't she just can't be that receptive because it's more like she's got to like she's overcome by the emotion at the moment and she's not thinking logically yeah she's got to like vent her frustration and, right. and sort of yeah so Sansa's talking about they're like talking about like how they're different experiences and Sansa's like well you were off training like I suffered things that you could never imagine things you never would have survived and they're sort of going back and forth at each other and um eventually Sansa's like where did you get that letter like where'd you get the raven what are you going to do with it and Arya deduces that she's scared of that the northern lords will read it and when when Arya figures that out and says it, Sansa looks legit, like terrified. And um, like, so this makes me think that like, you know, our theorization of whether or not this is staged, this makes me kind of question it because. Um, that it's maybe not, or yeah, maybe at least this part of it isn't staged. Yeah, because I mean, Sansa, if she's concerned about the Northern Lords reading this, she wouldn't want Sansa out in the open reading this out loud. Like they, if they're, if they're saying things on purpose out loud to lure in Littlefinger, this is not the type of thing that Sansa would want to be said out loud. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Like reading the contents of this letter. Like that's not stuff that she would want little birds or anybody else overhearing. Like, especially not if it could get back to the Northern Lords. So that makes me think that this part is not staged, that this is like a real fight that's happening. And it's not until next episode, when they speak with Bran behind the scenes that they sort of like put aside their differences or realize that they're misunderstanding each other. Cause I mean, it, it might take Bran going to Arya and being like, listen, I saw it. They made Sansa write the letter. She had nothing to do with any of this. She tried to make Joffrey not kill Ned. You know, it may take Bran, the all seeing eye <laughs> to like, to like, you know, like yeah, help them the understand situation. each other. Yeah. Exactly. You can find so many deleted scenes from all the past seasons on YouTube, but you just can't find this one. You know yeah. that, like, was this? Really, what, did they did they shoot it? Like, I don't, yeah, I, I know I heard that the scene existed, but I wasn't sure if it was just in like something that was in the script that they never shot, or if they actually shot it, or I don't remember at this point. I'm pretty sure it's in the Blu-ray. Nice. They kept it off of YouTube. Interesting. I mean, I haven't looked in a few months, so maybe it's there now, but. Uh, it would really like clear up a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so moving on, Sansa, Sansa's like, you're angry. Sometimes anger makes people do unfortunate things. And Arya gets back, comes back at her. Sometimes fear makes people do, makes them do unfortunate things. I'll go with anger. <laughs> oh my God. I loved it. It was so perfect. So epic. Mic drop. And she like walks off and Sansa's just like, this is unreal. Like, <laughs> yeah. so funny. So, so like, yeah, when when Arya when Sansa's like I, I while you were off training, I was going through things you couldn't even imagine. Arya's just like all like I don't know, I can imagine quite a lot. Right, she's like standing in front of like butchered meat, <laughs> and yeah. like there's that sort of like uh, that almost like uh, you know like the the dark night like level of uh, of visual like symbolism to that. And then, um, what butchered meat? What there's like hanging meat behind Arya. Oh, all right, scene. gotcha. While she's like, I don't know, I can imagine quite a lot. And she's saying things like, Oh, did they hold a knife to your throat? Did they put you on the rack and stretch you till your bones popped? Yeah, 
Yeah, like she's being all like macabre and glib about it, and then like yeah, graphic and shit. Yeah, and then and she's just like so. Then she says that, and she's like talking about like I think you're afraid of the you know does this make you right. afraid? And, like I'll choose you know, anger over fear. Thing. So I think she's bullying Sansa. Like she knows that Sansa acts out of fear, and that she did this whole thing out of fear, and she's just trying to make sure that Sansa knows that she should be more afraid of going against John that, you know, that she's trying to motivate her against betraying John or, or anything like Interesting. that. Interesting. Yeah. That, that's my take on it. Cool. And, uh, I also think that, uh, it's interesting because like to Sansa's point, like anger makes people do stupid things. Like that's exactly what, you know, she was, she was counting on John doing it. The battle of the bastards, like yep. being angry and doing stupid things and like john did the same thing this episode even like where right yeah the night king so i i think that that's that's just really the psychology of that is very interesting definitely so moving on next it cuts back to beyond the wall and john and beric are walking together and i thought this was a really interesting moment because beric says you don't much look like him and he's like who ned you know and i'm like Oh, that's because he's not his father. (laughs) Yeah, your father. (laughs) Yeah, your father. And I'm like, that's because he's not his father. I suppose you favor your mother. Uh, And John, yeah, yeah, interesting, right? And then, which I find kind of funny because Leanna and Ned are brother and sister. Right. So, but they're, they look kind of different. Like they say that, they do, um, but they both have dark hair and dark eyes. But Arya, Arya specifically is said to look a lot like, like um, Leanna and John. If I remember oh, correctly. Yeah. So it makes sense that John being Liana's child would have more of that like Arya um Liana look to him, you know. Uh has Beric in the show seen Catelyn? Oh wait, no. No. <clears throat> that was really stupid because obviously Catelyn's not his mother. So never mind. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. So um <laughs> so um this is that scene where they figure out that, you know, they're trying to figure out the purpose of why um, the Lord of light has brought them both back. And they end up deciding that they don't really need to worry about why the Lord of light brought them back. All they have to worry about is what they're fighting for, which is life. And that death is the enemy, the first enemy and the last, and that we all die and the enemy always wins, but we still need to fight him. And, um, as resurrected fire whites, they may not find much joy while they're here, but at least they can keep others alive and they can defend those people who can't defend themselves. And this is when John, you know, says that line that means so much to him from his time at the night's watch. I am the shield that guards the realms of men. Right. And Beric says, maybe we don't need to understand any more than that. Maybe that's enough. And uh, John agrees. I like that moment. Beric is such a Jedi. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then it cuts to Sandor who sees that mountain like an arrowhead in the distance. And he's like, that's it. That's what I saw in the fire. And that mountain is huge and way taller than all the surrounding peaks. And it has those those horizontal striations, those lines like layers. It almost looks like the layers of the wall or it looks like steps to a pyramid. It looks just like Mount Kailash which I've talked about on previous podcasts. It's like the central, it's the home of Shiva 
who is said to live at the top of the of Mount Kailash and yeah, that's et cetera. So freaking crazy. Yeah, oh, wow. it looks just like that man. It's got like pyramid steps. It's covered in snow. It has been for millennia. No human has ever climbed Mount Kailash. Um, it's yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. So I think this is like the equivalent of Mount Kailash for <laughs> for Westeros. And uh, Sandor's like, we're getting close. Well, it's also clearly a volcano. How do you know? Well, because it looks like a volcano. How can you tell? I mean, what's the, what are the distinguishing features of a volcano that you're picking out on, on this? It looks like a cone, and it destroyed hard home. <laughs> but and... if it was a volcano, wouldn't the top be blown off of it? Like Pompeii, like Vesuvius or St. Helens or something? There's no like big open chasm at the top of it. Oh, because the lava came out of tubes from the hissing <laughs> caves <laughs> that are on the cliffs next to hard home. So it could be one, one like volcanic mountain in an area that's volcanically active that maybe just hasn't blown its top yeah. yet. I gotcha. mean, okay. So look at all the continuity that they sacrificed to start filming the North of the wall scenes in Iceland in season two. And what, what continuity? You know, I don't know what you, what you mean. Okay, first of all, the Icelandic ponies that we know about because... But of, how are they sacrificing they continuity? Because they go from, like, in one episode, they're riding horses, and then they're, they're like, uh, they're on Icelandic ponies in the next one. Oh, okay. Or, yeah, like, I did, yeah, Rachel notices that type of stuff. <laughs> yeah. stuff. I'm not well, good with the horses. I, I know it's in, in the scene where, where like, Jor is, like, commanding Rask to, to keep, like, Sam alive. There's like, it goes from like one shot where like it's all overcast and like the, the lake is all like, like covered in ice. And then in like the next shot, the, the lake, it's sunny and the lake is completely like, you know, clear. Whoa. And then like goes back again to like the lake being like covered in ice. So why are you like, saying that this is important? Because why was Iceland, it important enough to, uh, for the content to include the continuity errors? Because that. The, because Iceland is volcanic and covered in ice. And I think that it's important to have volcanic icy terrain north of the wall. Mm, interesting. Yeah, interesting. And also other reasons too. <laughs> so, uh, hard home, the, the, the doom of hard home and the way of the doom of Valyria, that's the descriptions of them are so similar. The, like the descriptions of like the flames that rose up so high that you know so high and so hot that dragons burned out of the sky. Yeah, the fourteen flames of Valyria, and then like so high and bright that the watchers on the wall thought the sun was rising to the north, and right. like, the Valyria was the most developed like city of in the world in its area, and Hardhome is sort of like you know the only developed north city north of the wall. North of the wall. I think it's a volcano. I think the White Walkers came out of that volcano the same way the Valyrians came out of the seven or the 14 flames or whatever. Oh, all right. So that's the point of it is that the White Walkers came out of the volcano, but we saw how the White Walkers were made. Yeah. Well, we saw how the Night King was made. Right. And he makes the White Walkers. 
Yeah. And well, I don't, I don't know that they necessarily, I mean, I think he was probably. They, they, he did make that white Walker baby inside of what looked like a hollowed out volcano. Yeah. And, uh, I think, uh, you know, even like where, where did they go after the lot when, when the long night was over, I think they, they went underground. Yeah, it's possible. Who knows? Hibernated for a while or something (laughs) hiding in the volcanoes. I was it all like, you know, this, you know, why, why was the weather nice for so long? Uh, I, I kind of, I have a new like tinfoil hypothesis. Cool. I mean, the, the blade shattered twice. That sounds, it, it just shattered like it was brittle. That kind of, it kind of sounds like uh, obsidian, like dragon. Yeah, glass. there's some good theories that, um, that dragon steel or maybe even valerian steel are made by uh, combining steel with dragon glass. Yeah, but uh, so my my tinfoil here is now that like, what if the weapon he created was Nissa Nissa? What if he inserted dragon glass into her chest and made Night's Queen, and then she was became like the way to balance nature that she could communicate with the White Walkers and make a pact between them where you know you keep giving me you keep giving me sons. And then we'll live in harmony and we won't come down to. Interesting. So the children of the forest created the white walkers and then the last hero like sort of created his own white walker. um, Yeah. By thrusting the dragon glass sword into the heart of his wife and turned her basically. And she is like sort of the weapon, the bridge between the two that forges the peace. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, and, and then there's there's sort of like this relationship there to Beowulf and Grendel's mother and how they like she has a pack. Right. Where like yeah That's cool. She, like, yeah. I love Beowulf, man. Yeah. I am Beowulf. <laughs> yeah, the the that CG movie that came out so good. Not long ago. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. All right, so moving on to next, we're in Dragonstone with Danny and Tyrion. And, D- and Danny's like, you know what I like about, y- about you, Tyrion? And he's like, I, I honestly don't. <laughs> and she's like, you're not a hero. And I think he's slightly Burn. offended by this. Yeah. You know what about you? You're a little bitch. Yeah. You know, you, you're not going to go and get yourself killed because you're just like my little tiny <laughs> cute guy that yeah. just is He's like, oh, I've... I've been heroic on occasion. <laughs> I once charged through the mud gate of King's Landing. She's like, no, no, no. I don't want you to be a hero. Heroes do stupid things and they die. And she's worried about John. And he's like, oh, damn. Now I've got to go do some stupid things to show her how badass I am. Yeah. It's yeah. funny how he, um, he, uh, He's like, it's interesting that these heroes that you name, you've mentioned Jorah, Drogo, Dario, even this Jon Snow, all men who have fallen in love with you. And Danny's like, Jon Snow's not in love with me. And uh, I loved Tyrion's Girl, response. are you blind? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my mistake. I suppose he stares at you longingly because he's hopeful for a successful military alliance. <laughs> and I'm like <laughs> laughing and she's she's like, you know, she knows it's true. But uh, she she kind of insults him here again unintentionally. He's too little for me, and I mean, you know, she's like, "Oh, I didn't, I didn't mean you know, like that." I know you're brave. Not a very good recovery. Yeah. I wouldn't have chosen a coward as my hand. 
Yeah. So if all goes well, I'll finally get to meet your sister. From everything you've told me about her, she'd rather murder me than speak with her. Oh, oh she'd torture you first. In some horrible way. <laughs> then she'd murder you. <laughs> so funny. And uh, they bait us here into feeling confident and secure with our dragons. Nobody trusts my sister less than I do, believe me. But if we go to the capital, we'll go with two armies, we'll go with three dragons. And I'm like, no, they're going to kill one later this episode. This very episode. Mm, So sad. Baiting us into feeling comfortable with three dragons. So fucked up. When I first saw this, I was like anticipating this huge like showdown between like I was like, okay, Danny has a hot temper, and Cersei is so good at like, you know, provoking just like, people. Yeah, just saying barbed like comments, and I, I really thought there was going to be this awesome like exchange between them, where right. she just like says these things to just get under her skin and drive Danny crazy. Yeah, Tyrion brings that up to to here, and he's super slick about it. He says he like. And uh, he promised me, talking about Jamie, he promised me to he'd keep a grip on the Lannister forces so we're not in danger when we go to King's Landing. And I promised him I'd keep you from doing anything impulsive. And she's like, impulsive? You know? Impulsive? <laughs> and he's super slick. He's like, this is going to be a difficult negotiation. You know, my sister is likely to say some provocative things. And, and you've been like, known to lose your temper. <laughs> yeah, so funny. Yeah, but then that's interesting because it's like, oh yeah, she has been known to lose her temper, but does she ever really show impulsiveness? Like she's always kind of calculated about it. Yeah, definitely. Her impulse, she's her. I think what he's alluding to is her nature is to get impulsive, but she keeps it in check because of the people that have surrounded that she's surrounded herself with. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Like, because she's like, I'm going to go into King's Landing and fuck some shit up. And everyone's like, no, 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 don't do that. Right. And then she's like, oh, okay, you're right. <laughs> but if there was nobody there to keep her in check, she absolutely would act impulsively. Definitely. Yeah, but it's still like there's a calculated way that she like, you know, the way she like kills the 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 um all the cows and, and everything. It's like she plans it out beforehand and they then like she's sort of like when she has her like Dracaris moments, it's like she's already like thought about it. Like in, in the same Typically. way her, the same way her half sister Cersei is with, yeah. with her like, you know, she's there's there's this merciless, like, you know, fiery, like, you know, menace to it, but it's still thought out. And I guess, you know, Cersei is sort of impulsive. too. Generally speaking, it's thought out. But if you want to talk about impulsive, she does something pretty impulsive in this very episode. She decides to fly north <laughs> to try to save the uh, the Eastwatch seven. And uh, that's super impulsive. Just hops yeah. on the dragon and flies north, and Tyrion's like, "God damn it!" I was just t- talking to you about being impulsive. <laughs> yeah, and that's it's it's interesting because it's sort of like I guess in this way, well, you could look at it as like Varys is like the the hero. Well, I mean, like because Varys manipulated Tyrion into having this conversation that drives the wedge between them, that where they start like. Like, like, so, so remember in, in a few episodes ago when, when, uh, like Tyrion is standing in front of the fireplace and he starts talking sense into her and she starts walking towards the fire and standing in front of it when he's like convinces her to let John mine the dragon glass. 
like in this scene, they're sitting in front of the fireplace. And then as they start to have like their, their disagreements, she walks away from the fire toward the window. Hmm. Interesting. And I, 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 yeah, that symbolism there. So they're talking about the things and she's defending burning the Tarleys, you know, saying that that was not impulsive. Like it was calculated, like you were saying, and Tyrion is still working or trying to get her to just like, you know, come around to his way of seeing stuff. But he, he still believes in her at this point. He's saying, he's like, you know, with the world you want to build, you know, it, it, I believe in it and we can do it, but it's not going to happen all at once. Maybe not even in a single lifetime. And this is where he starts bringing up the idea of succession. And he's like, uh, he's like, how do we ensure that your vision endures? Like if something happens to you and she's like, She's like, you want to know who sits on the Iron Throne after I'm dead? That's what you're talking about? And he's like, you say you can't have children. So that's another important moment, bringing up children in this episode, where we get the idea of John and children. We get Tyrion bringing up Danny and children. You know, like these two, like, secondary figures telling these main characters things about children. And then later they're talking about children together at the, in the boat. So this is just like, um, important. They are so having a baby. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. So heavily foreshadowed. Yeah. Um, and so, um, Tyrion's talking about how the night's watch has a method of choosing successors. The ironborn have another method, although it's flawed and Danny just keeps repeating. We'll discuss the discuss the succession after I wear the crown. You know, he's like, listen, I saw hundreds of arrows flying towards you when you were fighting on the Blackwater rush. I saw hundreds of arrows miss, but any one of them could have found your heart and ended your, and she cuts him off. You've been thinking about my death quite a bit. Haven't you? She's quite short with him a lot lately. This wedge, like you mentioned, Patrick is definitely forming between them. And I'm really worried that Tyrion um, may turn. It's because of Varys. And uh, like, you know, planting he, the he seeds was, of doubt in Tyrion. There yeah, was a number like, of people. First, it was the Tarleys, then like talking to Tyrion, and like all throughout that episode, people were just like telling Tyrion, like talking shit about Danny to him. Basically, it was making me nervous. Just so, like people are talking shit about Cersei to Jamie, and they're both like Jamie's turning on Cersei, and Tyrion seems to be like forming distance from Danny, kind of, and it's a mess. It's all like okay, like well, she stopped listening to him because of like his plans that didn't go properly, and then like he's like the like shoehorning this whole idea of like you really shouldn't be burning the Tarleys because like this this guy this eunuch I'm friends with was getting all like upset about it how like much it was like the Mad King and all this stuff like. Uh, Basically, uh, uh, all of his plans are going to shit because of Varys, and uh, yeah, he's like there. Varys is like pressures him into having this awkward conversation about you shouldn't be burning the Tarleys. Like it, it's all like, but what I'm basically saying is like you know the way like does uh, does does Barristan mention this in the show or is it just the books where he says that like it was you know, Varys that drove the wedge between Tywin and the Mad King and then started putting poison in in Ares' ear and, and like, making him, like, was constantly pointing out, like... like Maybe that was the books. I don't seem to remember that in the show. I think it was the books. I don't remember that in the show. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. Worried about Tyrion. Hopefully he doesn't totally turn on her. That would suck. 
really worried really about suck. it. So next, we're moving back beyond the wall, and the snow is so thick you can hardly see anything. But in the distance, a bear, a big fucker with blue eyes. Holy fuck, it's a zombie bear. And zombie bear. And oh, my God. <laughs> where it wasn't uh, Dave and Dan, like, trying to get approval for a zombie bear for fucking seven years before they finally got approval. Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, there was like, supposed to be one at the fist of the first men in the books. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. There was this whole thing, because, like, that's when you start there, like, each chapter, like, the bear and the maiden fair song, like, gets brought up. And then, like, Sam is, like, you know, thinking about all the events at, at the Fist of the First Men and, like, the zombie bear and all this. And then, like, somebody's like, can we, like, should somebody sing a song or something? And, like, somebody's like, oh, what about the bear and the maiden fair? And Sam's like, no, not that yeah, one. That's funny. Yeah. So this yeah. first red shirt starts running back to the crew, running from the bear. And that bear must be really fast because it runs out to the side and just appears out of nowhere and just murks this guy from, from the side like a velociraptor. I was like, okay, it was in front of him and now it's like off to the side of him. Yeah, bears are really fast though. They run like 20 plus miles an hour. Yeah, yeah that's true. So uh, it attacks him from the side like a velociraptor. <laughs> that was funny. And uh, then all of a sudden, our whole crew is back to back with each other and they're forming a circle. And it's just like how the Avengers are all like back to back with each other in New York City when it's being attacked by the <laughs> aliens, you know, and the camera's spinning around them and they're all back to back. They do that above that overhead shot of the circle and it like ties yeah. in with all of like sim- symbolism and like symbols that we see throughout the series of just like the, you know, the, the circles and like, yeah, definitely know, circles white walkers are making and, and the children and like, just, it just like gets, yeah. Repeated or around Danny when the Misa scene and then, you know, yeah. John coming up at the battle of the bastards. Yep. So at this moment, the bear kills that one guy and launches him across and Beric and Thoros light their blades ablaze simultaneously. And that this, was so badass. So badass. And then this white bear, like this looks so fucking hardcore where you can like see its skeleton and it's like guts and like, <laughs> it's like partially yeah. decomposed and everything. It's so sick. I love how you can see its mouth like through, like you can see like all of its teeth and it looks like almost like a dinosaur mouth because yeah. of just the way it's rotted away yeah the way it's like lips are gone and stuff so um so it turns towards sandor and just like at the battle of blackwater bay when sandor was confronted with fire he panics and freezes and he's just about to be eaten by this bear that rushes him and thoros knocks him out of the way and jumps between them and the bear knocks him down on the Uh ground and and he starts like shaking him around by his sternum yeah, before that though, he's 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 got his he's he's like bench pressing his sword. Thoros is he's like oh, holding up the bear's face as the bear's teeth are wrapped around his sword, gnashing at Thoros's face. And there's these amazing shots where you can see like the sword and the bear's mouth and its teeth and its blue eye glowing and the flames are glowing. And was Thoros like bench pressing his sword in the in the thing's mouth while the sword was on fire? Totally. Wow, man, (laughs) amazing how many times I could watch this and not like fully like. Yeah, Yeah, it's the same thing. Tormund is kind of like bench pressing his sword later when all the whites are trying to press it against his neck, too. Um, Yeah, so the 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 bear grabs him, bites him by the, the, the torso right in his chest and starts thrashing him around a little bit. 
And uh, Sandor has, before this, when he's struggling and bench pressing the sword and the bear's trying to get to him, Sandor is in total shock. He's sitting there like on his butt from falling down from Thoros knocking him over. And he has a chance here. He could have helped save Thoros easily. He had the opportunity. There was like a good five, six seconds of struggling where he had the opportunity to just come and cut this fucking bear's head off. And instead, he's frozen, just sitting there. And eventually, Thoros loses the fight, drops the sword. The bear grabs him by the chest and starts thrashing him around. And uh, like eventually, somebody runs up with it looks like a dragon glass dagger and stabs the bear in the back, and it just instantly dies. And it's just lying there and they drag Thoros away and open up his, his furs and he's just leaking blood out of him. And, (laughs) and, uh, Sandor knowing it's his fault. He's like, we need to get him back to East watch. And Thoros is just like flask. (laughs) Give me the, give me the liquor. (laughs) And, uh, he takes some, he takes a few deep guzzles of that flask and tells Beric, do it. And he lights that sword ablaze and just cauterizes his wounds on his chest with the fire blade. Sandor turns away. He's like, yeah, he can't watch that shit. He's like, and, oh, God. Yeah. And Beric's like, you all right? He's like, I just got bit by a dead bear. <laughs> I, I did. You did. Funny old Funny life. Funny old life. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> he knows he's going to die, too. Like, for sure. And they lift him up and. And Beric sticks his sword into the snow, thrusts it into the snow to put out that flaming blade. And it just kind of. I loved that symbolism. So cool. Of fire going into ice and having the fire get put out. Yeah. I, I hope that's not a symbol of the end of the show. Yeah, hopefully not. And also, I mean, I, I'm worried about I, another blade going into snow. You know, we've seen enough blades go into Jon Snow already, <laughs> already you know, don't need any more of that. So next we're with Sansa and Littlefinger. Oh man. And Littlefinger is sowing discontent, trying to divide Sansa and Arya. I think this is the last time we see the real Littlefinger. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. This yeah. is the last time that he remains in character. Because I was watching very intently and I don't think it's the faceless man at this point. Right. Based off my theory of everything last that episode, he says is very little fingerish. It's little fingerish. <laughs> he sounds like little finger. He knows too much about the situation. I think this is the last time. I think this is a, like almost kind of his farewell to Sansa. Interesting. Because the next episode, it's not him. Mm, yeah, maybe. Maybe. So I thought it was pretty fucking cr- crazy here Sansa's worried about Arya after their bizarre interactions and she's confiding in Littlefinger and Littlefinger basically suggests having Brienne take out Arya do you notice that she's confiding air quotes air quotes Littlefinger yeah yeah yeah. she's totally like Like, encouraging him to make a move yeah yeah she doesn't want to talk to Littlefinger right it's she's doing this on purpose it's a setup it's a total setup because the past like three episodes that we've seen, she's like, get away from me. And now right. she's like, oh, I really want to have like a heart to heart. Yeah, totally. And so he's like, you know, telling her everything he thinks she wants to hear. The king chose you to rule in his absence and rule you have wisely, ably. They say that they respect you, you know, talking to your inner ears about like, it's like the same thing, like sewing dragon banners in your absence, you know, type, type thing. 
Yeah, and she was like, dude, she, like, they turned their back on John when he tried to take Winterfell. Then they named him King in the North, and now he's not here, so they're going to turn on him again. Like, how... How can you like freaking trust people? Yeah, they're like, like that. <laughs> like bloody wind veins. Great line. And so she she brings up the letter and uh she's asking if if Littlefinger knows how she would have gotten it. And he lies, right? Um for all for all Littlefinger knows though, she, like Sansa could have or Arya could have told her, like, I saw, you know, I know Littlefinger got this letter for you. You know, I know you're planning on destroying this letter with Littlefinger to hide what you did, you know. So Littlefinger goes out on a limb saying he doesn't know. Birds were listening. Yeah. True. True. Yeah. Littlefinger could know exactly what was said. So she, she says she's worried about Arya and she's worried that, you know, something's going to go down basically. And so she, Littlefinger's like, you may have disagreements, but she would never betray her family. And she's like, well, if she thought I was going to betray John, she might fucking kill me. Who knows? Like, she's crazy, right? <laughs> and um, and this is when he brings up Brienne. And he's like, well, perhaps Lady Brienne can help. She's sworn to protect both of Catelyn Stark's girls, right? Well, what if one was planning to harm the other, another in one way or another? She would be honor bound to intercede, wouldn't she? And I'm like, what is he trying to say here? Is he trying? Is she trying to suggest that Sansa has Brienne kill Arya, or like what? How intercede? How? Yeah, I think to kill Arya. But he just I said think- she's sworn to protect both of the girls. Well, see, and this is like I, I kind of think this. This is like when when Littlefinger saw them fighting in the courtyard, and Brienne has always just been like there, like to kind of like you know, imp- intimidate Littlefinger and kind of like, this is know, a way that he thinks he could get rid of Brienne. Yeah. I'm kind of thinking that, that Arya would kill Brienne. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Because it, it, it appeared that Arya may have had the upper hand in that yeah, battle exactly. down. And so that's what I think. Interesting. Too. So yeah, I, I just, agree with you, Sir Patrick. It's just fucked I, up that, he would be in like even suggesting this to Sansa. And if Sansa, like if it wasn't an act until this point, I think the idea that Littlefinger is putting in her head that she could potentially have Arya killed. I think this like flips a switch with her and just like, she realizes like, no, this is not right. This is the wrong path. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that sort of like, because Littlefinger, you know, he, he, the way he plays it is that he doesn't know what the outcome is going to be, but there's several outcome potential outcomes that work in his favor. And he's sort of playing the odds. Right. And he sort of, he sort of gets his way anyway, because Sansa sends Brienne away at least. Right. Yeah. And I thought that maybe that was a ploy by Sansa as well, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. So next we're moving on to Jorah talking to Thoros and getting to ask him about that amazing day. This made me so sad. I know he gets, yeah, before Thoros dies, he gets complimented by Jorah. Who's talking about that moment of like, I thought you were like the greatest warrior I've ever saw. No, I'm just the drunkest. (laughs) Yeah. He's talking about how the ironborn thought he was some kind of God, the way he came waving that flaming sword through the breach at Pike. Oh man, and he's asking him, "How drunk were you?" And he's like, "I don't even remember doing that, bro. <laughs> like, I was fucking wasted." <laughs> uh, 
And the look of disappointment on Jara's face is just so tangible. Uh, it's like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, never meet you. You weren't a hero after all. You right. were just a drunk. Right. And I think he's also, uh, there's a mix of disappointment and also just sadness that I think he knows that Thoros is dying and he's like, oh, this sucks, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I don't I think mean, he was really that disappointed in the drunkenness because, come on, he knows he's a drunk. He's like, how drunk were you? Like, like almost laughing about it, you know? So I don't even think he was really necessarily disappointed with Thoros. I think it was more sadness that he was going to, like, he knows he's dying, basically, like a hero. I think of he his. asked, like, how drunk were you? But then I think when Thoros was like, I don't even remember it. Then it was just like, there was nothing heroic about him running through the breach at Pike. Well, just because you're drunk and don't remember it doesn't mean that you weren't super heroic when you were drunk and had the right idea and knew what you were doing when you were drunk. <laughs> but I think to Jorah, it was kind of like, I thought you were the bravest man I'd ever seen. And instead, and he's then just to like, just realize yeah. like he was just blacked out drunk the character, is disappointing. Yeah, it's like a not the character that he was hoping for. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I feel you. So it also explains why he was the first one to jump in to save Sandor from the bear, too, because he's the drunkest and just like charging blindly in. And right, sort of right. Got, That's too so. a good point. The way he charged into the breach, he also charged into the like the gap in between Sandor and the bear here too. Yeah, man. So we've had one follower of the Lord of light sacrifice himself to save Sandor thus far. I'm saying we're going to get another one next season. Beric is going to either sacrifice himself to save Sandor or Beric is going to sacrifice himself to revive a dead Sandor. Awesome. I'm kind of thinking that Sandor is the new Thoros. Like he's got mystical relore powers and maybe he's kind of like the new red priest. I'm thinking he's more of like the new Beric where he's the one that needs to be, you know, alive. He's going to be brought back for some fighting purpose. Um, yeah. So then all of a sudden we're with Tormund again. And just like Bronn, he hears it first. He hears something over the crest and they they find this this trail of a, just clinking. a few yeah and there's just a few whites with one white walker marching along this pathway near this little stream and dude they got to make a move fast where there's only a few of them perfect opportunity right and i thought this white walker kind of looked like mace tyrell to me so i just thought that just thought that was kind of funny <laughs> and uh so they're all they ambush the whites and the white walker and they're all fighting and john uses long claw and kills a second white walker putting him in the lead for killing the the most white walkers <laughs> thus far of any character in the story that we know of so as as the white walker explodes into glass into ice all the necromancy spell is broken and all of the other whites drop dead except for the one and um, so that was interesting. So that luck- was kind of shocking when I first saw that. I was like, uh, what oh. just happened? Yeah, yeah, totally. And then it was like kind of an instant connection. Like the people that turned them, you know, right. they get the white walkers that turn them. If they die, then all their little minions die. Yeah. Someone said, oh, maybe he was the one that turned them. And that's why that would make sense. Why that one survived. Maybe he was turned by somebody else. But yeah. this this goes against your idea that the Patrick that the whites are completely controlled by the necromancer because 
this white continues to function in the absence of this of the necromancer here and if this white wasn't wasn't revived by this necromancer how come he was with this necromancer's group okay i could explain that white is controlled by the night king himself he sends out one white that's with that's he controls to monitor his <laughs> Because if something happened to them, like then they would have no way of knowing what happened. Oh, that's a good call. Dies. Right, the White like Walker that. dies. Every all the at least there's one white surviving to deliver the message back. <laughs> and think about this: the Night King can see through that white's eyes, so they bring him down to King's Landing, and he can see everything. Cersei, and he's like, "Yo, that chick is bay." I'm gonna go hit that, uh, and that's why he's gonna go. That's why he's going down to King's Landing. Yeah, he's gonna get him some Night's Queen. He's gonna get Boom. him a new queen. Yeah, I could see that happening. Actually, that'd be hilarious. Oh, yeah. He's totally like Tywin. He's got that same Tywin-esque quality, like that cold, just staring, <laughs> unblinking. Right, right, right. I think the Night King is Tywin. <laughs> she'll be I'm just saying she'll remind him of there's, her father there's my tinfoil for the evening <laughs> nice oh, so man. this is when basically they're like holy fuck this is crazy um also it's interesting too we, we so we know now that necromancy like when the necromancer dies everybody under his spell dies as well so interestingly it's not quite the same with fire whites because when thoros dies Beric doesn't die too <laughs> so it's not like yeah, well, he's, he's not being so fulfilled. if you well, theoretically yeah, yeah, kill tyburn will the mountain die i don't know it, yeah, it depends what kind of necromancy he's using <laughs> right maybe that'll be the only way they can defeat the mountain is to kill kyburn <laughs> that'd be it's funny white. what a science white Science whites. Yes, we've got fire whites, ice whites, and science whites. There you go. I like it. Yeah. Uh, So, John, here's the rumbling of the rest of them all coming. And he's like, fuck, tie that that motherfucker's bitch ass up. We got to go. You know, and he he tells Gendry, like, you got to go to Eastwatch, get a raven to Daenerys, tell her what's happened. You're the fastest. And I'm like, wait, how does John know that Gendry is the fastest? <laughs> you know, the just meta. He's the youngest, I think. So he what? He also got the longest legs. He doesn't have longer legs than the hound. No, but the hound is old and he's got a limp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, I mean, he broke I don't his know. femur. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, John's pretty freaking fast. We see him running along in the Battle of the Bastards. I don't know. I'm, but I'm just. He's the hero. Short and he's. <laughs> And he's got Valyrians. I mean, yeah, he's he's the only ranger among them. Right, right. I mean, like, um, so, uh, yeah, he, but, but Gendry doesn't want to give up his hammer, right? And, and but Tormund Tor, yeah. convinces him, like, you're faster without the hammer. Give it up. <laughs> Out of trade burst damage for mobility, bro. Yeah, 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 totally. And so he, uh, they, he runs off one direction, and they all run off and end up at this ice lake, and run towards the middle and the whole lake is surrounded by the whites and everything. And that one guy is straggling behind and they tackle him and break the ice. And that starts the chain reaction that cracks the ice under all the white walker, all the whites all around the whole Island basically. And is their momentary saving grace? The death of that one guy saves them for the night, basically. <laughs> and I point out that this lake is also surrounded by, um, suspiciously sea battered looking cliffs. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't notice. I'm just saying. My, my friend <laughs> from Sitka, Alaska, uh, I'm showing him and telling him all my tinfoil, and he's like, 
I got to admit, that looks exactly like the sea battered cliffs in Siska in Sitka, Alaska. Right? <laughs> nice. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And those cliffs are not there. Like if you watch the behind the scenes, they added those cliffs in. So they got to choose what the cliffs looked like. Just saying. Gotcha. Gotcha. So um, next morning we wake up. Thoros is dead. Sandor is uh, saying that, you know, freezing is one of the better ways to die, basically. And he takes Thoros's flask and starts drinking it, which is brutal. <laughs> And, and John like rips it out of his hand. He's like, we need to burn yeah, his body. We need that, that hyper flammable <laughs> stuff that you guys drink. The rum. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that was like part of the thing was like, he didn't want to drink the rum earlier because it's too bloody sweet, but now he's drinking. Oh, right. It right. That's but, funny. That's funny. Yeah. Cause he's like freaked out. Right. And After that, all can't stop like can't keep himself from like scavenging dead bodies right he's obsessed with it boots flasks <laughs> anything he can take so yeah. someone says well like talking about john's like we have to burn his body and someone's like we'll all be close behind him unless the lord of light is kind enough to send us a bit of fire and i was like oh dude you don't even know he's sending danny and with Bar- three bits of fire <laughs> but also so Bar- awesome. turns to him he's like bro have you been paying attention right he's like up. i got fire uh, yeah. but it's but it was like i thought it was funny because it was like a the bigger implications like yeah, you know too. yeah the like the the red priestesses talking about how danny is the the princess that was promised and all that and so the 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 chosen one of relore so relore is in a way bringing them a bit of fire by sending danny their way to to yeah definitely so um so they're talking about how they could go for the white walkers and maybe that way they'll stand a chance because the, the, the whites might die. But John points out they can't kill the white walkers because they need that one white alive, you know? But like, to, okay. So I had a note here. It's like, if you killed the night King, then you wouldn't need oh, then to you bring need anybody down to King's Landing. Right, so maybe that's what, because Beric, John's like, we need that white alive, basically. And then Beric's like, oh, no, we could kill that one because he turned them all. And that's right. So if they did kill the Night King, then they wouldn't need the white alive. Yeah. They just got to make sure they get the Night King. Like, John, it's, it's like John, John's kind of like, that's a weird sort of logic. Like, oh, no, we can't kill him because we need the... Right, right. Yeah, kill him, and then we'll it'll kill all of them, and you don't won't need anything. (laughs) Kind of a you know maybe like this whole time we've been worried about Danny becoming the Mad Queen that like we none of us have seen that like oh shit it's really John that like takes after yeah that would be funny. So next Beric is talking to John and he's like, kill him. He turned them all. And he says, you don't understand. The Lord of light brought you back. He brought me back. No one else, just us. And right at that moment, like I mentioned before, the hound hound. steps up in the background next to Beric. And I'm like, Oh, he's going to be important. And considering he's saying he brought you back, he brought me back. No one else, just us. I'm thinking that this may mean that either, like I said before, Sandor has already been brought back or that he will be brought he back will, next yeah. year, which I'm yeah. convinced like I've been calling it for years, dude, we're going to see Beric sacrifice himself for his, for Sandor. If there's one thing that I'm like really sure about, it's that. So Beric is like, what, like, why would he bring us back just to watch us freeze to death? And that's a good point. There's a bigger reason that they're here. He didn't bring them back. So they would die here. They're going to survive, you know, at least one of these two. 
Sandor then speaks. He's like, careful, Beric, you've lost your priest. This is your last life. And I'm thinking to myself, that's right. And he's going to give his last life to save you, Sandor. <laughs> oh, damn. Yeah, totally. That's also like, yeah, that's why I keep like bringing up like video game references and for this episode. Please. Right. Last life. <laughs> yeah. Game over. You lost, you lost and, your healer. Yeah. So, so Beric's like, I've been waiting for the end for a long time. Maybe the Lord brought me here to find it. And, uh, Maybe, you know, but <laughs> of course the hound has to say something hilarious. Every lord I've met, ever, ever met, has been a cunt. <laughs> Can't see why the Lord of Light should be any different. <laughs> yeah, that's so hilarious. It's just like, yeah, the gods are just like, like to fuck with people too. Totally. So next we're back at Winterfell and Maester Wolken has found Sansa with an invitation to King's Landing from Cersei. And basically S- Sansa's like, she's like, uh, Lady Bran, you're going to go because if they want to have another Stark as a prisoner, they can come and take me. Yeah. Sh- yeah. She's like, I'm not setting foot in King's Landing while Cersei Lannister is queen. And I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Finally. Like, smart move. <laughs> From Sansa's body language, you can tell that there's a, you know, there's a duplicitous, like, reason for why she's sending her, too. Like, this is definitely connected to, to Littlefinger. Like, to Littlefinger's conversation, exactly. Yeah, I think, like, well, so, so Bran's worried about leaving her with Littlefinger, and, and she sends her away anyway. And I'm like, yeah, is she... like, I'm not a child. I'm right. the Lady of Winterfell. Yeah, I'm home. This is the safest place for me. So I'm wondering, is she sending Brienne away intentionally to make Littlefinger think that he has more power to maneuver in her absence to, like, get him to come out and make a move now that Brienne's gone, like, her, her main yes. protector? You know, that's that's I also point. think it's to keep Brienne from interfering of, with the plans. From interfering with the the plan. The takedown. So well see, check this out. This is kind of dark, but like little like she's learned from Littlefinger. So the way that Littlefinger sets things up to have possible, like different possible outcomes for her benefit, like she's doing the same like, thing. Okay. Not to so so she doesn't have like little her around like she doesn't want Littlefinger to try and pit Arya against Brienne, but and maybe like what you just said about like Littlefinger feeling safer to like reveal himself, but also also in case she needs to scheme against Arya. Oh, getting Brienne oh. there so Brienne can't protect yeah. Arya. She might she might potentially yeah need be seeing Arya as a threat that she needs to eliminate. But Brienne is sworn to protect her. And I haven't really noticed that until this rewatch, like especially starting in Battle of the Bastards, there's this darker undercurrent of Sansa that isn't really explicitly, like overtly communicated, but it's there if you really look for it. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Yeah. Damn, so that's intense. Yeah. So Bran's like, at least let me leave Podrick. <laughs> He's become a competent swordsman. I'm like, really? You're just kicking his ass last episode. Nope. Nope. Don't do this. Don't do that. <laughs> Still doesn't mean he's not competent. <laughs> True, because she's like hyper competent. Yeah. And so she's like, I swore an oath to protect you if I abandon you. And Sansa's just like cold as fuck, cuts her off. The trip to King's Landing is long, Lady Brienne, and you won't be traveling on summer roads. The sooner you leave, the better your chances of making it there on time. And I'm just like, damn. She's channeling her inner Cersei in that moment. That's the way she delivers that to her, like, and like looking down, like pretending to write something. Yeah, definitely. 
So next we move on to Danny and how she's decided to leave and fly up to beyond the wall. And Tyrion's trying to talk her out of it. He's like, you can't win if you're dead. The most important person in the world can't fly to the most dangerous place in the world. And she's like, who else can? No one. They, you know, and he's like, they knew the risk when they left. Like, you can't do this. You can't break the wheel if you're dead. You, like, and so she's like, what, what do you want me to do? Nothing. He's like, sometimes nothing is the hardest thing to do. And this made me think of, it's just like Jon Snow. He had to face this difficult situation when he was up at the, at the, at Castle Black after having joined the Night's Watch. And he knows that Rob is in danger down south. And he, he leaves oh. Longclaw and rides to help Rob, right? And remember Lord Commander, like Samwell and Pip and Gran chase him down and force him to come back. And it's the same thing. Like he, it was the hardest thing to do nothing, but that's what John had to do is just stay up at the wall and do nothing. And that's what exactly what Aemon Targaryen had to do also when his oh, family man. was being slaughtered during Robert's rebellion, his oath prevented him from doing anything. It would have been the right thing. Like, because I mean, like, yeah, it would have been tragic to have John and, and all those people die, but like, I really don't think the, that the Night King could get south of the wall without that dragon. I think that, like, yeah, that was right. like the whole like, scheme. That's the crux. He needed that dragon to bust the, the magic, basically, to counteract the ice magic with the fire magic or something. Yeah. Super I'll, hardcore. I'll at, the begin, as the, at the beginning of that scene, like, notice that the dragons are waking up. Like, they're yawning and, like, shaking their heads. Oh, like interesting. Yeah, so like you know, symbolic of the Targaryen waking within Daenerys, and also like the last hero. I mean, the uh, the prince that was promised waking waking dragons from stone, from stone, from Dragonstone. So that could be John forcing Danny to leave Dragonstone, waking the dragons. John being in danger is what woke Danny, or woke what woke the dragons from the stone from Dragonstone. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it made me think of those, but those parallels with John have, thinking about riding south and with Eamon being stuck at the wall. And it, the only difference here is Danny doesn't have any oaths stopping her. And she knows she needs to save John. She's going to do what she wants to do. Right. Yeah. She's my kind of woman. Yeah. And Tyrion is freaking out. He's like, if you die, we're all lost. Everything, everyone, you know? And she's like, (laughs) so epic. She's like, you told me to do nothing before. And I listened to you. I'm not doing nothing again. I love it. Oh, Oh, so cool. Right. And so next we cut to Arya's chambers and Sansa is rummaging through her stuff, finding the faces. Okay, so when Sansa found the faces, did you see the first face she pulled out? Who was it? It looked like Samwell. Ooh, I didn't I didn't notice. I I noticed the second second one was Walder. The second face she pulls out is Walder Frey. But the first one, I rewound it a couple of times and it's so hard to tell because it's upside down, but it looks like Sam. Weird. <laughs> well, I don't think she's had any contact with Sam yet or anything. So uh, I just found it interesting that it was like resemblant, like it, it looked like him. It may not have been him, but it had like a goatee and it was kind of funny. chubby and it had kind of like a pointed nose. It was, <laughs> it was 
It looked a lot like him for sure. Epic. So all of a sudden, as Sansa's looking through the faces, Arya just appears out of nowhere. All of a sudden, she's in the room, you know, and the door is closed. And I love, I love that they made it a point to when Sansa was opening the door, they made like the sound of the door like louder than normal. Oh, so we so it'd stick out that not there was no sound when Arya appears. Like you hear it open and close, and then. Aria appears with no sound, and then when Aria leaves, you can hear it open and close. Interesting. So, was she using some type of like cloaking or something? She was in there the whole time. <laughs> oh, it's so weird. I don't know. The Aria dinosaur, and just the way that in Jurassic Park, the T Rex just shows up and kills the raptors, and you never heard him coming. Right. So she can do that. Totally. So awesome. she's fucking creepy as fuck now, huh? First we had Brannable Lecter last episode. Now we have like Brannable. <laughs> now we have like yeah. Arya Dahmer or something. She's like so creepy. She's like Yeah. So creepy. What are these? Sansa asks. And oh, she's like, Arya's like, not what you're looking for. And Sansa kind of freaks out and turns and she's like, I have hundreds of men here, all loyal to me. And Arya's like, they're not here now. And this, the door is closed, like you said. So this threw you for a loop and throws our whole acting thing into question because there's nobody potentially listening. Um, I mean, you know, unless Littlefinger has some sneaky way to like listen in to closed rooms at Winterfell. This is, as far as they know, in private, this conversation is happening. And um, yeah. Sansa keeps asking her questions. And Arya's totally telling the truth. Where did you get them? In Bravos. I was training to be a faceless man. What the fuck does that mean? You know? And Arya's being so creepy. Back in Bravos, before I got my first face, there's this game I used to play. The game of faces. It's simple. You know, I ask a question about yourself and you try to make a lie sound like the truth. And Sansa's like, I'm not playing this fucking game. This is, this is scary. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, this is bullshit. Arya says the same thing to the waif. Like, I, I don't want to play this game. Oh. Um, Shay says the same thing to Tyrion. Tyrion, the drinking game. They're playing. Yeah. So. Faceless yes. man, faceless Shay. Faceless yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> man. man, yeah. So uh, sure. she's asking her all these questions about how she feels about John being king. And, and does she think that there's someone else that should rule the North instead of him? And she just keeps, like, diverting and asking about the faces. And she's like, are you sure you want to be the one asking the questions? It, the game of faces didn't work out so well for the last person who asked me questions. <laughs> that was hilarious. The waif. Now, was that Aria or the waif? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking it's the waif, considering Nymeria's reaction to Aria a few episodes ago. She doesn't go with her. Yeah, but she doesn't rip her face off either, which she probably would have if it was not Aria. So... She's like, you wanted to be a queen, to sit next to a handsome young king in the Iron Throne. And she's like basically threatening Sansa here. And she's like, neither of us got to be the person we wanted to, did we? But now I can be anyone I want. With the faces, I can choose. I can become someone else, speak in their voice, live in their skin. I can even become you. I wonder what it would feel like to wear those pretty dresses, to be the Lady of Winterfell. All I need to find out is your face. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's crazy. But at the same time, 
We've seen Arya's face on someone else, even though she was still alive. So she may not even need to kill Sansa to wear her face, technically, right? That was that was a hallucination, though, because of the uh, the poison the well, yeah, or the the, the poison, poison that, or whatever. Oh I no! Mean, it, it, it was wearing a different face that that was poisonous that made her go blind, theoretically. So, um, I mean, I think it was doing it out of like the realm of what the faceless men were about that made her blind, not necessarily like she, yes, she took a face from the wall, but she used it inappropriately. Whereas now she's using them appropriately. So she won't go blind. Gotcha. Yeah. That can make sense. Um, She's she's no one like Aria has become no one, but she's wearing her own face because she's carrying out Aria's list. Right. She's interesting. I could see that for sure. So um, she's like, all I need to to find out, all I need to find out is your face. And she picks up the dagger and starts walking over to Sansa. And Sansa's like, oh, fuck, like, what the hell is going on here? And then she's going. So I don't mean to interrupt you, Duncan, but going back to what D&D say about, like, things don't happen necessarily in, like, sequential order. Yeah. Maybe this was what happened before Sansa talked to Littlefinger. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I think that there's yeah. probably some involvement with Bran, though, being like, listen, I know you guys are fighting and you need to get over this bullshit and focus on Littlefinger. Well, I think this may be what the conversation was and we just didn't see all of it. And then they went to Bran and then they went up on the Bannermans and like had their argument. Yeah, uh, I don't think that they show the scenes out of sequence, though. I think that no, like, things definitely they, get shown out of sequence for sure. Well, well, no, they'll they'll show something that's happening in in like Winterfell or whatever, and then show something that happened two months ago in that. King's Landing. Yeah, and but things spot. right, but we don't see things out of sequence in location in the same location. Okay, yeah, yeah that makes enough. sense. Yeah. I, I can agree with that. I can. That's true. Yeah, I agree with that too. So she walks over towards Sansa with the dagger, and Sansa's terrified. And then she flips the dagger, so it's the point is facing her, and hands it to Sansa. And Sansa grabs it, and she just calmly walks out. And I'm like, what the fuck? And Sansa's like, what the fuck, dude? What just happened? Right. What in the fucking fuck just even happened? (laughs) Totally. Totally. What the fuck? And I think that maybe at that point, Arya may be revealing to Sansa that she's just fucking with her, that she's just like saying stuff or something. I don't know. Like maybe, maybe she's like, this is the game. Like we're playing a game here. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what was, what's going on, but what she the gives fuck? She the chance to try and stab her in the back, too. Yeah, she does. That's interesting. Yeah. She's sort of like... Maybe that was saying, what she was doing. That was her test to see if Sansa would, like, betray John by by making sure she could betray John by killing Arya. Yeah. And, and, you know, she's, like, saying, like, she's also making sure that Sansa knows... You know, a you don't have anything to worry about unless you're gonna like go against John, and mm-hmm. you know because she's like handing her the knife and saying like I'm not just gonna kill you, but you also she's also saying I'm not afraid of you and like testing her to see if she's you know yeah. to make sure she's too afraid to try and stab her or like you know that she's loyal enough. To uh, not she's like, listen, like 
do you think John's like, do you think somebody else would be better to rule instead of John? Cause if you think that you're better to rule than John, like for all, like I could disappear you and no one would ever know you're gone. I could just pretend to be you and still have the loyalty of the veil, still have the loyalty of the Northern Lords. You better yeah. be yourself. Like you better be cool. Otherwise you could just disappear. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's pretty wild. Yeah. So next it cuts next. We're, we're back at North of the wall at the, the dragon chain scene. And oh, damn. Yeah. I totally forgot about this. Yeah. The end of the episode and the, the night King has these giant chains, these four massive chains, and these huge lines of men of whites that are, have connected the chains to Viserion in, inside the lake and are dragging them up onto the, onto the shore. And oh man, it's so sad to see his his limp body being pulled up onto the ice. It makes it gives. I can't even watch. To be honest, it oh, makes me so sad. I know, and feel like it looks like they're using practical effects. I know it's, it's nuts. TV. And the way that they have his jaw like lined up improperly because he's he's dead, so he's not like dead. making sure that his lo- yes. jaws lined up straight. His head is kind of settled with his jaw cocked at an awkward angle, really poignant touch that just made it like uh, just made it really hard to, to look at like to you're see saying a dead dragon yeah, it's really like there's three on the planet brutal. yeah and now there's only two also the way that they shoot this scene your eye is there's like this misdirection going on where like you know the way that all these people complained about like where did those chains come from like they show an overhead shot where like way off to the side there's that little dock and then they show this profile of the dragon being dragged by the chains, like, and the there's like this like extreme like um, perspective where the the dock is right in front of your face, going as the dragon goes past it, and oh, all, these, all these people nobody noticed that dock that has those chains on it that looks just like the docks at Hardhome, by the way. Interesting. Um, but, it's right there in front of your face, literally. And all these people missed it. And I just think that that is just brilliant. Well, there you go. So where do you think you got the chains? Just from these, like, home. from hard home. They're at, they're at hard home, which is the only place that would have had those chains. And it's right there. Gotcha. Like the dock is embedded in the ice and the chains are right there. Like I, I feel like if, if you really pay attention, there's no way you can deny that this is hard home. I have confirmed that the chains are there and the dock is there. So yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. The only question I have now is just hard home is so much farther North than a, the run that it would take for Gendry to get back. But so it could be like another port, a port like on the way slightly North of East watch. Yeah. And I mean, like he, like we've talked about the night King is connected to the werewolf, werewood network. He sees visions. He knew that the dragons were going to be here. He knew he was going to need the chains. Like he's had this planned for thousands of years for all we know. And he's just been waiting to emerge, to build his army all leading up to this moment where he gets his dragon that enables him to break the magical barrier of the wall and allows him into the seven kingdoms. So this is not just like, like a, like a spur of the moment type thing from my perspective. This is something yeah. that the Night King has been working towards for a long time. And he's had a lot of, of time and, you know, 
and to prepare and to get these chains there and to have them made and shit like that. So it obviously he's got, you know, he's got like armor and stuff like that. He's has technological capabilities. Like he could oh. have chains made. You know what I mean? No, that's against Canon. They ever, all the armor that they have, they pick up from people that have dropped it there, the night watch or, or wildlings. And that was like a complaint that people had. Like they, they, they can't, they can't forge metal because they're allergic to fire hmm, interesting yeah that that's what they've picked up gotcha. if you notice in the early on part in the earlier they're naked season, yeah okay I mean, so that makes sense that's pretty cool i like that and in the yeah. books their armor is like they do have armor and it's totally different it's like sort of like invisible shielding and like translucent yeah. and shit <laughs> so, that's so. crazy like like what the night? If you look close at the Night King, like what his horns are made of, they yeah, have like, like entire suit armor. Yeah, totally. So sick. So the one, the other thing, the only thing that I really have a problem with in this scene, which is like a stupid thing, is the one thing that Neil deGrasse Tyson pointed out about this scene. How when actually, God damn you, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, how like the chains I, would be taut and straight going over the crest he, of that hill, uh, huh? I, He's wrong. I refute Neil deGrasse Tyson because rewatching it, I'm looking for that. The whites that are like actually like closest to Viserion pulling at the chains, those those chains are taut. It's just the ones that are out in front of him, like leading it. Those ones that are slack. Yeah, but if so, unless unless those whites that are carrying that that are pulling on the chains are heavier than that dragon, the the chains would be taut from the top of the hill. They wouldn't be taught just from the first white. Those whites would be lifted up by the tension of the chain from the top of the hill, dragging them backwards. Unless they're all heavier than the weight of that dragon, then they would be floating in the middle of the air <laughs> in those taut chains. Interesting. Yeah. If, so if I refute, you're refuting. No, because I refute that. <laughs> that's why the chains are slack except for the ones that the the closest whites are so i guess the real actual problem is that only the only the few, like three whites are doing the heavy lifting <laughs> yeah 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 that's, there you go them are just like pulling they just got up. really pointy boots that give them really good grip on the snow to pull that big old dragon bitch out well what what is dead may never die but rises harder and stronger so maybe totally. they're just really strong totally so so interestingly at hard home, we saw the night King just raise his hands and all of the, the dead people, the dead wildlings and night's watchmen who didn't survive the battle raised, raised up from the dead with their glowing blue eyes. But here it's a little bit different. The night King decides to give Viserion a more personal touch with this necromancy and almost in like a respectful way of the, the glory and majesty of this monstrous beast. He goes up to it and touches it on the snout with his own hand. And after a few seconds, the dragon's eyes open blue and we've got an undead white dragon. That's fucking like power amplified. It seems like it's, it's flames are like way stronger after this. <laughs> Those blue. Flames. Can I just say that my two year old son loves dragons and I showed him this scene. There's very minimal scenes that I will allow him to watch in Game of Thrones, uh-huh. but there's a few. And he got so excited. He looked at me and he goes, look, 
mommy, the dragon eye is blue. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so it funny. is pretty cool. I was like, yeah, it's blue, buddy. Good yeah. job. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I just thought that was interesting that he gives a, more of a personal touch to Viserion, and it took a few seconds for Viserion to wake up. So maybe, maybe it was necessary. Maybe it's just like harder to resurrect a dragon, and he needed to touch it, and for a few well, seconds. Way- the way I interpret well, he that, touched it, the ba- he, they touched the babies. Yeah, he's not a white. He's a white walker. But only he's, he's, we don't see dead people or dead things get turned into white walkers, though. We only see living things get turned into white walkers. Exactly. Oh, that's true. That's very true. White so, walkers are alive. So dead. Viserion, mm, you don't think he was dead? When we see him next well, time, no, his wings are all his wings are all like ripped up and stuff. Next I, time we see him, yeah, I have a note about that next time because it's like he was like a fully intact dragon that got turned immediately. So when right. did he get like holes and shit in his dra- in his dragon wings? Maybe it could have been from the impact of the ice when he fell and all that crushed up ice that he smashed up. Maybe it resulted in some few holes in his oh, wings. That's that's true. But we don't see that when he gets pulled out of the ice here of the, no, of the he water. looks intact. Right. So it seems that there's some degradation that's occurred since the last um, thing. Maybe, maybe he's decomposing. And we don't we don't know that uh, uh, that you can't create a, a White Walker from right uh, from a dead being. We just haven't seen it. Yeah. So I'm not ruling like, it out. I'm just saying that I think it's more likely that Viserion is a white as opposed to a White Walker. And so if you go back if you look at the bear compared to to this guy, and you look at the eyes of the White Walkers compared to the whites, the whites have pale blue eyes like a cerulean blue. And the White Walkers have deep, dark, like royal blue eyes. Hmm. Yeah, I'll take and a closer look at that. And also, if he's a white, then shouldn't he like go up in flames when he breathes fire? Well, his fire has changed, you know, and maybe that's the difference between like uh, now he's a combination of both fire and ice magic. You know what I mean? So. I- I think it's like the combination of the ice and fire magic together, I think sort of like amplified his powers, which makes his projection of the flames out of his, the blue flames out of his mouth, mouth next episode. So overwhelmingly powerful. You know what I mean? Quite possibly. Yeah, possibly. Anything else you guys want to add or is that, uh, is that it for notes for you guys too? I think it wraps up my notes. <laughs> I mean, I, for the sake of brevity, I can cut it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sounds We've only good. been talking about it for four and a half hours. Yeah. So we've been talking about it for about a year now. So. Yeah. All right. Stick with us, guys. We'll be right back after a short break. I've traveled to a bunch of random places and random countries. But as a Midwestern guy, I recently have been falling in love with what the more rugged parts of America have to offer to all of us before they're gone. Team H Productions in Powers Media House presents Beautiful America, a musical documentary series with all original content. Explore the southwest of America and indulge in some places you've heard of and plenty more that you certainly have not. Cooking under the stars and below freezing temps of Death Valley. 4K drone footage of one of the most insane monoliths on Earth. Driving in abandoned mines, cliffs, canyons, and wild times. Check it out. Team Mage Productions on Facebook and YouTube. That's T-E-A-M-A-G-E Productions. Beautiful America.
Ravens, fuck yeah. Yeah. Yes. Time for some Ravens. My fave. And we're back. Skipping news and Game of Thrones and history again to go straight to Ravens because this is already a super long episode. So, you hear that? Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Sir Matthew of House Rep. Jorah, I can't think of a worse way for him to go. The Night's Watch was his life. He would have died to protect every one of those men, and they butchered him. John, I hate that he died that way. Here, John is being sympathetic to Jorah when deep down he knows firsthand what a horrible betrayal that like that feels like. Oh, yeah, true. I was so confused the first time I watched this and kept seeing all these random people dying off. I completely missed the fact that they brought a squad of red shirts with them from the wall to help carry the sled. (laughs) (laughs) Gendry might be the world's slowest rower, but man, can he run a marathon? (laughs) Totally. Damn. And this is sort of similar to the story of marathon too, right? Where the man is running to deliver news of a battle at marathon. He ran to where he died. Yeah, basically. Um, well, there's conflicting stories about the distance That's and the true. locations and everything. So depending on who you're listening to, <laughs> which is funny. Matthew, Sir Matthew continues. John gets his second White Walker kill. And this way we find out that being that killing the Walker, the whites under its control die too. How lucky that this other white happened to be with them. <laughs> I don't think it's luck at all. I think Sir Patrick's right about this. Sending one person Me too. <laughs> you know, makes sense strategically. Oh shit. There goes the healer. Poor Thoros of Mir. Beric needs to be more careful now that he's ran out of extra lives. First we had Branable. Now Arya is acting like a total psycho. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Lady Sarah of House Larkham. I liked this episode. I thought that all the talking between the Eastwatch 7 was a bit boring. What? (laughs) (laughs) No way. I liked how Tyrion just basically said to Daenerys, we need to think about the succession if basically you get killed on the battlefield. But Daenerys just thinks that Tyrion is being silly and that Tyrion is thinking about himself. Mm Mm-hmm. Sansa sends Brienne to King's Landing to represent her because if Sansa goes, she will be captured and tortured by Cersei for Joffrey's death. Oh, yeah. Even though Cersei knows that Elena killed Joffrey. Right, because she's on the run from King's Landing ever since escaping with Littlefinger. Yeah. Wanted. (laughs) Brienne says to Sansa, I don't trust Littlefinger with you alone, even though Arya and Sansa are already planning with Littlefinger's mind, playing with Littlefinger's mind. Mm, definitely. Lord Pete of House Clark, my man. In my opinion, Danny makes up her mind to go after Jon Snow and crew by her own agency and does not wait around for Dendry to send a raven and then make the trip. <laughs> this is a preemptive argument against rocket ravens or, quote, hollow earthers. <laughs> Who the hell are you talking about, um, she just felt that's what she needed to do. There you go, Dunk. Yeah, preemptively. I agree. Out of her own agency. She was freaking out, just worried about them. And she was just like, I can't, I can't deal with this. And just flew off, basically. <laughs> I like it. But, but really, I mean, 
they they got there quicker because the literal the opening map is literal and concave uh, yeah now yeah, that we've seen that opening map <laughs> like the 3d ver- yeah. the 360 camera version that zuckerberg posted yeah uh, which doesn't work for me so i don't really know how cool it is oh it, it's it's, it's pretty kind cool. of disorienting yeah it's a bit disorienting you have to watch it a few times figure out how to operate the the 360 because it's guiding you and you have to like operate in accordance with it otherwise you're like all over the place <laughs> uh okay. Sir Cody of House Christian. And this is an episode, uh, an email regarding the last episode, which I just didn't get on time. I'm sorry about that. I, I overlooked it somehow. Talking about spoils of war. He says, the best episode we've gotten so far. Loot trade yeah. battle. I'll never forget watching this for the first time and the feeling I got when feeling I got when Drogon roared right after Jamie's we can hold them off <laughs> dragons on the battlefield for the first time in centuries and the Dothraki and Westeros for the first time ever doesn't get more epic than that. The moment we get a close up on one of the Lannister soldiers faces just before he gets burnt alive followed by the aerial shot of the soldiers attempting to hold the line but avoiding the fire the Dothraki riding through the flames. So much incredible camera work and CGI. This gives the Battle of the Bastards a run for its gold. So we end with Jamie and Bronn sinking into the water. And the next episode opens with them crawling back onto land. How long were they down there? Clearly long enough for the entire battle to finish and for Danny to round <laughs> up the last of the Lannister army far enough away to not notice them. <laughs> I guess they assumed enough dragon CGI excuses. Any slight continuity errors? Not mad about it. <laughs> um... I guess they assumed enough dragon CGI excuses any slight continuity errors. Not mad about it. Keep up the great work and always remember, only a fool would meet the Dothraki in an open field. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Thanks so much for writing in, Sir Cody. We love you guys. Yeah, and thanks everybody for writing in. Always great. All right, that's our show, episode 108. Thanks for listening, everybody. Seven blessings, Sir Patrick, for joining us this evening. Yeah. We loved having you on tonight. Totally. Oh, really? Always good to have <laughs> you, man. Hope I didn't derail the show too much. <laughs> no, not at all. No. Said a lot more. It'll be a, yeah, I, you made some really, really cool points, man. Really cool points, for yeah. sure. Always, always really fun stuff. And a huge thank you to John Bailey, the epic voice guy from the Emmy-nominated Honest Trailers for announcing our show. If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast or patreon.com slash gompodcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com. Doing some online shopping? Go to gameofmicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. Any contribution you make helps, and you can help secure the continued existence of GOM. We'd like to thank our patrons, Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lady Lucy of House Roberts, Lady Candace of House Twos, Lady Terry of House Theodore, Lord Jeff of House Allen, Sirenicide, Lord John of House Grills, Lord Jeremiah of House Carpenter, and Luke, the Low Duke. We love you guys and appreciate your patronage. And another thank you to Lord Bryson of House Wolf for your generous donation. Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys. We love you so much. Definitely. 
And make sure to check out Sirenicide, the serialized horror drama podcast featuring me and Archmaster Stitches. Go to Sirenicide.com and download it wherever you get your podcasts. We also want to give a huge thanks to Lady Lisa of House Guy, High Romancer. She has been super clutch behind the scenes working to get our website GameOfMicrophones.com up and running. She's also an incredibly skilled artist, so check out her amazingly illustrated book, The People You May See, available now on Amazon.com. It's Prime eligible, too. And you guys, seriously, I have a two-year-old. He loves it, right? Totally. Go out and buy it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You can check all of her work out at FineArtsByLisa.com. She's also on Instagram and Facebook, slash FineArtsByLisa. Um, next ep we'll be covering the season seven finale, The Dragon and the Wolf. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. Yeah. Interestingly about the dragon and the wolf. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it next episode, but obviously right off the bat, you hear the dragon and the wolf and you think about Daenerys Targaryen and Jon Snow, right? Mm. But also, yes, we do. Yeah. But also next episode is the revelation that Jon himself is technically the dragon and the wolf combined as we learn his true what? heritage of, of being both a Stark and a Targaryen, right? So it could refer to both of them as a couple as they get together for the first time, bounce, wow, wow. Or it could just be referring to John, who is both the dragon and the wolf. Or it could be referring to Ghost, who is actually a dragon living a second life as a wolf because he can work. <laughs> Wait, so dra- which dragon would he be living the second life? I don't know. One of them. <laughs> Viserion is ported into into Ghost. That'd be cool. Uh, he was. Uh, he could be Balerion. He could be Eris. Damn. Big Ar- Balerion the Black Dread, coolest dragon ever. <laughs> there, there's a part in the books where Ghost actually wargs John. <laughs> you don't see that. You don't see the other wolves doing that. There's a part where John <laughs> gets warged by Ghost. I'm not kidding. <laughs> He's like thinking, and then like suddenly he's thinking about like tasting like somebody's blood in his mouth, and like oh really? He just wants to stomp on their flesh. And I mean, like, I oh, know no. that happens to Bran by being used to being warging into summer. <laughs> it's hilarious. All right, if you'd like to call us, you can always call us at eight one three five six three three seven three nine. That's eight one three Joffrey. If you would like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones dot com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash BOM podcast. Imslap. Uh. You can can also listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, and Steemit. Just search for Game of Microphones to find our channel. Likes, comments, and shares are greatly appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at GOM podcast. And we're on Tumblr, too, at Game of Microphones. All right, that's our show. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. You have to keep moving. That's the secret. Walking's good. Fighting's better. Fucking's best.
There's not a living woman within a hundred miles of here. We'll have to make do with what we've got. <laughs> ah, Dick. I like it. <laughs> so funny. Classic. You're the one that they call the dog. Yeah. In great hound fashion. Fuck, fuck off. off. <laughs> so, nope, it's pussy for me. <laughs> I have a beauty waiting for me back in Winterfell. Thanks for the soundbite, Rachel. That's going at the end. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Why do you always get me to say those lines? I'll show you how a man ends it. <laughs> yeah. So badass. <laughs> There's a fucking spider. Uh, sorry. Thanks. Another good sound bite. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Hold on. Oh, oh, Where'd it go? Oh, there like, it is. As we were starting our recording, I like got up silently and like stepped on a spider in my bare feet. <laughs> I don't know what to do. It's like dangling from the ceiling. Tell it that if it has any problems with you, you'll burn it alive. <laughs> oh my god, sorry. That scared the shit out of me. It came down right in front of my face. No way. Uh, <laughs> that's epic. <laughs> And uh, it just goes to show you how sometimes shit things happen to good people, right? And that's oh, something, yeah, yeah we totally. Do, it happens pretty common in Westeros. <laughs> they both lost their heads too. Yeah, yeah. To him. Drinking wine out of the skull of your fucking Mormon. <laughs> Carl fucking Tanner. <laughs> Carl fucking Tanner. Legend of it's, Pit of Gen Alley. It's Fukin. It's fucking, fucking it's fucking yeah. fucking Carl. <laughs> fucking, <laughs> that's the best. <laughs> oh man, I love Carl Tanner. And uh, this is when John sort of corrals Jorah off to the side and stops. And uh, I'm like, oh my god, this is such a huge moment here. He starts to loosen his sword belt, and, and like, always take it off that sword belt. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Battle of the bastards, throwing it on the ground. Because he looks. Super good doing it. Yeah. All the ladies want John to take his belt off. Just like Ned did. He admitted falsely to conspiring against Joffrey, forgetting about his own pride for the sake of the lives of his daughters. So John's going to do the same thing. It's like the one time Ned lied, he lost his head for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so cool, man. Yeah. I like it. So John's Jesus. Then we got the three wise men, Jorah, Beric, and Tormund. And who are the 12 apostles? Well, there's 12 of them that go out. Oh, from, 12 that go north, that range north? Yeah. So I, I would call Benjamin the, the, yeah, the, the 12. 12. Gotcha. He'd be John the Baptist, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, we already have John the Bastard. So yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That was cool. I like that. Yeah, because we used to make all these uh, connections with with religious symbolism from the show. Um, like back in season two, I think we were doing a lot of that. Oh yeah. So this you is, also that was have cool. the Night King with his like four lieutenants, and they always remind oh, me of the, the four horse- horsemen of the yes. apocalypse. That's great. Yeah. So it's like the four horsemen of the apocalypse facing off against Jesus and the twelve disciples here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sort of puts Benny in the awkward position of being the whore of Babylon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Or is she Lucifer who falls from heaven on the dragon? 
Oh. Bringer of light, right? That's what Lucifer means, the light bringer, and she shows up wielding the most blazing torch of all. It's true. So maybe... uh, So John is Jesus, Danny is Lucifer. (laughs) This is cool. And that's the whole... That's Wow, that's deep. Because John is also... I mean... I don't, want to, I don't want to open this can of worms. I don't know, but he's also Hitler. I, mean, <laughs> I kind of think of him as like Jesus Hitler or like, a, you know, he, he's sort of like, or, a, you know, a, a, a bizarro Hitler that's good. Or, Why is he Hitler? Like okay. So he is the, the dark haired, dark eyed leader of the, the Targaryens of the, you know, the, Oh, the Aryans, the Targaryens. Yeah, with their you know their blonde hair and not blue eyes, but well, blue in the show, anyway. Um, <laughs> you know, but the the the, the, the Valyrians are definitely, I think, you know, they're patterned on you know um, Aryans, sort yeah, sort of like Atlantis, but also like with the Nazis. Where I think we're supposed to figure out that this all happened beforehand because it's it's so far away, it's like thousand miles from Dragonstone, right? There, it's impossible. Well, also, for, I mean, you make a good this. point, Duncan, because they don't have any fire and they're not going to like survive very long without food and water right. up, up on that rock and like below freezing temperatures. It's only been one night. Thoros died overnight. They wake up, Thoros is dead. And, and this is, yeah. you know, what's happening. And, and you don't see all the nights after that, where they had to survive by eating. Thoros. <laughs> <laughs> that was oh my God. That I, I never realized this until this, like yesterday when I rewatched it again, and I was just thinking like, Oh shit, that's common practice. And, and why did you, why did JR want to bring Sam? Why was Sam so vital? <laughs> In case they had to eat that nice. Marbled. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of eating human flesh, Danny and John, they're so romantic together. I just love <laughs> oh my God. Those abs. <laughs> sitting there looking at his abs and his wound. Yeah. Yeah. They're so rugged. That's when she like gets a close view of his wounds. She probably sees them though when Davos is stripping off his frozen. She uh, does. She's standing right there and she sees that all the scarring and his hot, sexy washboard abs. (laughs) Yeah. Her mouth kind of drops open and she realizes that what Davos said is true and that there's something very magical about him. Yeah, exactly. She sees like a parallel of herself in him that he's like survived the like a miraculous situation type thing and i think that she really starts to see him as an equal in that moment but she's also seeing him as like oh wow not only has he survived like miraculously and come back from death but he's got this incredible body like wow. <laughs> he's like an axe body spray model or something yeah. like yeah, he, he, he yes, may be little he for a hero, she but he's sees got how abs. He is. There, there you go. <laughs> she sees how fat he is. There, there you go. Totally. Has two meaning. Uh, cut. Yeah. Because he's so cut. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, 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 Literally up. cut up by yeah. knives. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he, yo, that guy is cut. <laughs> with Jorah mentioning like the sword, the sword serving John's children. And we also have Tyrion talking about Danny and what's going to come after her, the, the idea of succession. And here she's talking about how she can't have children. All these mentions of John and children and Danny and children. It's 
foreshadowing that she's going to get pregnant for sure. For when, sure. When she yeah. least expects it because she thinks it's impossible. Earlier when, when you said, you know, you raised the question of whether we don't even know if Jer- Jora can even have kids. I, I didn't want to like, you know, interrupt, but I'm like, do we, do we even know? Like his stones John, turned to stone maybe. <laughs> like if John, like he's a white, he's a fire white, I think. No, wait, I'm sorry. I'm getting him confused with his, um, George has said that Barrick is a fire white. Right. So that and, means that John potentially is a fire white as well, since he's been revived by the R'hllor, the Lord of Light, yeah. apparently, you know, from what we, what it seems. So in that case, like, do, does a fire white have a heartbeat? Are they animated by necromancy? Are they actually alive? It's a good question. Is, yeah. I mean, is and, he you know, capable of, 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 you know, is he potent or is he? I mean, apparently he can get it up. So he, you know, <laughs> that would indicate blood flow. Blood, so, you know. Like, how could you say, oh, you still need to bend the knee? Like, there are a hundred thousand dead people, like, trying to kill us. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a moot point at this point, I think, in Danny's mind. It's like, whatever. We, we, I have three dragons. I just pummeled them. Yes, I lost one because we didn't realize that, you know, the, Night King was an Olympic javelin. <laughs> ice javelin. <bro. laughs> ice javelin. Um, she is like, we're going to do it together. You have my word. Do it together. Yeah. Yeah. That's what she said. She literally says, we're going to do it together. <laughs> we're going to do it together. Yes, you are a girlfriend. <laughs> He's like, thank you, Danny. And she goes, oh, Danny, who was the last person who called me that? I'm not sure. Was I know it my who it was. It was George R.R. R. Martin, 1,138 yeah. times in the first five books of A Song of Ice and Fire. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. And she goes, oh, Danny, who was the last person who called me that? I'm not sure. Was it my brother? I know who it was. It was George R.R. R. Martin, 1,138 yeah. times in the first five books of A Song of Ice and Fire. <laughs> <laughs> precisely you can go to a search of ice and and you can search for any word or combination of words and it'll pop out matches from uh from the from whatever books you select whether it's the duncan egg novellas game of thrones clash of kings etc so i just went in and typed danny searched for it for the five for the five books that have been released the main five and it's 1138 times that he says danny <laughs> that's crazy uh don't walk me out. <laughs> <laughs> Another soundbite. Yes. Don't lock me out. <laughs> Don't lock me in the garage again, please. Uh, <laughs> I'm losing my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Daisy. Yeah. Just when I think I'd like, come, like thought over like every possible, like pen foil thing and come, come to a conclusion about it. Like Rachel. <laughs> tinfoil monkey wrench into things i'm like wow i don't what i think <laughs> Did about this i guy. find tinfoil <laughs> yes you told me you would you were gonna give me a piece of tinfoil and you you have like this is black metal versus power metal and it's just like i you just see this like set up there's like stage <laughs> diving and like pyrotechnics and like you know dragons flying in and just, uh, it, it just so who's feels black like metal most- and who's power metal well, power metal is obviously the heroes. They're just like, you know, singing in their like falsetto voices and saying death to false metal. And then obviously the Night King and his crew are black. Metal. Nothing's more power metal than dragons. 
Yeah, nothing. Yeah, that is totally power metal. And then nothing's more black metal than having an army of corpses and like, you know, like demonic, like Norwegian folklore inspired like dudes. Yeah, you could say black metal or you could say death metal. (laughs) Death metal. Uh, see, death metal. I think that's more like uh, Gregor. That's like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I can see that. I can see that. So, where were we with your number one? Um, I'm just talking about how how metal it is. Oh, uh, right, right, right. Get that overhead shot where they're all just enclosing in on that little island. Just I'm surprised everywhere. they didn't like rush them. Well, if they had, then there's a possibility that all that weight would have created another break in the ice. So does this mm. indicate that they have some type of consciousness? Well, Patrick was suggesting that they're essentially like a hive mind controlled by the, the night, night, night King. King. Yeah. yeah. The way, the way that Bran was, uh, skin changing into a whole flock of Ravens in the last episode. It's like warging, but with dead things, basically you're, yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Necro warging. <laughs> there you Necro-warging. go. warging. Oh, that's a black metal song right there. Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. He's like getting dragged into that hole and they're like coming up out of the the water and like grabbing on his legs and pulling him. And he's like, ah, 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 as he's getting like dragged into the hole. It it reminded me, (laughs) it reminded me of this scene in the brave little toaster where, (laughs) where Blanky is getting eaten by mice and like dragged into like their little underground lair. And he's like, no. (laughs) <laughs> They're like pulling him down. Help me! Help! They're killing me! Hey, you leave him alone! I do remember brave little toaster. <laughs> you know what I'm talking cool. about? I, I know. I've seen that. It's been so long. I don't remember the scene, but I remember being very moved by that film when I saw it. It's such thing. a good movie, man. Oh my God, Tor- is Tormund? So he's blanky. He's blanky. Yeah. He's blanky. <laughs> <laughs> And think about this. This is Sandor's first time seeing a dragon. And yeah. even though they breathe fire, he doesn't freak out. Good for you, Sandor. He keeps it together and climbs on top of this fire beast, um, which I thought. Literally you know, fire made flesh. Yeah, I had to give him credit for that. Um, staying on, well, staying focused here and overcoming his fear. And the Night King pulls back his arm and, and gets ready to launch that javelin and just whips yeah. it. And that thing just wow like really really launches <laughs> yeah, and it's like uh, it, it launches into his neck as he's breathing fire so yeah. it sort of explodes because of the fire that's coming out yeah all the fire like shoots out of the hole in his neck and it like oh it's like like you know those famous pictures of like a plane with it's like it's engine on fire like falling into the ocean yeah. in world war ii or something like that it's oh, like man. yeah it's like with a dragon version of that as his Fire is like seeping through the the bullet hole, essentially the javelin hole in his neck. Okay, check this out. So re- remember how like when they were back at Dragonstone and Danny was asking John, she's like, "So you know they're named after my brothers. So you've lost two brothers too, right?" Like this scene, basically, this is Rickon and Ramsey all over again. Oh this is, man, this oh, is big not or this is Viserion not knowing how to zigzag, zigzag. and and this is the Night King just, oh, just takes him out and then John looks right at him and charges and completely, again completely loses his composure yep. you know he pokes a dragon yeah and so if if as if losing Viserion wasn't bad enough like 
Danny is fucking devastated at the thought of yeah. losing John also. Like only she could survive the Dosh Colleen being set ablaze or stepping into Drogo's pyre. Could anybody else have possibly survived being dunked into the ice water, sub-zero temperatures north mm, of the wall, and then coming out still soaked in all of his, his, his furs and being thrust onto a horse and dealing with the wind chill on the journey back to, to East watch. Like is anybody else capable of surviving that? I mean, no, no. it's a miracle no. that John survives here. And so I think that, I yeah, just realized he like, cause she was like reborn in fire both times twice. And like when he was stabbed by the night's watch, he on the lay ice. dead, like bleeding out in the snow. Yeah. And now he's like beneath like the frozen ice. Yeah, so like, and, yeah, and the other, like, at Castle Black, he's basically attached to the wall, which is a giant hunk of ice, you know, where he was yeah. revived. So, like, she's reborn in fire, he's reborn in ice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Twice. Both so of them. Crazy. Yeah. So crazy. There's some people who say that Kit Harrington and Amelia Clark can't act. Like, and I'm like, fuck you. Because, like, look at scene, like, look at that scene. Yeah. Like, Dude, there's some of them. Yeah. They're awesome on this show. Like, I love both of their yeah. performances big time. Very nuanced. It's just that they're uh-huh. so nuanced that some people maybe can't like pick up on the nuances. They think that they're just like doing nothing, but they're, they're just slight, yeah. slight things that make such a huge difference, you know? Totally. Totally. Yeah. And there's also this idea of the neutral mask where the main characters sort of shows less emotion because you want him to appeal. You want to be able to sort of insert yourself right. into you wa- yeah exactly you want to project onto him and feel relatable and there's also like you know the idea that sometimes the the character's acting in between aneurysms and nobody knows about it until dude uh, holy shit you hear about that (laughs) yeah yeah you posted yeah for any listeners out there that were unaware apparently immediately after wrapping season one and at some other point which I, I didn't get that far in the article Amelia Clark suffered an aneurysm in her brain and was hospitalized and nearly died. And it's like a miracle that, um, that she returned to full brain function and was like, not completely like had her life ruined by, by these two successive aneurysms that she suffered. Um, I mean, we're lucky to even have, you know, to have retained the mother of dragons for this entire series. It's like, Oh, that article was so crazy. It was horrifying. I've seen people like posting online, like scenes that are just like, you know, in retrospect, she gave this speech like in between, like in the midst of like brain surgery or whatever. Yeah. She had brain surgery, man. Like, Oh my God. You gotta like give her credit for just like how tough she is. Like it's a rigorous shooting this show. Like they shoot like 200 something days a year. It's like, man, you got to give her a lot of credit for pulling it together and f- powering yeah. through like her, the strength of her character Daenerys is like reflected by Amelia Clark's strength. Her as a own person. strength. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So they see this one horse and Danny's looking down from the outpost and she knows it's John, you know, <laughs> like it's gotta be John. Right. 
Well, and he's like hunched over that horse. Yeah, he's he's just not like even like standing. Just like the way he returns to Castle Black after Igrit shoots him three times yeah. with arrows, right? Slumped over the horse. Yeah, that's just, so true. He just can't make it back to get to the wall and in fully intact. <laughs> yeah. He's like stripped butt naked in front of her and, and she has sees. a stab wound in his heart and like five other stab wounds in his gut. And she's just like, what on earth? She's like, this is impossible. This is impossible. She is feeling now the way that everybody else felt when they like watch her come out of the flames. Yes. But she's in that position now, just in awe of somebody else who's survived a miracle. Like, yeah, that's so cool. She's in the footsteps, in the shoes of like the way Dario was or the way Jorah was when she stepped out of the fire. That's so fucking cool. Wow. Yeah. Her turn now. It's her turn to feel what it feels like to watch to something that's not supposed to happen yeah. happen. Yeah. Simultaneously admiring somebody's making Oh my god, I watched <laughs> out of my chair. <laughs> Why? I was leaning back in it and it just kind of slipped out from my face. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Sorry. That's funny. <laughs> oh oh damn. man. So yeah. There's another blip for you, Duncan. Uh, yes. Perfect. <laughs> so we get Gendry then who <laughs> gets to confront Thoros and the, the brotherhood. <laughs> and uh, Thoros is like, you still mad at us, boy? He's like, you sold me to a witch. Yeah, I'm still fucking mad at you. And Even I, though she stripped me naked and <laughs> sat so on funny. me and then put a leech on my dick. Uh, I like Thoros though. He's like, he's like, she's a priestess, but. Yeah, I'll admit there's a subtle it's a subtle distinction between witch yeah. and priestess when it comes to the Lord of Light. <laughs> Hilarious. Like, I mean, what is the difference? I really thought Thoros like patted him on the ass like after he gave <laughs> And I'm not I'm still not certain that he didn't because you don't really see below the waist. But yeah. Yeah, he slaps him on the back and then kind of like brushes aside at him like like tickled tickled his butt hairs. <laughs> And uh, then it cuts to Sandor, who sees that mountain like an arrowhead in the distance. And he's like, that's it. That's what I saw in the fire. And that mountain is huge and way taller than all the surrounding peaks. And it has those those horizontal striations, those lines like layers. It almost looks like the layers of the wall. Or it looks like steps to a pyramid. It looks just like Mount Kailash. So this first red shirt starts running back to the crew, running from the bear. And that bear must be really fast because it runs out to the side and just appears out of nowhere and just murks this guy from from the side like a velociraptor. I was like, okay, it was in front of him and now it's like off to the side of him. Yeah, bears are really fast, though. They run like 20 plus miles an hour. I think the Night King is Tywin. <laughs> yeah, she'll be. I'm just saying she'll remind him of there's, her father. There's my tinfoil for the evening. <laughs> nice. Oh man, and I haven't really noticed that until this rewatch. Like, especially starting in Battle of the Bastards, there's this darker undercurrent of Sansa that isn't really explicitly, like, overtly communicated, but it's there if you really look for it. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Yeah. Damn. So that's intense. Yeah. Back in Bravos, before I got my first face, there's this game I used to play, the game of faces. It's simple. 
You know, I ask a question about yourself and you try to make a lie sound like the truth. And Sansa's like, I'm not playing this fucking game. This is, this is scary. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like this is bullshit. You better be cool. Otherwise you could just disappear. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Also the way that they shoot this scene, your eye is, there's like this misdirection going on where like, you know, the way that all these people complained about, like, where did those chains come from? Like, they show an overhead shot where, like, way off to the side, there's that little dock. And then they show this profile of the dragon being dragged by the chains. Like, and the there's, like, this, like, extreme, like, um, perspective where the the dock is right in front of your face going as the dragon goes past it. And oh, damn. All these people, nobody noticed that dock that has those chains on it that looks just like the docks at Hardhome, by the way. Interesting. Yeah. But if, so if I refute, you're if, refuting. No, because I refute that. <laughs> Look, mommy, the dragon eye is blue. <laughs> nice. It so it funny. Is pretty cool. I was like, yeah, it's blue, buddy. Good yeah. job. So, so, yeah, I, I just thought that was interesting that he gives a, more of a personal touch to Viserion. And it took a few seconds for Viserion to wake up. So maybe maybe it was necessary. Maybe it's just like harder to resurrect a dragon and he needed to touch it. And for a few seconds, I think it's like the combination of the, I, the ice and fire magic together, I think, sort of like amplified his powers, which makes his projection of the flames out of his the blue flames out of his mouth mouth next episode. So overwhelmingly powerful. Know what I mean? Quite possibly. <laughs> my eleven at night Raven's call. Mm, it's my two six two eighteen in the morning Raven's call. I know you guys like seriously. What the fuck? It's way too <laughs> late for you guys to be awake right now. It's your fault, West Coaster. <laughs> um, hey, hey, we usually wrap it up way sooner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Y'all know <clears throat> fault it is, and I do not apologize. Uh, Gendry might be the world's slowest rower, but man, can he run a marathon? <laughs> totally. Damn. Because I'm usually su- super valley girl. I'm like, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.